Hello, y'all, and welcome to the Playmakers Corner podcast. Just in time for a very big episode. You got one of your co-hosts here, Cody Stoffer. And I'm the other co-host, Simon Voyanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And so this episode is going to be a slightly different look from our usual recaps. We are going to mainly be talking about league deciding games as well as some league controversies here since we have the playoffs upon us for 1, 2, 4, and 5A. Still don't know why 3A had to start later and end later than 1 and 2A, but whatever. We'll deal with that when we get there, but we will still have a playmaker of the week for the 3A level. But let's jump into it here on the 1A level. You have on the northern side of things, I actually was able to attend the Strasbourg versus Flatirons Academy game. And Strasbourg, this is our first look at Strasbourg other than, you know, in the preview, obviously, as well as the interviews with Landon Martin and Matthias Brown that Simon was able to present. So go ahead and listen to that if you haven't. But anyway, Strasbourg in this game dominated in every facet of the game. They were just bigger and stronger than Flatirons Academy, who I want to just take a second to shout out Flatirons Academy. It's kind of rough when you don't get to play in a stadium. They have to play at like a Broomfield sports complex that doesn't really have stands. And it's kind of a middle school setting because they are such a new program. So I do hope that they get an actual you know, stadium sometime soon. But I just wanted to shout out some of the special players from Flatirons Academy and just congratulate them on a pretty solid season. You know, they finished the season six and three and they're just going to miss the playoffs because of their two and two record in league. But that doesn't take away from the accomplishments of Devin Lewicki, number 22 for Flatirons. He made a ton of tackles this game and flew all over the field and he never took his foot off the gas when I think some other players got discouraged and might have clocked out. But then you also have the quarterback, Nolan Shepard. You know, he's a pretty good athlete, and he made some plays, as well as Ashton Royball, who was another great athlete for Flatirons Academy. But they just didn't get a whole lot going in this game as Strasburg walks in and beats them 42-0 to on the backs of Thomas Devlin and Zach Marrero primarily. And then you also had number 44, Egan Stevens, who had a very solid game for this Strasbourg squad. And they got to be feeling pretty good heading into the playoffs following that huge win that does give them the league title. And I was able to talk to some of them afterwards. There's definitely some question around if Landon Martin, who was the quarterback to start the season, will be available for playoffs. I think that the mood in the locker room and with Landon is that it's probably going to be Caleb Hart for the first week of the playoffs because There's some talk that Landon won't be available until basketball season. So we'll see. I know that he had a doctor's appointment like yesterday or something like that, but I haven't talked to him since. So that's kind of where Strasburg's at. But yeah, them boys, they're they're good and they're physical. And that's exactly what you want to be for this 1A football playoffs that is going to have a lot of very tough teams, especially in the opening round. But you'll have to wait for that for the playoff preview. Anyways, jumping over to the 1A Western Slope, Meeker was crowned league champs, and they won their last game of the season just to solidify that. In the 1A North Central League, that is probably the most competitive league where every team but one made the playoffs, actually, including the two from the Lyman and Wiggins game. Lyman was actually down 
Simon, you said for the first time in like over a year, right? Honestly, it might have been a little bit longer. I was just playing it safe. I know it's for sure been over a year. I can't remember the last time Lyman um, was losing by two scores because they were in like the second quarter. So it might be even longer than that. Yeah, so for a second, Lyman seemed uh, able to lose. But then the second half happened. And they beat Wiggins 59 to 27 to finish a perfect season, finishing 9 and 0 and 5 and 0 in league. So congratulations to Lyman and all of the league winners, but especially the ones who went undefeated. That is a huge accomplishment. And another team that actually succeeded in that was Centauri, who beat a pretty solid Monte Vista squad in their league to be crowned the 1A Southern Peaks champs, and they are also undefeated. This happened last week, but the Buena Vista Demons beat Florence for the 1A Tri-Peaks title. And they had a bye this last week, like I said, but they had a 9-0 season as well. And I was actually able to meet up with Tucker Storms, who is the cousin of Zach Marrero. The world just gets smaller every day. But I was able to talk to Tucker Storms, and, you know, he said that health-wise they were looking pretty good. And, you know, they took... I think like one or two days off of practice just to make sure that they were healthy, especially with that bye week and playoffs coming up. And their coaching staff also had them start wearing masks in school to avoid any chances of any football players getting COVID or anything like that. So, you know, that's that's really interesting and, you know, good coaching, I'd say, both off and on the field. I mean, you should probably be wearing masks all the time, but, you know, that extra precaution to make sure that they have all of their players for the last two weeks and preparing for playoffs. So shout out to that Buena Vista coaching staff. And Tucker even called me out. I'm a I'm a own up to it. I chose Florence to win that game against them for the league title. And, you know, Buena Vista, as they've done all year, has proven the doubters wrong. And they're gonna try and keep doing that heading into the playoffs. Wait, I I did not choose Florence. I did. Um, just no, I know, but I, I just want to make that clear that I didn't oh, oh, also you... choose Florence. <laughs> I actually chose Buena Vista by one score, so I was I uh, I predicted that one pretty much on the head. I'm pretty sure. So, not not that I'm trying to throw you any shade. I just no, want not, to make not sure that, that Simon's that throwing clear. me under the bus, but to throw me yeah. under the bus. Well, I already I, did it, Simon. <laughs> the BV squad know that I'm you know I'm a friend of theirs and they're a friend of the podcast. Uh, not that that affects any of our predictions, but you know we'll see. But anyways, go on. Yeah, of course, and you know I hope that they continue to rock and roll through the playoffs. Then we just have a couple other leagues here, and you know Simon talked about the 1A Santa Fe League winner last week, where Peyton. Who did Peyton beat? They beat Banning Lewis Academy. Okay, so that that's that's so, where they're at. <laughs> what do you well, well, Banning Lewis, they're they're a pretty well coached squad. I mean, they're in their second year ever, you know. So they're and I know they're coached. They're they're pretty well coached, and so that wasn't going to be an easy one. Payton, they were like, I mean, they've pretty much ran the Santa Fe League for like the last thirty years. If you really want to go there, the last time they did make the playoffs was before COVID, I think, in 2018. So there you go. But they make it back into the playoffs, uh, winning this league. It was really just between them and Banning Lewis. So there you go. And Banning Lewis has got to be double upset after they just waxed Trinidad this past week. So, yeah. 
That's a tough I mean, loss for Benning Lewis, but you just mentioned it's like their second year as a program, so they're definitely one to keep an eye on. Yep. I mean, their first full year as a program, if you really think about it, but yeah, they'll be right, okay. Right. I mean, they'll be fine. Peyton, they're in though, so there you go. And yep, Peyton is in. And last but not least, the 1A Foothills, well, actually, technically seed-wise least, but anyways, the 1A Foothills League, who is sending for Bennett as their league champ. And, okay, I am kind of upset about this because Bennett did beat Manuel, okay, and put them at, but they lost to Platte Canyon. Okay, so you have Bennett, Platte Canyon, and Manuel, who all went 4-1 and one in league. Okay, Platte Canyon beating Bennett, Bennett beating Manuel, Manuel beating Platte Canyon this last week. Bennett is four and five on the season. Manuel is six and three, and Platte Canyon is five and four. But Bennett gets the league nod here over these other teams. Simon, how do you feel about this? Because I know how I feel about this, but I didn't really get a chance to talk to you about it, really, other than right before the show. Yeah, well, I feel like the team with a better record should go to the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a controversial take, right? Is that, Apparently. Is that crazy? Yeah, no, I mean, Manuel, I feel like all season they've had a pretty solid season. Nothing crazy, you know, but finishing six and three obviously doesn't mean that they had a crazy up and down season or anything like that. Um, if you were looking at RPI leading up to this week, they were, I feel like for the most part, they're projected to just barely make it in, probably at the 16th seed right here where Bennett is right now. So, yeah. So, I don't know. This is probably one of the bigger shocks, I guess, to, uh, I mean, I, I mean, just in playoffs, period. Regardless of what division it is, 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, well, 1A, 2A, 4A, 5A, you know. But I th- feel like most people expected Manuel to make it in. They didn't. And, uh, yeah, I've, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting, you know. I mean, either way, they, they'd have to play Lyman, so it's not like – I mean, let's keep it 100 here. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, either either way, whoever has to play Lyman in the first round is it's just unfortunate. But I, I mean, still making playoffs is a big thing for programs. And, you know, Manuel being kind of in that like more Denver metro area, they kind of have to compete against a lot of different schools for talent. And the fact that, you know, them not making playoffs could impact that versus Bennett, where I mean, they kind of get their own talent pool every year, right? So well, most of these, yeah. If you're a small town, then your small town slash you know county areas are your talent pool. But yeah, no, you're right. Um, I would have liked to see Manuel in. I think it would have been interesting. I, I mean, interesting to see them at least make it in because I feel like they're more of a basketball school, anyways. But uh, I don't know. This is definitely a, a shock here, to say the least. Well, so do they have the same league record? Is that it? Or yeah, they have the same league record. But here's the thing, Bennett, that their losses are quote unquote quality losses, I guess, right? Because they opened the season 0 and 4, losing yeah. Highland 26 to 6, Buena Vista 35 to 7, Lyman 46 to nothing, Strasburg 42 to 0. I don't even know if Landon Martin was playing in that game too. That might have been the first game without Landon Martin. And they still yeah. lost to Strasbourg 42-0. to zero. And 
okay, so because they get blown out by good teams, they get to make playoffs? Is that the logic of RPI? Because they weren't competitive in any of these games, like at all. So that's kind of... Also, Manuel beat them too, which I feel like is the more important thing here. They beat them 46-8. to So if they have the same league record, then the team... Or wait, no, no, wait, sorry. They beat Manuel. My bad. I'm reading this backwards. But still, though, I, yeah, it's I don't like, know. What's more important, know. league play or having a winning record? And yeah. it's like if it's maybe if lot. Bennett was competitive in these games against Lyman, maybe if they lost like, I don't know, 21 to 16 or Strasburg like 35 to 28, then I'd be like, OK, maybe. But they weren't. They weren't competitive in any of those games. And every team has like, you know, a, a bad week. But even Manuel, you know, they played Kent Denver. That's a 2A school who made the playoffs. Why is that not considered an yes. RPI, right? So, and Banning Lewis Academy, that team has a winning record. They beat Platte Canyon this very last week who, you know, had a chance to win the league yeah. if they beat Manuel. So I don't, I don't get it. I'm frustrated by it. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like you said, Simon, we'll talk more on that later, but I guess congratulations to the 1A Foothills champ, Bennett, I guess. Who who won by a forfeit this last week, by the way. Just putting that out there. So, win a forfeit and uh, apparently you're league champs. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we could we could move on. Okay, go ahead, Cody. You could oh, we, we moving on to things. 2A? Or, yeah, no, we are moving on to 2A, my bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it for 1A. We'll talk playoffs and predict later. Um, also talk player, uh, not player of the game, player of the weeks, uh, player of the week, players of the week, of the week later. Okay. Well, yeah, that, yeah. So anyways, anyways, you got it. <laughs> you um, got it. Go ahead. Well, in games that, you know, kind of went down to the wire, as far as the season goes, you know. That determined league champs. You had the 2A Colorado League between Elizabeth and Kent Denver. Both these teams had the same league and regular season record heading into this game. And, well, I guess Elizabeth wasn't there to mess around because they beat Kent Denver 40-6 to to become the league champs. And I was definitely surprised by that final score. I thought it was going to be a bit of a closer game, but apparently not. Then, okay, also Simon. I don't know if you knew this. But so the 2A Patriot East champs, that that's Brush. They won their last game um, over Weld Central. But really, they won this league with their win over Platte Valley a few weeks ago. But yeah. did you know that their team name are the Beat Diggers? I don't know why I would know that. So Bro, the Brush <laughs> Beat Diggers know. are your 2A Patriot East champs. Sounds like a team Dwight Schrute would coach. That's not a here, hold on, hold on. That's not a that's not a slight because I could see how that could be taken as one. I just I you mean, associate beats with with uh, Schrute Farms. Yeah, uh, trademark by the way. But yeah, so I I don't know. That's interesting. But we'll 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 let it slide. We'll let it slide. I feel like their logo is not even that. It's it's I'd one say. of the most. I, I don't see a beat on their logo, but it's definitely one of the more interesting names. I've heard worse team names, but I've never heard of of beat diggers. It's it's like the same energy as Cornhuskers, I guess. But 
I, I don't know about same energy, but yeah, I guess so. Yeah, their definitely... logo is just BHS and it's brown. Um, Should like it be the... purple? Brush? If it's, if it's a beet, aren't beets purple? Beets are basically red, but that's neither basically. here nor there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, well, I was about yeah. Congratulations to the brush beat diggers. Um, how about that two way uh, Patriot West? I figure I let you talk about that one, Simon. Yeah, this was obvious. <laughs> I mean, Eden. I mean, they weren't gonna lose this last week. Who'd they play this last week? I'm trying to remember. They played Berthin, I think. So it, they had a layup to end the season, essentially. Did you mean Berthold? I thought it was pronounced Berthin. I don't think that's how you pronounce it. I'm pretty sure it's Berthold. That's me pulling on my Attack on Titan knowledge, but uh, we'll, we'll just keep it there. Attack anyways, on Titan knowledge? How? Yeah, if you're a real fan, you know. But anyways, um, I mean, is this really a surprise? Well, maybe it is a little bit of a surprise. That's, that's definitely <laughs> worth it. But anyways. Uh, okay. I don't know. But the west side of this Patriot League is pretty tough. I mean, they're sending a good number of teams. You got University up in here. Isn't Rez part of this? Or no, Rez yeah. isn't part of it. Yeah, they Resurrection are? Christian is. Okay, yep. that's why. And Severance. Okay. And Severance, yeah. They beat a lot of good teams to yeah, win that league. Just in their league. Uh, and this was going to be a tough league to win anyways. If anyone was going to win this league outside of Eden, like they would have had to drop at least one of these games against, you know, so- someone else in this league. It would have been probably like a two or three way tie or something crazy because it's stacked, you know, but Eden, they take care of business. In my opinion, their last like real like, you know, competitive uh, big time win was against Severance, who they just shut down completely by the way, and drop 31 on uh, as well. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I mean, ironically, those are also teams to look out for. These other teams in the Patriot West uh, moving forward in the playoffs. But yeah, Eden, they definitely dominated. I mean, they dominated from the beginning of the season to the end, and now we're in the playoffs. So we'll just have to see how all that goes down here. And if uh, they'll get a rematch with, I think, I think if anything, their first rematch would be with University first. So we'll just have to see. Well, but yeah, very we'll exciting. Yeah. Yeah, cool beans. And keep keep riding the wave because you're also our expert on the 2A Tri-Peaks champs. Isn't that just TCA? <laughs> I mean, TCA? Yeah, you're right. You're right. TCA. I mean, this was an obvious one, but the Tri-Peaks League – is nothing like the Patriot League. Like, if the Patriot League is the SEC, the Tri-Peaks League is, like, the ACC. Or I'd say more like the Mountain West. Yeah, 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 probably the Mountain West, and that makes TC, TCA, uh, TCU, TCA, Boise State, basically. Give or take, I don't know. Boise State is in an interesting spot. But regardless, TCA, I mean, this wasn't anything crazy. Um, even if they lost to Manitou Springs, which would have been wild, they would have been the Tri-Peak League champs anyways. Um, and by the way, they beat, they take care of Manitou Springs, which is a rebuilding team. Um, Kate Palmer, five rushing touchdowns in the first half, looking as good as ever. Probably still one of the top running backs in the state. And, you know, uh, I mean... I think I'm just going to throw this out there because this is not just my opinion, but the opinion of the entire state. TCA really hasn't played anybody. 
I don't know if they've played anybody. Well, no. Okay. They played one team with a winning record, and that's uh, Elizabeth. That is ranked number nine right now. But other than that, I'm pretty sure that is it. They played La Hunta, but they blew them out, and there's a reason why La Hunta is the 15th seed. So there you go. But TCA easily wins um, that Tri-Peaks League. I mean, it's easy to win it when most of uh, your league is in a rebuilding year because uh, they graduated like 50 million seniors last year. So there you go. The real deal. Yeah. The real deal will be in the playoffs. Like, I think the why, like I said, the opinion around the state is that this is a team that could probably get upset uh, in the playoffs. And, you know. A lot of teams are kind of preying on their downfall, but that's just, I mean, that's just what I'm hearing. So go ahead and prove them wrong and uh, we'll see from there. But uh, TCA, the tri-peak champs in case that was ever in doubt, in case they didn't win it in the preseason anyways. So, you know, there you go. But yeah, they'll win every game of their regular season. To, to do it so kudos on that another undefeated season so Eaton yeah, yeah, and sorry. TCA yeah. both undefeated in their league bids so yes and then you know you, you had some other teams who maybe didn't go undefeated in the whole season but in their league play they did and that includes the 2A Flatirons league champion Northfield you know, who beat De Evelyn this last week, I think like 35 to 14 or 31 to 14. Uh, they actually had a playmaker of the week two weeks ago. So, you know, they're they're kind of they're feeling pretty good heading into playoffs. And we'll see how much that swagger and mojo carries over into that first round because they are going to need it. But then on the southwest side of things, Bayfield also finishes 4-0 in league with a 28-6 win over defending league champs Pagosa Springs, who kind of had a bit of a down year this year. And Bayfield is looking really good I uh, this season. You know, with their only loss this year is to a Utah team that went 10-1 over there in Utah. So that's honestly not a bad loss to have to an out-of-state team and one that has had a successful season and went undefeated in their league as well. So, you know, Bayfield has got to be feeling pretty good, and they have a whole gang of athletes over there who I think are ready to make some noise in the playoffs. You know, I think when I looked at this Southwest League in the kind of spotlight or preview episode, whatever you want to call it, go ahead and listen to it. I was pretty skeptical on a lot of these teams because I was like, okay, do they, they have some talent here, but can they put it together? I think between them and second place Alamosa, who also made the playoffs with a winning record, that, you know, they're they're ready to kind of change the views on on the Southwest League and how they do things. So kudos to Bayfield for winning that Southwest League and also Alamosa for, you know, making the playoffs after both of these teams had really rough years last year with COVID. And the last league here is the 2A West League. This was a wild league, actually, where Delta pulls it out. And, you know, it was mainly because they beat Moffat County last week. You know, that was the 2A West determinant, I should say. But, you know, they they won this 2A West League. And I put here in my notes, this league title makes sense because Delta and Moffat both have the same regular season record 
And Delta gets to win the league because they beat Moffitt County. Same league record, same regular season record, just the head-to-head, boom, makes sense. Because Delta has the same amount of wins as Moffitt County. So just had to throw that in there. A little bit of shade. And nothing to talk about really on the 3A level this week because, like I said, they're not in playoffs yet. They still have one week of regular season left for I don't even know why, but yeah. A hey, quick shout out to um, Evan Atkin on uh, Moffat County, though. He has 28 rushing touchdowns in the regular season. Oh, he should. That leads the state. Oh, yeah, we knew that. He's, <laughs> we, he's we good. Knew he was good. Yeah, he's only a junior, too, by the way. So uh, this yeah, running back don't miss. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, pretty sure he leads the state. Like in all the or all divisions and rushing touchdowns, so just wanted to give him a quick shout out there. Yeah, good stuff. But now we leapfrog three A to talk four A, and um, Simon, the I twenty five league has a winner. <laughs> um, yeah, they do. If you want to talk about that, I mean, if you didn't oh. hear last week. You need to listen to last week what Simon had to say about Falcons lost to Cheyenne Mountain. But let's put some respect on Cheyenne Mountain's name, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I predicted Cheyenne Mountain to, you know, go to the playoffs to win the league. And that's what they did. And uh, actually, I think I got the record almost almost identically right. I switch out like one or two games like for, you know, wins and losses, but pretty much got that one right. I think, I mean, they beat Falcon. That was basically to win league two weeks ago. There was another team that was kind of in the running. I forgot if it was Widefield or Thornton. I forgot. But regardless, I'm pretty sure Sean Mountain would have made it. Uh, and and uh, they did. And so, wait. Cheyenne Mountain lost to Whitefield at the last yeah, week? Yeah, I actually wanted that's to talk to you about that. Do you think okay. that's cause for concern? Because Whitefield, okay, to be fair, Whitefield didn't have a very good regular season, but they did pretty well in league. I'm pretty sure that they only lost one game in league play. So uh, they have the same record as Cheyenne Mountain in league. Yeah, they lost to Falcon. And so actually Whitefield was that team that was in the running but because Whitefield is four and five and Shine Mountain's eight and two, I, I think that was I mean it's pretty obvious, you know. So well, I you would think it's obvious unless it's the one eight foothills. But anyways. Yeah, yeah. Uh I mean I this one isn't super surprising. I think Widefield I'm trying to remember. Um like very like at the beginning of the year, I said they have this great athlete over there, DJ Allen, aka Derek Allen. I think that's what he goes by. Um, but on Max Preps, for some reason, he, his name is DJ Allen. He's like a great athlete, like 6'3, 200, 4'5, 40. Like he lifts, obviously, because <laughs> um, he breaks a lot of tackles. I said he might be a problem. There are actually multiple games because I think I may have predicted Widefield with one more win than they ended up with but there are multiple games throughout this season i was like yeah you know if this team is not careful Derek allen could beat them single-handedly because he's just that dude and so i think shine mountain i said that was one of those games uh, and i'm gonna be completely honest i watched shine mountain twice watched them 
against the Liberty, which doesn't mean anything, basically. And then I watched them against Falcon. And Cheyenne Mountain's definitely not as good a team as I thought they were. I don't know what their deal is with, like, some athletes being listed on the roster and not playing and, like, this and that. But they were definitely missing at least six players, six key players that I pointed out before the season that, like, didn't record a snap at all or hasn't recorded a snap since the beginning of the season. And so that's probably lack of commitment on their part um, as a person. (laughs) So I'm just going to say that. And so Sean Mountain is definitely not as good as I thought they would be. Um, and so that loss to Widefield isn't exactly surprising because I'm sure if they did have their athletes, like all the athletes that talked about, you know, at the beginning of the season that was listed on the roster and did play the first couple games, then maybe, you know, that would, that loss wouldn't have happened, but it did. And, you know, Widefield, it's not like they were playing for a lot, having a losing record. And so this was definitely a recipe for an upset. I mean, let's be real. Sean Mountain, they're the 24th seed, right? So how much did you really expect out of them being at the 24th seed? Well, fair enough. Sorry, the last seed. I said 24th seed, but let's be real. It's the last seed. It's the last seed in the playoffs. So there you go. Yeah, it's... I mean, and they drew a really tough opponent in the first round, too. So more on that later. Gosh, man, I want to talk about playoffs so bad. So let's get this through this recap, shall we? In other unsurprising news, Fountain Fort Carson, they take the 4A Southern 2 League and they get the last seed that has a round one bye. So kudos to them. Mason and I got to see one of their games this year. And boy, this defense, that is that is what's going to take them places. And they also have some guys out of the backfield, but this defense is one of the most stout in the entire state. So I'm really excited to see how that fares in these playoffs. And they ended on a win over Coronado to end their regular season. So Fountain Fort Carson, congratulations on the 4A Southern two league. And then, okay. The 4A Metro two is a very interesting league. First off, it has three teams who are all in the playoffs with pretty good records at eight and two, eight and two and seven and three. I'm pretty sure Denver South is the league champs at eight and two with a four and one league record. They beat Aurora Central a couple weeks ago during a game that Mason and I went to. But I wanted to shout out Vista Peak Prep for beating Denver South in the last game of the season to sneak into the playoffs at seven and three and four and one in league. So, you know, that was I talked about it last week that it was a must win game if they want to make playoffs. I definitely don't think that they were favored to win. But they went out there and they upset Denver South and got themselves a, a 20 seed out there in the playoffs. So shout out to Vista Peak Prep as well as Aurora Central for also making the playoffs. But the 4A Metro 2 league champs are the Denver South Ravens. Talking about the 4A Northern 1, to no one's surprise, Erie finishes this season with a 41-0 win over Windsor. And Windsor's points actually matches Erie's total losses in both their league and regular season records. So shout out to Erie. We talked about them in the preview being one of the contenders on this 4A level. And so far through this regular season, they have lived up to the hype with an undefeated regular season record. Also joining some of these undefeated teams as league champs, you have Montrose winning the 
4A Southern One League title when they beat Ponderosa this last week, which, like I said, seals the deal for the league title, finishes a perfect season, and the number one seed in the playoffs for Montrose. And then you also have the number two seed in the playoffs, Dakota Ridge, who narrowly outlasted Chatfield on a last-minute field goal to win the 4A Metro One League. It's one of the most competitive leagues in the state. And, you know, it took everything they had to win this game against Chatfield. And they've had some really close games to end the season that inspires a lot of confidence for us here at Playmakers Corner that they can win these close games because they definitely had a cakewalk to kind of start the season after that, you know, uh, Vista Ridge game got canceled. And I'm sure that the players there are really excited and happy about, you know, finally getting to face some talent because they were kind of growing restless at the beginning of the season for real tests. And then the real test showed up and they sealed the deal. So shout out to those boys out there at Dakota Ridge. The last league champ is Loveland, who finished 5-0 in the 4A Northern 2 and 9-1 on the regular season. This is the defending state champ on the 4A level. And, you know, I think a lot of people kind of wrote them off after graduating a decent amount of talent this last year. But, you know, I think that they're ready to turn up. And, uh, you know, they took care of business in a pretty pretty tough league to to make the playoffs and, you know, get a pretty high seat. So shout out to Loveland. I think that's all of our 4A league champs. Right, Simon? Um, yes, it is. Pine right. Creek, by the way. You know, because they play 5-8, they're a high seed in the playoffs. So just throwing that out there. But yeah, that is a good thing to bring up. And in that, well, they play because they play in the quote 5-A, 4-A league. And Legend technically won that league on the 5-A side of things. And I think that's a great transition. It's literally called the 5-A, 4-A league, but it's only 4-A because Pine Creek is there. So, yeah, like you said, the last year of the 5-A, 4-A league, by the way. Yeah, thank goodness. Because I think that's stupid. But well, go ahead. You can talk about Legend, I guess. <laughs> well, Legend. I mean, I don't think anyone's surprised that Legend ends up winning this league. You know, they they have some great athletes over there, and I am blanking on who they beat this last week. Um, Simon, do you know who they beat this last week? Legend. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm not sure. Oh, they beat Chaparral. Oh, they oh they beat Chaparral. Yeah, yeah. Kyler Wilson and the boys. Ooh, that's tough. But they're sending this league in general is sending a lot of teams to the playoffs. So, you know, it, that that's something in and of itself. But they just performed really well in the league, and I think that they're going to perform pretty well in these playoffs as well with the talent that they have. So, speaking of. Other teams that are built for success and other leagues in general that are built to have some contenders. The 5A Centennial League, Mason, Simon, and I finally all got to watch a game together. And that was Grandview versus Arapaho on Friday night. And I guess technically there's a three-way winner tie for the Centennial League. Because Arapaho, Grandview, and Cherry Creek all finished eight and two, 
And, you know, Creek had the highest RPI because their only other loss was to Chandler out there in Arizona, one of the top ranked nationally recognized programs, you know, out there in AZ. So they lost to them as well as Arapaho, which Mason covered that game. Go ahead and jump back to whatever week recap that is. I think it was like week eight recap, maybe maybe week seven, something like that to hear about what happened in that game. And maybe some concerns for Cherry Creek heading into the playoffs. And Cherry Creek beat Grandview. But Grandview kind of put it to Arapaho in this game. And so I'm pretty sure, at least from this one source that, well, I saw. And then Simon pointed out that he saw it first. I'm pretty sure Grandview is technically the 5A Centennial champ. Yeah, because of points. Yeah. So... Yeah, if, we're, we're going to say Grandview Wolves, your 5A Centennial champs. And uh, if Creek or Arapo have a problem with it, we'll just go win state or something. I don't know. But Valor Christian, they had their last game of the season against Thunder Ridge for the 5A Douglas County League crown. And they handled business winning 52-21 to against Thunder Ridge, who had been riding a pretty decent win streak heading into this game, who... And, uh, yeah, they, they have a very interesting round one matchup. So stay, stay tuned for the Thunder Ridge team who, you know, wants to show that just because they got blown out by Valor Christian that they're still someone to take seriously. In the 5A Metro one, you had Fort Collins High School ending the season on a 45-6 to regular season win and winning the 5A Metro one. I wanted to add on in here that I think Westminster should have made the playoffs. Once again, Colorado RPI is rewarding teams for losing more than they're rewarding teams for winning. So Westminster at five and four is not going to be in the playoffs, even though they have a winning record and they went four and one in their own league. So, you know, if you lose like half of your games in league, you can still probably make playoffs, you know, if you face the right schedule. So go ahead and keep losing is is the message that we should be putting out to Colorado football teams. Just get a really tough schedule and just lose a lot of games and, and you'll make playoffs. And you know what league is is the victim of that is the 5A Jeffco League. Now, I'll talk about the league champs here in a second, but Mullen, the Mullen Mustangs are three and seven and they are your 13th seed in the playoffs. So that's that's exactly the problem that I'm talking about for RPI rewarding teams for being bad and losing games more than they're rewarding teams for winning games. But speaking of winning games and losing games, Pomona was in the driver's seat to win this 5A Jeffco League title. But Simon and I made it out to this game against Columbine, and they just did not get a whole lot going against this Rebels team playing without Seth Cromwell. And they they lose this game and their chance to win league. And the two teams that were then competing for it are Vada West and Rouson Valley. They faced off on Friday night in what was a wild game and probably our most in-depth recap yet. This this game was decided 17 to 10, our Vada West winning the 5A Jeffco League title, but it came at a cost. You know, Ethan Cook, we've talked about him a few times this year. He's one of the more impressive quarterbacks, and he's only a junior. He even threw a touchdown pass in the closing seconds of the first half of this game to give Arvada West a 14-7 lead. And, you know, this game went back and forth. Great defense from both teams. And on the first play of the fourth quarter, Cook was 
stretchered off and taken to a hospital and the coaching staff said that it was a dislocated hip which is a huge blow to this Arvada West team who you know sticks through it and Vincent Virgil is a freshman he stepped in at quarterback and you know did just enough to help Arvada West get a field goal and what would be an insurmountable lead in this game you know you had contributions from all facets of the ball you know Angelo St. James for Arvada West had two interceptions Ian Lee took a punt to the house for Arvada West's other touchdown so defense and special teams were cooking all night and Chris Wilcox actually ended the game by intercepting Rouston Valley on their last drive and effectively ending the game as well as their hopes for a league title so, you know, congratulations to that Arvada West defense and special teams. But, man, we we feel for, for Ethan Cook, man. We definitely wish for him to have a speedy and healthy recovery. But that is a very tough loss to have for these 5A Jeffco champs. Yeah, especially considering their offense is, uh, I mean, they're a very pass-heavy offense, too. So, that's a lot of pressure to put on your freshman quarterback. There's only one other freshman starting in the playoffs, and that's Beckham Kritzup for Fairview, but he's had a whole season. So uh, we'll have to see how that uh, – I don't know. That's tough, though. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely tough. And like I said, we, we wish that Ethan Cook has a good recovery, and we wish Arvada West the best of luck. And give them a huge congrats for winning this game against Rouston Valley and winning league. And then the last league winner was in the 5A Metro 2, the far Northeast Warriors. They won their league by just sealing the deal against Denver East 21 to 19. So, you know, this league, Overland had a chance to win this league. They whooped Hinkley in their last game to end four and one and have the same regular season record as the far Northeast Warriors. But far Northeast beat them 25 to 22 in week seven and that ultimately dooms overland to watch from a distance the northeast warriors face off in the first round of the playoffs so that whoo that felt like a really long-winded sentence but those are all of the league champs and the most notable parts of this uh, of this last week of the regular season for one two four and five a But we did have a 3A Playmaker of the Week, and that was Elijah Morales out of Battle Mountain High School in this win against Steamboat Springs. He did have two interceptions for 45 return yards as well as a passing touchdown. Steamboat Springs has had a pretty lethal air attack all season, and so for Elijah to disrupt that with two interceptions along with, you know, throwing a touchdown in a 40-7 huge win, that is good enough for our Playmaker of the Week. Kind of starting where we usually start, on the 1A level, we're going to give it to Jewel Cameron for Manual High School in a game that should have been considered the league title for Manual. Jewel, while he kind of struggled through the air with two interceptions, he still did throw two touchdowns and threw for 269 yards and also on the ground had 16 rushes for 120 additional yards. So almost 400 scrimmage yards by himself, as well as a rushing touchdown. So congratulations to Jewel Cameron. Oh, and then I guess just for 
icing on the cake. He also had a fumble recovery that he returned for 65 yards and a touchdown. So absolutely our playmaker of the week on the 1A level and six tackles on defense. Just just to keep patting it on, but he really did everything. He did it all. He scored all four touchdowns for this manual team to beat Platte Canyon and really should have been rewarded with a league title. So, sorry you don't get a league title, but you do get the 1A Playmaker of the Week, Jewel Cameron out of Manual High School. On the 2A level, I'm going to have to give it to one of my Bayfield guys, Isaac Ross, the senior quarterback, who in this game against Pagosa Springs to seal the deal for an undefeated league record as well as a overall completely turned around season for Bayfield. He's been doing it all year. Isaac Ross who went 18 of 27 for 272 yards, three touchdowns. He did throw two interceptions and added on another 12 yards on the ground. But what really seals the deal for Isaac here is his interception for this Bayfield team. So shout out to Isaac Ross for getting it done on both sides of the football to get Bayfield this league title and win against Pagosa Springs. On the 4A level, we're going to have to go with this huge special teams contribution in Jordan Mayfield of Vista Peak Prep. While on offense, he did get three receptions for 56 yards. It was his 96-yard kickoff return for a touchdown that would be the difference in a 24-14 win over Denver South and securing a ticket to the 4A playoffs. That was Jordan Mayfield of Vista Peak Prep, our 4A Playmaker of the Week. And last but not least, our 5A Playmaker of the Week is going to be out of our Centennial League champs, the Grandview Wolves. And that's going to be cornerback Caden Rulo, who forced and recovered a fumble and took it to the house to ice the game. It was, you know, basically already over, but Arapaho was still trying to make something happen. And Caden Rulo made them pay the price and he iced the game 32 to 13 and became our 5A Playmaker of the Week. Oh, yeah, I have to end the segment, don't I? Well, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and with our Playmakers of the Week announced, as well as our league champs on 1, 2, 4, and 5A announced, it is time for us to talk playoffs. Coming up. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts for today, Simon Villanos, and we're going to go ahead and talk about playoffs. Um, First off, talk about the bracket and whatnot, and then we're going to go into predictions. Uh, Today, for at least 1A and 2A, we have four different people that are giving their predictions and whatnot, including kind of a special guest here. Uh, We'll shout him out here in a minute here. But, Cody, do you actually want to just real quick just go down the line and say each matchup so far, and then we'll talk about predictions? Absolutely. So all these games, by the way, except for the Buena Vista game, are all at 1 o'clock on Saturday. So just – Remember that as I read each of these out. But you have the number one seed undefeated Lyman Badgers hosting Bennett, as I said, this Saturday at 1 o'clock. You have North Fork 
against Wiggins, North Fork being the hosting team. You have the Florence Wolves against Monte Vista, Florence being the four seed, Monte Vista being the 13 seed. You have the fifth seeded Ray Eagles against the 12th seed Highland High School. At the number two seed here, you have Centauri, who also got an undefeated season and was one of our favorites to win during our preview. Then you have the league champs for the Santa Fe League in Peyton High School. In the seventh seed, you have Straussburg, who won their last game of the season to secure league, facing off against Yuma. The sixth seed, Meeker team will host the Holyoke Dragons, who are the 11th seed. And the only game that is at 7 o'clock this Friday night, actually, is Buena Vista will host Gunnison. Buena Vista being the 3 seed and Gunnison being the 14 seed. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and start at the top of this bracket here that we are reading from. Well, I'm reading it from Chassa now. But it's the exact same on Max Preps. Lyman versus Bennett. Simon, you're you're kind of you've done the most film breakdowns on Lyman guys, so I'll let you kind of introduce what Lyman's all about, and then I'll talk about some of the leaders on this Bennett team. Okay, well, there's not much to introduce here. Well, y'all know about Lyman. They've won state the last three years. So in case uh, you haven't been around the last three years or you're just paying attention now or, you know, you're a 5A like player looking down. Okay, not looking down, but, you know, looking at 1A and seeing what's up with that. Yeah, Lyman, they are I think they might be the most winningest football program in colorado history i could be wrong there but they're a powerhouse obviously they're the number one seed playing the last seed bennett uh if you listen to what we had to say about bennett before this really shouldn't be a close one lyman i mean they find a bunch of different ways to win but primarily offensively i mean it's about running the ball and they'll run it a bunch of different ways this year it's jeremiah leaper and whatnot he's definitely the lead back but they haven't gave him they haven't given him like, I guess the max amount of carries because I don't. I feel like they haven't really been challenged yet. So, you know, there you go. And so he's still pretty fresh, still cracked a thousand yards. You also have the quarterback Trey Hines, uh, Gabe Schubarth, um, Kai Bandy, and then obviously their defense is very well coached. Eli Wisensi, he won Player of the Week well, one week a couple weeks ago. And then, you know, most of their players play two ways, and they're just great athletes. And so this probably shouldn't be a close one. So I, no disrespect, but also it's Lyman. They're also the favorites to win state, as me and Cody predicted earlier on the season. So, yeah, we did choose Lyman to win state. And it's worth mentioning that in this game that we talked about in the last segment against Wiggins, that, you know, while Lyman was down at one point, Leaper ran for over 200 yards in this game. So, yeah, if that's anything probably has something one to of do the, with this comeback, it I don't probably know how many is carries Leaper being had, unleashed. 19. But... He only had 19 carries. Yeah, that's actually – I'm pretty sure that's a season high. I don't think he's cracked 20. Could be wrong, though. But uh, they do a pretty good job of preserving all their playmakers over there. They did the same thing with Corey Taha last year. So they're they're all fresh and they're all healthy. I don't think there's any major injuries on this Lyman team at least. 
Um, so yeah, there you go. That's uh, Lyman versus Bennett. Well, basically, I'm, I'm talking some Bennett guys. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I mean, mean oh, here, go ahead. You could talk some yeah, Bennett. I don't yeah, know Bennett, I, so. Well, I, I'm just I'm just reading the numbers here, just to shout yeah, out some ahead, other players, ahead. but you know they do have this junior quarterback Carson Hawkins, and you know he definitely plays more of a running back role. And I'll talk about this a little bit more during my prediction. But he leads the team with eight rushing touchdowns, and then they have a nice little back in Isaac Copeland, who has 328 yards and four scores on the season. So you know they're they're primarily a run team here. And uh, as far as defensive guys go, the one who jumped out to me was Colin uh, Petrie or Peter. I think you might say it like that. He leads the team with the most turnovers, actually, by recovering three fumbles and a pretty decent amount of fumble return yards. So, you know, that is running the ball and occasionally picking up a fumble. But come prediction time, Simon has an excellent point that it is Lyman and... So without further ado, I'm going to just bring up Mason Austin. You've heard his voice before, and you'll hear it later on this episode for the 4 and 5A segments. But his pick for this 1A matchup was the Lyman Badgers. So before we do move on here, that is Mason's, um, you know, that's his prediction basically here. But I'm going to bring out another opinion as well like i said we have four for 1a and 2a obviously you have me and cody here you have mason's predictions that he gave us but we also have my guy anthony garcia he writes for mile high prep report i i want to say he low-key runs it as well or at least has a pretty good say in that but he basically writes about all the small towns here in colorado he also does i think eight man and six man football as well so if you want to check that out go for it which uh, we don't do but he does that as well um and as and then as far as uh, football goes he and you know as but as far as, you know, when it comes to what we're doing as well, he is going to cover 1A and 2A. So he gave us his predictions, at least in the first round, for this 1A and 2A playoffs here as well. And so he picked Lyman. I feel like and I don't really have to explain that. He's seen Lyman's dominance the last couple years, having run, you know, this thing for a couple years i would probably say you know and uh yeah and if you want to actually if you want to see why he chose lyman i believe his predictions come out thursday and friday uh for 1a and 2a i forgot which ones come out which day uh i think he may not be sure quite yet but just be on the lookout for that like I said, Mile High Prep Report, he has, I mean, he has excellent writing, and he does a very good job covering, like, lower-level uh, small-town football and small-town sports here in Colorado as well, and Cody, I'm sure you could agree with that. Absolutely, and I'm really grateful that uh, we get to know before everyone else. <laughs> um, it's it's really a privilege to, you know, just collaborate with fellow reporters i guess would be the word for us in some kind of way or you know just fellow content creators for colorado high school football there's definitely not a lot of quality ones but anthony is definitely one of them yeah 
absolutely. He also tries to go to games as well. So um, I, mean, I just don't think he announces which games he goes to. So just keep that in mind. I think most, at least seniors around the state should know him in a mile high prep report. But uh, yeah, so just keep that in mind. Whenever we do say one of his predictions, just know he's going to obviously write out his explanation for each prediction, I assume, uh, coming out in his articles Thursday and Friday. So that is, yeah, in a day or two when whenever this is released. So there you go. But yeah. uh, do we want to move on to the next game here? I mean, we both pick Lyman to win, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is okay. four out of four <laughs> of us choose the Lyman Badgers. They're just the, until proven otherwise, it's going to be hard for me to pick against them throughout this entire bracket. Yeah, they um, during the regular season they didn't really give us a any reason to doubt them really but uh you know let's move on here though let's talk about the next game here on the bracket so like i said we're basically going off of max prep so if you look at it you know we're going from top to bottom the second game and so uh the winner of this lyman bennett game which we're predicting to be lyman will play the winner of this game and that is north fork versus wiggins here we've covered both teams extensively but cody do you want to talk about north fork here to start yeah, sure thing. So North Fork, they were very competitive in the Western Slope League. That is the same league as Meeker. And, you know, they, they've had a couple of tests this year. They finished the season 7-2, and 5-1 and one in league. And some of their notable wins were against, you know, Monte Vista, who they beat 21-0, and Gunnison 42-6, which is a great win for them. And both of those are playoff teams. And then as far as other games, they barely lost to Buena Vista, 28 to 21. And then their other loss, they actually happened back to back, was to Meeker, 30 to 13. So this is a really good team who, you know, as you could tell, is kind of streaky because they won four to start, lost two, and then won the last three. So they're on a bit of a roll and they got to be feeling pretty good at home against this Wiggins Tigers team. And they have some studs on both sides of the ball. They primarily run it more than anything. And that's thanks to senior running back Drayden Taylor. He's been a stud on both sides of the ball. And I'll talk about his defensive efforts here in a second, but on the season, he has over 800 yards, 10 touchdowns, you know, running the ball. And he also makes plays on the defensive side of the ball. As I said, I believe he has three interceptions this year for, yeah, he has three interceptions and a fumble recovery. So whatever you need him to do, he, Drayden Taylor is going to take care of it for you. And overall, I'd say that the defense is the most impressive part about this entire team on the season. They have 105 tackles for loss. So they get like nine or no, they get 11 per game is how that would add up because they only played nine games. And it's spearheaded by senior, I believe he's a lineman, I want to say, Colson Holmbeek. He has 24 tackles for loss in the season. And they also have another senior in Neff who has 113 total tackles on the season. He actually leads the team and is probably up there in 1A amongst the top tacklers in all of 1A with 12.6 tackles per game and 22 of those being for loss. So obviously a very strong defense. Hollenbeek, you know, on top of those tackles for loss has 12 and a half sacks. So that's amongst one of the best totals in all of 1A. So their defense is just super rowdy and is definitely going to cause this Wiggins team some fits who I'd say is uh, 
a bit more of an offensive team, and for good reason. Simon, you want to talk about some of the weapons on this Wiggins team? Yeah, let's do it. So we've talked about them all season. Um, well, I've talked about them all season. Uh, I would say probably a little bit more because I did do a little regular season spotlight on this Wiggins team. So uh, let me start at the head of this offense, and that is Cole Kerr. Cody, you got to see him play live, but you know to end this regular season, he had a thousand eight hundred twenty-five passing yards. 23 passing touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Rushing-wise, he's a dual threat there as well. Actually breaking 1,000 yards. He had um, 1,080 rushing yards and then 15 rushing touchdowns. So obviously, he is a dual threat that is, you know, pretty much in the conversation as one of the front front runners to be playmaker of the year on the 1A level, you know, just being able to do it all as a passer and as a runner. He's somebody that, you know, if you need a splash play, he could give it to you. And that's how a lot of this, I feel like uh, through splash plays is how this offense really operates. They get a lot of splash plays here and that kind of gets them going. But as far as receivers go, they also have a pretty exceptional receiver um by the way only a junior just like cole kerr in omar perez he had 715 receiving yards and 13 receiving touchdowns of the year pretty sure those 13 receiving touchdowns hold up well against other uh reception leaders in the state and so that's kind of his guy uh his main guy i would say right there and so those are i would say those two are probably the biggest problems for this offense obviously you have a bunch of other you know talents surrounding them uh flores the running back i want to say he put in some work outside of cole kerr who was the leading rusher he had 427 yards to you know throw in there as well and so this wiggins team you know they could they could do a little bit of it all you know they could run it they could pass it and you know you don't really see a whole ton of that on the 1a level at least among a lot of teams here um but let me talk defensively because they got some dogs on this defense in that spotlight i talked about the ibrahim brothers and you know what i mean they continue to live up to the hype here um being the tackle leaders or at least uh two of the top three tackle leaders here for this Wiggins squad the the um sorry the main leader being pepper rusher who i want to say is either a linebacker or a defensive lineman but between those he is a lineman okay that's what and he had the the game winning block too against uh, yuma yeah so you know they got some guys on that line the ibrahim brothers i believe are both pretty much over 250 pounds wouldn't you say cody like 63 250 they are big they they yeah. meet, meeting them on the field i got to meet <clears throat> them and talk to them after the wiggins and yuma game is the one i went to and yeah they they're adequately sized and they pancake almost everyone in their path they're scared yeah yeah they go crazy and so Leith. You know, he ended the season with 85 total tackles, um, nine point. Wait a second. Yeah, 80. Oh, my God. 85 total tackles, averaging 9.4 tackles a game, which is a lot considering he's like a defensive tackle, isn't he? (laughs) So, you know, there you go. And then you have his older brother with 93 tackles. Pepper, he has 95 tackles. And then actually Colker is up here as well on defense with 63 tackles. Um, as far as a pass rush go, 
you know, it's pretty obvious, at least statistically, that they have one. Um, the younger brother, Lath, he has nine sacks, and then Pepper has eight sacks, you know, and then you have a bunch of other guys who are in there as well. And so this is a pretty complete team, if I do say so myself. Uh, for them to be ranked, like, what, uh, nine? I think part of that is just because they had a pretty, they had a pretty hard schedule at the end of the, you know, of the regular season here. Last week they played Lyman. Um, I mean that they were the only ones who, you know, were able to get up over Lyman at one point. I'm pretty sure. So I feel like that's a dub for them. They played Holyoke a couple weeks ago. Uh, played Yuma, obviously. Cody, you went to that one as well. And so they've had a, you know, their share of some tough, you know, matchups here the last couple weeks. But I feel like they are battle ready battle hardened at this point here uh, as the ninth seed I, they're not even hosting so i think wiggins here could be a pretty dangerous squad moving forward um do we want to get into predictions yeah sure thing do you want to okay. uh, i'll start with mason's prediction speaking on their behalf and mason here is going to go with the higher seeded north fork team and, you know, I, I, I can respect it. I can respect it. And I think that's a sentiment that's shared by uh, by your by our boy over there at Mile High Prep Report, right? Yeah, Anthony, he went with North Fork as well. So interesting. I mean, they're not a bad squad. They're a pretty solid squad. This should be a competitive game. I, I expect it to probably be a one-score game, though, right, Cody? Oh, it's absolutely going to be – well – I guess I shouldn't say absolutely, but I'm pretty confident it's only going to be decided by one score. And I think it's going to be Wiggins on top of same. that one score. And Simon, yeah. you you reflect the same thing. You mind if I talk about my reasoning here a little bit? Yeah, go for it. I mean, it's probably the same as mine. So. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, like Simon and I both mentioned, I got to see these guys live. And I probably saw one of the more struggle ridden games of Cole Kerr's, you know, season. And I still feel like, you know, they beat Yuma, who's another playoff team, and they allowed Yuma to stay in this game for the longest time. They just they have great size up front. I think that whenever they want to run the ball, they can do a great job of doing that. I think Omar Perez and Trey Hua, that's actually the other wide receiver who has 241 yards. Both of those guys are really fast on the sides. And they were going against a Yuma team that has some speedsters themselves on the defensive side of the ball, such as a John Smith and a Jesus Ross so and, and a Damon. Um, I think it's Archuleta, I think. And they still were able to burn those guys for deep passes throughout the game. And they even dropped some touchdowns as well. I don't know if I mentioned that during the recap or whatever, but Omar definitely dropped a touchdown in like the first quarter of the game. So they didn't even really, they left a lot of points on the field, I think. And I think now that it's playoff time, they're going to kick it into gear and they're going to be laser focused. Cole Kerr has an incredibly strong arm. He's a very gifted athlete who can buy a lot of time, both in and out of the pocket. And the Ibrahim brothers were both very impressive in their showing. And then you also have, uh, I believe it's Trey Fasiki here. And, you know, he's like six foot three at the tight end spot and is going to be a mismatch for a lot of these teams in 1A. He's pretty dang fast and he has very solid hands as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. But 
yeah, I was just overall really impressed with this Wiggins team. I think that they can just beat you in more ways than this North Fork team that's a bit one-dimensional as far as the run game goes compared to Wiggins that can, you know, kind of wear a few different masks on the offensive side of the ball. Simon, if you want to explain your reasoning. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I mean, you know, like I said, they have a lot. This is a pretty complete team. They have a lot of very quality players all around. You know, um, I'm going to I don't want to repeat too much of what you said, but really, I'm going to pick them because they have a I feel like they have a better weapon in Cole Kerr. You know, he's just a fantastic athlete that could pass the ball. He could run the ball. I would be surprised if. I don't know. I'd be surprised if Cole Kerr goes one and done in the playoffs. I think as far as quarterbacks go in the 1A division, he's considered to be one of the best, if not the best. I'm sure you could make that argument. And so here, I'm just going to say this. If you're going to be the best quarterback, you know, in 1A, you can't go one and done. Or really, if you if you're going to be the best quarterback in any division, I feel like you shouldn't be going one and done in the playoffs. You should probably at least win at least one game. And I could see that here for Cole Kerm, the squad, you know. Um, and it, it's a pretty young squad. Most of these players, they did start last year as sophomores. And so they have a lot of regular season experience. But playoff experience is a little different here. So I guess that's just where I'm going to keep the door open and be like, I wouldn't be surprised if North Fork does beat Wiggins. But I'm going to go ahead and say that Wiggins beats North Fork in a in a close one because this one will be a struggle for sure. So uh so yeah. Yeah, no, uh don't and there there's no disrespect here. This North Fork team has had an awesome season and I would not be surprised because you know Colker has thrown eleven interceptions this year and this is a very opportunistic defense that is gonna be in his face all night. You know, the, the, the line is going to do their best and sometimes they're going to win. But North, it's going to it'd be blasphemous to say that North Fork doesn't leave this game with maybe two sacks at least and a turnover. That's just that's just what I think. But the as sure. you said, Simon, this Wiggins defense is stout in and of itself. So. Yes. Well, do you want me to go ahead and talk about this next matchup here and uh, whatnot? Yeah, go ahead. Lead the way. All right, bet. Well, the next one down, we have number four, Florence, versus number 13, Monta Vista. Cody, do you mind if I talk about Florence here? Yeah, you can talk about those Florence boys. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so let me go ahead and hop into it. So, Florence, um, obviously, they are the fourth seed here. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I feel like a lot of their success is because of, you know, the quarterback Levi Paxton. He is a junior, you know, and he's had a pretty, pretty solid season for himself as a, as a first year starter for this Florence squad. You know, um, I'm just going to go ahead and read off his totals here at the end of the season. But, you know, passed for a solid 766 passing yards, but he had 17 passing touchdowns and only three interceptions on the season. Now, granted, 
all three of those interceptions came in the, in the last uh, couple games here. Uh, one of them against Colorado Springs Christian, but that was a blowout. And then one, which was a pretty costly one, I would say, against Buena Vista, where they lost only 20 to 14. Um, and then the other one was against Grand Valley, which was another blowout. And so I'd say for the most part, he is pretty like efficient. And then as well, he, he could run the ball. Uh, I mean, not like in an elite way like Colker, but he could definitely, you know, put some damage in on the ground. He does have seven rushing touchdowns and 233 rushing yards on the season. But, you know, for Florence, I think he's going to be a big part of uh, their success in the playoffs here. And he has been a big part of their season so far, uh, considering they did go 8-1, and one, only losing to Buena Vista. And so I like this Florence team a lot. I think they're a tough squad. Defensively, I think they're tough as well. They're pretty disciplined there. And so there's a lot of reasons to believe in this Florence team. And honestly, you know, if they beat Buena Vista, then this could have been a, a little bit of a different, you know, playoff bracket here with some different matchups. Obviously, they would be the league champs and whatnot. But uh, that's basically the rundown for Florence. Oh, uh, let me look. Sorry, I didn't get this pulled up. Defensively, like I said, they're strong. Um, I'm just going to shout out this one guy right here, and that is their lead tackler, Lincoln Nix. He has 94 tackles on the season, averaging basically 10 tackles a game, which is absolutely wild by the way but he's definitely one of their leaders along with their sack leader who has eight sacks on the season josiah cornwell um as well and so you know this is a pretty solid defense i would say you know if you look at who they played this regular season they 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 did pretty well you know they beat holyoke by the way keep that in mind 36 to 15 only limiting that team to 15 points um they limited one of vista to only 20 points in a pretty winnable game there as well um not that this is like the biggest deal, but they also limited Payton to zero points <laughs> to start this season. Uh, so there you go. You know, um, the Payton obviously winning their league. So that's uh, that's Florence. But yeah, Cody, do you want to talk about Monte Vista here a little bit here? Yeah, sure thing. So talking about Monte Vista here, the Pirates as they're referred. They went 6-3 and three this year, including 3-1 and one in the Southern Peaks League. Some of their notable games is they did struggle against this 2A playoff team, 32-14 to Alamosa. They also lost to North Fork 21-0, but they beat Platte Canyon 28-6, which is a pretty good dub over a 2A team. Or No, wait, that's a 1A team. My bad, my bad. But anyways... And their other game was against Centauri, where they kind of got floored 55 to 8. But don't let some of these games fool you. They were able to blow people out themselves. They beat Del Norte 48 to 12, Cedar Ridge 32 to 6. Even this Platte Canyon game for a team that almost won their league, they won 28 to 6. They beat Rocky Ford 30 to nothing. So they've been on kind of both sides and really back and forth. And, you know, part of their potential here is definitely in their backfield where they have some really talented backs. You have the likes of D'Angelo Archuleta. He's their leading rusher from this year with 739 yards and four scores. But their leading touchdown scorer is actually a little bit different. That is Keegan Gunter, who leads the team with 11 touchdowns. 
And then you also have a fullback here in Hunter Pacheco, who has 264 yards and four scores as well. Their quarterback, Mellett, he has had a pretty good season, you know, throwing nine touchdowns to only four interceptions for just over 500 yards. And then you also have some very similar names leading the charge in rushing once again with Keegan Gunter being one of the leading re uh, receivers with three touchdowns and 148 yards. And you're going to hear a lot of the same names on the defensive side of the ball. Archuleta leads the team in tackles with 105. You have Gunter who leads the team with six interceptions as well as four pass deflections and a fumble recovery. So he's done a great job in coverage this year, which, you know, is something that Florence is going to kind of, you know, be wary about. Granted, Levi Paxton, as Simon said, hasn't thrown that many interceptions this year. But, you know, when you're playing against a secondary as good as Monte Vista, who's forced 9, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 interceptions this year on the 1A level, that's pretty insane. And they've been able to take it back, too. You know, they have 295 yards off of those interceptions, which is pretty dang good for interception yard average. So averaging like 18 yards per interception. Then you also have this senior here, Clutter David here. He has three interceptions along with 11 pass deflections. They've also forced a lot of fumbles on this side of the ball. You have a junior in Alejandro Felix leading the team in sacks. So really their defense is the talk of the town for this Monte Vista Pirates team and the reason that they've been able to stay so competitive in so many games. Along with, you know, this offense that can kind of pass the ball I, I watched through some of their film and you know they have a lot of motion they can go out of shotgun to basically a full house formation from play to play so they're going to be throwing a lot of different looks at this florence team and i think that's inspired you know some interesting picks so simon what if we talk about our guys's picks here you know mason he went with the boring pick here choosing florence but what about our guy over there at Mile High Prep Report? Yeah, so Anthony picked Monta Vista. I, I could kind of tell that he was maybe leading this way. We've had conversations throughout the season, actually, about teams like Florence and um, and some other teams on the 2A level that are very similar. Um, you know, he's picked Florence before, I feel, in the playoffs in past years. They've kind of burnt him and not win in some pretty key situations. So I think he's going to go ahead and pick this upset. Um, Monte Vista, too, though. I mean, D'Angelo Archuleta, he is definitely up for defensive player of the year, at least in our eyes, um, award-wise, here on the podcast. And so he's an excellent defensive player. And then, you know, you kind of just surround him with some other good guys. And, you know, that makes for a defense that could be sneakily pretty good, you know. And when you could force some of those turnovers and whatnot uh, against Florence, it has shown that it does give them a better chance of winning, potentially. So, I mean, that's really any football game. But, you know, there you go. But... I think that's kind of where he's coming from, choosing Monte Vista over Florence here. Um, he, he says he likes Florence a lot as a regular season team, but playoffs is a little bit different. So there you go. Yeah, and it's and it's easy to see his point of view, like you said, with Archuleta's defensive prowess as well as running the ball. You know, he has really quick feet and he can make cuts look very effortless. But 
I'm going to have to personally disagree with Anthony and go with Florence here. I just, you know, with Aguilar there in the backfield, they have a couple of different options actually in this backfield with Aguilar. Jacob Kennedy is a pretty good senior guy. Like you said, Simon Levi Paxton has been known to tuck and run it. They have some decent options, I think, at receiver. I just think that there's almost too many weapons on this Florence's on Florence's offense to lose this opening game. Where where do you stand with this pick, Simon? Well, I stand with you. I pick Florence as well, but it's um it's a pretty tentative pick. I mean, I'm acknowledging that I could easily we could all easily be burnt here and uh, they could lose the Monte Vista. I'm a little nervous about this first playoff game. I think if they win this one, then they're going to be on a roll here. And, you know, sky's the limit probably. But Levi, Levi Paxton, the quarterback, I'm looking to him. Obviously, he's the quarterback. He's the leader of this team. He needs to play a clean game. If he doesn't, then this game could get a little bit crazy. And in the playoffs, you know, it's not the same as the regular season. Everyone here made it for a reason. So you got to... I mean, you got to play a clean game. You got to play a good game and be on top of it. I'm also pretty sure that this is Paxton's first playoff start as well since he is a first-year starter. But I'm going to pick Florence. You know, I like their defense. I like Paxton. I like the squad. They've also they've given us a lot of love on the podcast. Not that that affects, you know, whether we feel like they're going to win or lose. But, you know, they are a talented crew over there. Uh, but this could definitely be a little bit of a trap game. They shouldn't get too comfortable just yet. Anybody could lose in the playoffs. Uh, at least that's my opinion. So, yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna rock with Florence though. It's not like my most confident pick, but it's a it's it's a pick. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about the teams that they are looking to face here in the second round. And this is the 5-12 and 12 seeded matchup between Ray and Highland. I think that this is going to be one of the closer games in this first round of playoffs. And Simon, if you don't mind, I'm going to start talking about Ray here. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So the Ray Eagles, they went 7-2 and two on the season, 4-1 and one in league. And, you know, they had plenty of notable games because they played in that 1A North Central League that sent all but one team to the playoffs this year. So, you know, they, they had some decent looks within their league. They beat Wiggins at home. They beat Holyoke on the road. They did lose to Lyman at home, but they turned right back around and beat Yuma on the road. So, you know, that was a very impressive league performance, I would say. And then, you know, to open up the season, they did face Centauri, who is the second seed in all of 1A football, and they lost them 28 to 14. I talked about it on the what I talked about it in some episode when I was talking about Ray, maybe the week one or two recap. I think it was the week two recap because we didn't have a week one recap, oddly enough. But anyways, you know, they've got did. did we really? Yeah, bro. Why would we not have a week one recap? No way. (laughs) I did it. Oh, well, then you heard it from me on the week two recap. Then that's that's the I didn't list. I I didn't do the week one recap. That's why. Damn. Okay. Well, let's keep it it going. (laughs) I I don't know what what you're offended about. There's nothing to be offended here. But anyways, they have gotten this far partially due to 
a star at as a freshman, you know, definitely a candidate for newcomer of the year in Casey Midcap, the quarterback here for Ray, who has collectively put up seven touchdowns this year with his legs and arm. He's thrown for four touchdowns and 603 yards and added on another 307 yards and three scores on the ground. This has obviously been complimented by their lead back, Caden Bauer, who has 544 yards on the season with six scores. And yeah, they just have a, a decent amount of playmakers on this offensive side of the ball. You have Arambula as well at wide receiver who has caught for 403 yards. And then you also have, uh, I believe it's pronounced Schoenthal, Schoenthal, who has caught for six touchdowns this year. So they've scored in quite a few ways this season through both the air and the ground. They have, you know, I believe it's 14 passing touchdowns and 22 rushing touchdowns. So pretty balanced offensively. I had a chance to watch some of their film and they definitely have some really interesting play calls and, uh, you know, their playbook during the regular season is a bit tricky. So I feel like come playoff time, they are going to be reaching deep into their bag and running a lot of plays that you don't typically see on the one a level. But I think that the defense is the biggest highlight for this team. You have guys like Brady Collins who lead the team in tackles with 66 and also lead in tackles for loss. You have these guys up here down in the trenches. Once again, Schuenthal has 10 for loss. You have Tell Wade who has 12 and a half tackles for loss and, you know, five and a half sacks for Tell Wade. Brady Collins, once again, with four and a half sacks, Schuenthal with four and a half sacks. So this front line has been super dominant this year at just winning at the line of scrimmage. Then you also have guys like Peyton Wade, who have three interceptions this year and have made quarterbacks pay for feeling the pressure that the front seven so routinely can produce. And, you know, I watched some of these guys film. They hit hard. They fly around. And I just think that they have pretty solid instincts, you know, in that front seven between their linebackers and their defensive line. So there's a lot to like here about this Ray Eagles team uh, just being a very balanced team, I'd say. You know, there's nobody that when you look at the the league lists that's going to jump out to you all entirely, but they just have a steady balance of ballers on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Simon, you want to fill us in on their opponents? Yeah, so they'll be playing the Highland Huskies. Uh, I feel like we've talked about Highland a lot throughout this year, but not in a good way. Almost every time we talk about them, it's in a loss. And uh, they're only 6-3, and three, so maybe that's why it feels like they've lost a lot. But this is a pretty solid squad here. By the way, their only losses on the season was at the beginning against Wiggins. They lost 38-21. Then they lost to Yuma in a close one, 28-21. And then they lost to Strasburg, 19-7. I was actually a little surprised about that game because uh, Strasburg needed to win that Highland game to, you know, keep their playoff hopes alive and keep it going and whatnot. Sorry, one second here. Keep their playoff hopes alive and whatnot and keep it going. Um, and they did. And they beat Highland to do that. But Highland did finish 6-3. and three. On the year. So kind of, let me go ahead and kind of give you the rundown about this Highland team. So uh, they can kind of pass the ball. The quarterback, I, okay, I'm going to, uh, I've been trying to figure out how to say his name all season, but it's Sam Hisendale. 
H Z I N D I L. I apologize. That's how I was I... saying it. it okay. What was okay. his Adele? Yeah, so. that's why I thought. And I haven't okay. been corrected yet, so. Yeah, so he's a senior uh, quarterback for this Highland squad. I mean, not bad. He threw 882 passing yards on like 54, 55, I'll round up, 55% completion rate. Uh, but he has thrown seven touchdowns to seven interceptions. So, you know, it, I don't know if that's maybe the most reliable thing to focus on here for for a Highland, uh, the passing game is definitely secondary to the running game because in the run game, they have kind of a three-headed monster here between Chris Polk, uh, the quarterback Isendale, like I said, and then Zach Tittle, uh, all seniors here, and um, all combined for around 25 you know, rushing touchdowns and then 1,700, uh, 1,790 rushing yards on the regular season. And so they all kind of take turns there doing their thing. Uh, Chris Polk, I want to say, I want to shout him, or sorry, I said Chris, Caleb Polk. He's kind of their do-it-all guy here. Not only does he run the ball, but he also, um, I want to say he's their lead receiver as well. He has 344 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns. Uh, defensively, he's active as well. He's out there. He has 16 tackles for losses on the year, uh, 66 total tackles. He is also their sack leader, which is wild because <laughs> he has 11 sacks on the year. Um, by the way, five of those coming against, coming up against Prospect Ridge Academy. So, you know, do what you want with that. And then he has forced three fumbles on the year as well and so he's definitely just one of those do-it-all athletes that you just got to look out for um he's probably one of the most important athletes for this team if you're going to talk about highland here so really their i guess uh their game plan you know okay uh their game plan uh look run the ball play good defense and they usually are known for that i would say last year uh they had a stud in holden morgan we talked about him um he was one of the toughest running backs in the league and whatnot and in the state period so there you go there and so highland you know we know what they're about they're kind of a bit more plug and play you know you could put guys into their system and they're going to continue to play well throughout the system and so let me go ahead and get into predictions here i am gonna talk about my guy here um anthony garcia over at mile high prep so he went ahead and he picked ray to beat highland i feel like that is i feel like a lot of people might see that as the obvious choice i definitely see it i don't think this will be a like a blowout game or anything like that. Like Ray will blow out Highland, but, but, you know, I feel like Cody said, Ray is a pretty well-rounded team. They're good defensively. I think if it really comes down to it, Highland may not be able to, I, well, honestly, I just don't think they'll be able to rely on their passing game at all. I don't think their passing game will help them out, and then that'll make them kind of one-sided. You're just running the ball, and so if they get up big early on, that could really put them in a tough spot. So Anthony, he goes ahead and he picks Ray to beat Highland. Uh, Mason, well, Cody, do you want to talk about Mason's pick here? Yeah, so, you know, for for Anthony's reasoning go ahead and read his article from mile high prep report coming out on thursday or friday for masons you just gotta take it because this is just what he sent us i think right you didn't put any any words to who or why no nope. i mean so we could just, ask him later 
we could enough. ask him wait i kind of just want to leave it there and then you okay. know if anyone has concerns just dm him directly blow up his inbox on twitter or instagram and it, and i'm not going to bring it up to him either so he's just going to be surprised but anyways um he did take ray to win in this opening round against highland and i believe that I know I'm going to echo that sentiment barely, though. Simon, where do you stand on this side of the fence? I actually agree. Um, I'm concerned about Highland's passing game. It doesn't have to be perfect, but when you throw seven interceptions and you're mostly a running team, there's some there's some red flags there for sure, and so that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I The interception total was what made me go back and forth on this Highland team. But man, I would not be surprised if they do pull this game out over Ray just because of the athletes that they have. But I think, you know, come playoff time, I got to go with the steady team, not the up and down team that, you know, one week is unstoppable on offense and does whatever they want. But then the next week, I mean, a great example is, you know, against the same Flatirons team that I saw on Friday last week, they beat them 15 to 8, which is a really close game for Island to win and, and is exciting. But at the same time, they lost to Strasbourg the previous week, 19 to 7. What happened to the offense? And then they explode for 49 points against Estes Park. So there's just not a lot of consistency from this Highland team versus Ray, where you've kind of gotten the same thing all year. You know, I mean, their one league loss to Lyman 41 to zero is a tough pill to swallow, but they've routinely won close games, whereas Highland, they've kind of lost the games that have been close. They lost to Wiggins by seven. They lost to Yuma by seven. They lose to Strasburg by 12. The only close game they have here is over Flatirons Academy. And, you know, that's at home. They're they're not going to be at home. They're, they have to travel all the way to Ray. It's going to be a drive east for, for quite a minute. And, yeah, I just – I don't see them pulling it off on the road. If this game was – you know, for some reason in Highland, maybe. But I don't think that they'll pull off the upset on the road. I mean, yeah, agreed. Do we want to move on to our next uh, game right here? Sure thing. I'll I'll go ahead and take the reins on this one and talk about Centauri, who is yeah. one of my submissions to be a contender this year and they have delivered holy cow have they delivered it is not DiGiorno it is delivery for this Centauri team who will host Peyton High School Simon talked about them a little bit earlier and we'll continue to talk about them in just a second but the story here really it starts and ends with Mason Clonch who these stats I don't think are fully updated because it has them listed for 570 yards but it's only in six games, so I think any time or any chance they get, they don't really let him play too much. And he had 12 touchdowns in only those six games, so he averages two scores a game, which is just crazy. And they have other guys in the backfield who can get it done as well. You know, you have this other senior back in Zach Burr, who has rushed for seven touchdowns on 47 carries, so he basically gets a carry every 
he gets a touchdown every seven carries. You have this sophomore running back in Brady who has 320 rushing yards as well as three touchdowns. But I think that the real wrinkle here from this year to last year is I think that their quarterback is significantly better. Byron Shawcroft, he's had a very good year this year with 14 touchdowns to only two interceptions and adding on another three rushing scores and 133 yards on the ground. He's contributed over a thousand yards and that's without these stats being fully updated. Like this team, they only have seven games played listed. So there's plenty of stats and more blowout numbers that aren't even here for this team. And yet these numbers are still impressive as they stand. And, you know, Brady, he's gotten he's helped with Byron's success with 346 receiving yards, being the leading receiver for yards and receptions with 19 and six scores. And then you also have Baron Holman, who is a senior for this Centauri team who has caught seven touchdowns this year. As for the Falcons defense, Mason Clonch is also the dude on the defensive side of the ball with 11 tackles for loss. Zach Burr is also a dude on the defensive side of the ball with 10 tackles. And then I think that you might have Brady's older brother, Danny, who has 10 tackles for loss. Overall, this team in seven games that are listed, right? They have 72 tackles for loss. So they're getting like 10 tackles per, yeah, 10 tackles for loss per game. And, you know, Mason Clunch, he's somebody when I looked through this team last year, was able to kind of do it all. And he did the same thing this year. You know, he had another two interceptions and caused a fumble. So Mason Clunch as a very strong candidacy to be playmaker of the year on the 1A level. And I think that that's what makes Centauri such a favorite in this opening round. Simon, you already talked about Peyton a little bit, but if you want to spotlight some more players or at least players that you think have to be on their stuff to stand a chance against Centauri, who would who would those players be for Peyton for them to have any chance? Yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the guy that really turns up for this team when it mattered in that Banning Lewis Academy game. Um, and it's one of the running backs. They have two pretty solid ones, uh, both seniors, by the way, and that's number 27, Wes Hart. He ended the season with 931 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns. He's a little bit of a speedster, you know. You got to kind of contain him because there were definitely a couple of times where Banning Lewis, you know, they missed a tackle, then it's off to the races. And it's really hard to go and catch this dude because he's he's a slippery little back that you kind of got to get down at the line. Now, the other guy who's a senior as well, um, he had a pretty solid, I mean, both of these boys had pre- pretty solid seasons for uh, guys who share the ball in the backfield. But the other guy is, and I want to make sure I say this right, is Dresden Howith, I want to say. Yep, Dresden Howith. Um, he ran for a 749 rushing yards and eight touchdowns on the year. He had actually four four runs this season where he went over 50-plus yards. Um, so that's kind of wild there. And then Wes, he had five. And so, you know, Peyton, they run the ball. Uh, not that they can't pass it. I think watching the game against Banning Lewis, um, they could definitely pass the ball a little bit here. But 
like most teams in 1A. It takes a backseat to their running game, and they have a really good running game here between these two guys who, you know, just tore apart Banning Lewis running the ball. So, you know, those are definitely two guys you got to look at. Um, I mean, you got to you gotta tackle them at the line, especially Wes Hart. He's probably the biggest problem out there. Not going to lie, he's just somebody who could, you know – he could take one to the house at any time. And so that's definitely a guy you got to look out for as well. Now, defensively, there's one guy here that has really stood out all season. I've talked about him before on a couple recaps, I'm pretty sure here. And that is their guy, Zach Cobb, uh, plays defensive tackle and linebacker, I want to say, or at least that's where he's listed at. But I'm pretty sure he played uh, mostly linebacker, if I if I wasn't mistaken, but 113 total tackles on the year. I'm pretty sure that leads uh, all of 1A as far as tackles go, and it's definitely up there as far as Colorado football goes with 113 tackles on the year. Also had 15 tackle for losses uh, on the season as well, and so he's definitely somebody that you know you got to look out for because he just cleans up. He's a tough linebacker. Uh, Sasha's defensive player. He's The dude's just a baller. You know, and so you just got to look out for it, bro, because he's he's a sideline to sideline player that does his thing for Peyton. And so I think those three players are kind of the big three that Peyton is working off of here uh, going into the playoffs. And those are the guys that kind of carried them into the playoffs. But, you know, you know what? Let's go ahead and talk about predictions here. I mean, look. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Anthony's predictions. He went ahead and picked Centauri to make it. I mean, that's not a bad pick considering they're the two seed. Cody, do you want to talk about Mason's pick here and then yours? Well, Mason and myself agree on this pick that Centauri is going to win this football game. No disrespect to Peyton, but Centauri has been getting it done dramatically this entire year and as i said have a case for playmaker of the year in some of their notable games against other playoff teams they beat ray in the season opener 28 to 14 they beat a 2a team in pagosa springs 45 to 13 they beat strasburg 48 to 3 they beat a 2a playoff team in northfield 41 to 12 they beat monza vista 55 to 8 like they you could argue that challenges have been thrown at them this year, right? Like that's what their schedule implies is that they have faced, you know, a handful of good teams, a handful of two, a teams even, and they have not, no one has put up a good fight against these guys. The most points that was scored all season was by Ray who had 14. So their defense is suffocating for for all of these teams at the one a, and even in the two a level, and their offense is just so explosive, and their defense turns into offense at times when they're able to turn those turnovers into scores. So, and on top of that, you know, Mason Clonch, he's a special teams guy too. Like, he's he's had a great year returning the ball. So, you know, I'd, like on kickoffs, or at least the ones that he's been able to return, he averages 67 and a half yards per return because he had a 93 yard touchdown return on punts. You have, you know, Mason Clunch averages 30.8 yards per return on punts. 
with a long of 62 that turned into a touchdown. So like, you know, and, and he's able to field punts too. He's, you know, one of those guys. And I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but in Colorado, there's like a fear, I want to say, of returners catching the ball. Or at least I've expressed frustration with this at games where it's like you need to weigh fair catch. And you need to catch the ball where it's going to land because then it bounces and it rolls and tumbles into the five yard line. And I just don't think that you're going to really get those opportunities against Centauri to pin them against the wall because they have competent return men that, you know, can can catch it at the 18 rather than let it bounce and be scared of it all the way into the four yard line, which is going to make a huge difference throughout this entire set of playoffs. Simon, correct me if I'm wrong, but you got the Falcons advancing, right? Yeah, I have Centauri. <laughs> For all the same reasons you do and Mason and Anthony, it's, I mean, look, Peyton's not a bad team. I'm interested in seeing how, uh, Zach Cobb does against this offense specifically, but other than Cobb and Wes Hart and um, the other guy Howarth, you know, Peyton really doesn't have as many weapons. I would say as Centauri, because uh, also don't they have Baron Holman as well? Yeah. yeah, 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 and that he's a solid. He's a really good defensive player, in my opinion. Maybe the stats don't necessarily show it like he's an elite defensive player, but he's definitely up there. So I'm I'm picking Centauri. I don't think it will be close either. But yeah. Um, do we want to move on and talk about Strasburg versus Yuma? Do you mind if I talk about Strasburg first uh, and then you could talk about Yuma? Yeah, sounds good. And that should be fine because, uh, you know, you said the last game isn't going to be close. This game is going to be a close game, in my opinion. Yeah, this one's going to be close. I mean, we've talked about Strasburg um, a lot before. You know, we talked about them earlier on in this episode. Uh, they're not going to have Landon Martin going in, and so they're not going to have their, uh, you know, their starter or the guy that they had as their starter at the beginning of the season here. And that's a little tough because Strasburg did beat Yuma earlier on in the season but i'm pretty sure that was landon was um up there he, he was still in the lineup and so maybe this is a different game but you know they did be yuma 19 to 16 there so i'm just gonna throw that out there for now but guys to look out for uh i'm just gonna try to go over this pretty quickly caleb hart you know, even in the interview that I had with Matthias and uh, Landon, you know, that was the name that they dropped. They said he's a fantastic athlete, like period. And so there you go. He's another guy. Um, their star running back in place of Tristan Graff, I guess, replacing Tristan Graff from last year. Zach Marrero, 997 rushing yards, 13 rushing touchdowns. He is easily one of the best running backs in. Could you hear that? No, you cut out. It just said in. Okay, never mind. Um, it's because there's laundry going on outside my door. But okay. Um, but yeah, Zach Morero, he's one of the best running backs in the 1A division here in Colorado. You know, and so he is definitely a whole handful to take care of by himself. And then you know the Strasburg team, they have shown that they could pass it uh, at least a little bit here. You know. Like I said, they're on their second-string quarterback, but they have shown that they could get a little creative offensively. And so 
offensively, this team could definitely be a little bit of a handful. They could beat you a couple different ways. Uh, defensively, I want to talk about, you know, their tackle leader here, Matthias Brown. Uh, like I said, interviewed him before the season. He's a good dude. He's someone that definitely got to do a little film breakdown on him because he's had a pretty solid season for himself at linebacker. 81 total tackles on the year, seven tackles for loss. Um, and so he is kind of, he's like, a, I guess, Strasburg's version of Zach Cobb. But, you know, definitely better i would say a little faster bigger he's like 6'3 6'4 uh 200 pounds so he's a big dude out there you know and so also he has uh two interceptions on the year did not know that but two interceptions on the year as well as being the tackle leader for strasburg and so i would say those guys are the main guys to focus on but don't get it twisted. Strasburg has a lot of athletes. You know, they get really creative. They have a good coaching staff over there, um, and they find ways to, you know, get the ball to their athletes and just let them go to work. You know, and defensively, they also scheme pretty well. I would say as well. So this Strasburg team, you know, even though they did lose Landon Martin, and even before that, they lost a lot of seniors last year. You know, they're showing that, you know, they're just one of those teams that naturally has a lot of talent year by year. And this year's no different as they did finish as a seventh seed, uh, despite, you know, going through some pretty tough injuries this season. But Cody, do you want to go ahead and talk about Yuma here? Yeah, Yuma, I, I got to see them you know, live in person against this Wiggins team. And they have, you know, they have some pretty, pretty good players over there out in Yuma. And it starts and ends, well, doesn't end, but it starts with Clay Robinson, their quarterback slash running back. He's, you know, he takes the snaps and a lot of them are direct snaps. And boy, does he just specialize in getting to the edge. Oh my gosh. He's so fast was the biggest takeaway that I could get when I went and saw the Wiggins and Yuma game. It's just that Clay Robinson is a speed demon. I'm pretty sure that <clears throat> at the bare minimum, he's definitely set school records and I believe maybe even some state records on the 1A level in track for how fast he is. And I think that he's gotten some looks as a track star and for good reason. He's just super fast. And is their team's leading rusher with 1,388 yards and four touchdowns. This included a 330-yard effort against the Holyoke Dragons last week, who is a playoff team, by the way. So, you know, he's he's done it against really good teams. And he wasn't even too bad in this first Strasburg game. You know, he had 24 carries for 159 yards and a score in that first game. And he also went two for six for a touchdown in the game against Strasburg. So, you know, being responsible for the majority, if not all of the points for Yuma in that first Strasburg game, he's looking to have a very similar impact in this next one. And also in news that I've just received, you hear Trejo is going to be available for this playoff game. He did miss the last few weeks with injuries and, you know, they've got to be glad that he's ready to go for this playoff game because they their offense has not struggled, but it's definitely looked a little bit different without Yahir being able to lower his shoulder in between the tackles. He's pretty good about that. And then, you know, while Yahir was gone, they found kind of another threat out of their backfield 
in freshman running back Silas Bach, I believe is how you say that, who has kind of stepped into his own recently for this team. And then, you know, at receiver, you have John Smith, who has made a couple of plays this year and has 100 in 11 yards. Then you also have Jesus Ross, who's pretty fast. But I think that the most impressive receiver slash athlete is Damon Thornton. This year, he has nine receptions for 158 yards and a score. But he's also shown capability on special teams by having big returns. And he has forced turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. He flies all over the place and is a name that you are going to hear a lot in this Strasburg game who's making tackles. Out on the cornerback end of things, you also have John Smith, who will be defending the lead wide receiver for Strasburg at all times. And Kalen Blash, Blosh, Kalen Blosh, Blatch, I don't, I'm not sure how to say it, but he's their leading tackler for Yuma this year and will also be looking to make quite a few plays for this Yuma team. And then I don't know if they have their sacks list properly rated, but it says that, you know, their, their leading sack guy is Victor Perez with three sacks. And like I said, John Smith spearheading that secondary with five interceptions this year and seven pass deflections. So, you know, they can defend the pass pretty well. And I think that they're going to really make Caleb Hart work for it in this game. It's just a matter of if this defense can slow down that, you know, kind of three headed monster in the backfield of Strasburg. And, you know, speaking on that, Mason does not think that they will um, succeed in overcoming Yuma. And so he has Yuma beating Strasburg in this opening round. Simon, where does Anthony stand on this game? He rocks with Strasburg, just like I do. <laughs> uh, this should be a good game, but I think, I mean, you know, Yuma, I think they have an excellent athlete in clay over there, but. I feel like uh, Strasburg, they just have, I guess, more athletes. You know, I, I, that sounds maybe a little disrespectful. But look, they just have a lot of really good athletes there between Marrero, Hart, um, Matthias, you know, all them boys. Like, they have a lot of athletes over there. Let's just keep it real there. And so I don't think they're going to run away with it. And, you know, Strasburg has shown that they've struggled at times. You know, but I think both of these teams are very different uh, compared to their first matchup earlier in the season. They both have a little bit more experience and whatnot, especially the Strasburg team, I would say, uh, because, you know, they were kind of I mean, they had a lot of seniors last year. And so that didn't necessarily provide the most opportunities for all of these players to play this year. But now they have a couple regular season games up their belt. And, you know. I think Strasburg, they are playing at home. There's definitely a home field advantage there, them, you know, being in Strasburg and whatnot. And so that's why I am picking them to go ahead and beat Yuma. It won't be an easy game. This is going to be kind of a, a little bit of a slugfest, you know, and it, it could potentially be potentially a shootout, maybe, you know, between running backs here. But uh, we'll see. What about you, Cody? Man, I've been going back and forth on this game all day because, you know, I've seen both of these teams play and I was impressed by both these teams for different reasons. Like you said, 
Yuma, they have great athletes. Clay Robinson is just such a dog. And, you know, they almost beat Wiggins. They only lost because of a last second blocked field goal that, you know, I got to see. And they've lost some heartbreakers this year, including the likes to Ray, even a couple weeks ago where they lost 13 to 7. And, you know, this Strasburg game where they lost by three points. Strasburg, on the other hand, I also saw them. I saw them last week against Flatirons Academy. And, man, they put the flat in Flatirons Academy when they beat them 42 to 0. And just looked so dominant in every facet of the game. The defensive line was getting a massive shove every single play. They had plenty of backs to choose from to get the job done. I think that they have a bit more of a diverse playbook than Yuma does. Granted, we will probably see trick plays from both of these teams this Saturday. But it might be recency bias. I'm going to have to go with Strasburg on this one. Ooh, even no matter which one I said, I was going to feel uncomfy about it because this team, these teams are so close. And I think that this is going to be probably the game of the week on the 1A level, in my opinion. But I'm going to go with the majority here. And here at Playmakers Corner, we got a three to one vote along with Mile High Prep Report of Strasburg beating Yuma. Gosh, that game is going to be so close. Yeah, that'll be a tough one. Well, I guess Clay Robinson's just going to hate us <laughs> if they win. So we'll, um, we'll see. Well, to, to my guys out there at Yuma, who, who I met, this is just, just prove me wrong. I was going to say this to either team that I chose because I don't mind either of these teams, you know, no matter which way I picked. I don't mind either of these teams prove me wrong. They have a bunch of great athletes and great, you know, just dudes on the team who who are very pleasant to talk to and chat to uh, after the game. So that I think that's why it makes it so hard is because I've I've met both of these teams, too. Not only have I watched them, but I've met them and neither of them give me a reason to root against them. So. You know, I wish them the best of luck, and honestly, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to to that final score and looking forward to who makes it to the next round. Yeah, not that we actively root against any high school teams here, but uh, well, yeah, you know, let's let's no, let's let's move on, let's move on, let's move on. So not on this level, not on this level. All no. right, well then you could introduce one of these two teams here, so. <laughs> Go ahead, Cody. You you got it. You got it. All right. Well, at the very uh, far corner, quadrant four of this bracket in this first game, you have Meeker and Holyoke. This is going to be an exciting game with two of the best athletes in the entire state of Colorado squaring off and leaving it all on the line. We actually had a chance to interview one of them for Holyoke High School. And so I'm going to talk about them and what makes this program so special. And that is honestly the Sprague family is what makes this uh, program so special. You have at running back Miles Sprague this year. He tallied almost 100 carries for just over 500 yards and eight scores. But, you know, he's listed as an athlete on Rivals because 
he could do anything that you ask him to. He's a great running back. He's a great wide receiver. You know, five receiving touchdowns this year on 278 yards receiving. And, you know, he's a great linebacker as well. You know, he led the team in tackles with 75 total tackles. He also, you know, got himself at the backfield with three sacks and, you know, also contributed with two interceptions and four. Yeah, you heard it. Four caused fumbles. So he's a very strong guy. He works out with, you know, uh, McChesney there at six zero. So shout out to Dungeon Family there. And, you know, I know Miles would want us to shout that out as well. So he is just a dog in every facet of the of the game. And, you know, a D1 player hiding in, you know, this 1A Colorado football level that often gets horrendously overlooked. And he's joined in his efforts by his younger brother, who is a sophomore, Wyatt Sprague, who's actually the quarterback for this team. You know, he's had a pretty solid year throwing seven touchdowns to six interceptions, at least in the stats that we have access to. But it's really that he's tacked on another 383 yards on the ground, along with five touchdowns. I'm, you know, the athleticism runs runs deep in the genes of the Sprague family. And, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, once again, 61 tackles and another. He actually leads the team in interceptions with three interceptions for 106 return yards and one fumble recovery with 46 return yards. So these Sprague guys are just phenomenal athletes for this team. And that's not even to mention some of the other contributors that they have. Like on the defensive side of the ball, you have Kaizen, Kinney and Aiden Schaefer. You know, Aiden Schaefer being pretty big at 260 pounds on that defensive line. He's picked up five sacks this year. Kenny has is leading the team with six sacks currently. You have a lot of pass deflections on this team. You know, Wyatt with, you know, 19 pass breakups. Cash Weber or Weber with 13 pass breakups. And Cash also being a threat on the offensive side of the ball with, you know, being the second leading receiver with 218 yards as well as five touchdowns. So you have great rapport between the quarterbacks and running backs, you know, or quarterbacks and wide receivers, one pair of which are literally brothers. And then Cash Weber, who's just a great athlete. And last but not least, you also have Bryson Dirks here. You know, he's a sophomore, but he has been great on the defensive side of the ball with, a I think 14 pass breakups yeah 14 pass breakups as a sophomore and an interception to boot so you know this team is very tough against the pass and you know they're explosive on the offensive side of the ball anytime the Sprague brothers touch the ball it could be a long touchdown so you know that's that's just the forte for for this team and you know uh, what what the, what they do what it do Simon, tell us what it do for these meeker cowboys. I can't with you. Okay. But you well, can't. What it do? Meeker, Come on, Simon. Meeker went seven and two on the season, six and zero oh, league wise. Uh, look, there are only two losses on the season. First off, they had to play Lyman to open the season, so that's never good. But they lost to them 43-6, to so that's Lyman, though. And it was the first game of the season. Then they played Buena Vista and only lost. 17 to 14 in a pretty close one. So those are their only two games um, that they lost. That Buena Vista game is actually their closest game of the season period. So 
there you go. And so this team, they've been rolling for the most part. Um, let me talk about some of their wins here. They destroyed a playoff team in Gunnison 28-12. to well, Destroyed's a little harsh, but they beat them 28-12. to They beat another playoff team in North Fork 30-13. to um, And yeah, actually, that's pretty much it. And they've blown out the pretty much the rest of the teams on their schedule here. And a lot of that is thanks to their star, just football player, period. Counts and Turner on the season as a running back. He had 1,300 yards, uh, 1,377 rushing yards, and 21 rushing touchdowns. Uh, receiving wise, you know, he did a little bit here and there, only four receptions for 27 yards, though. And so that's his deal there. Um, defensively, he is the lead tackler on the squad, I'm pretty sure, with 73 total tackles on the year. Uh, notably, he had 16 tackles against Gunnison, uh, 14 against North Fork, and then 11 versus Buena Vista. And then at the beginning of the season, he had 17 total tackles against the linemen. And so he's a total dog. He's also their interception leader um, with two. You know, one against Hayden Camp and Buena Vista, and then the other one against Center. And so this kid, Kelton Turner, is everything that uh, he's everything that we thought he would be going into this season. He's an absolute star, definitely in the running for Playmaker of the Year. Okay, I, I'll talk about it here later. But definitely in the running here for Playmaker of the Year, just being able to do it all. You know, offensively, defensively, he's somebody that. I mean, you just got to look out for, you know, you just got to look out for this kid, number 22, because he's going to be a problem here uh, for any team. And he's shown that throughout this season. He's proven that already. Now, some other guys to look out for, uh, you know, I think at the beginning of the season, we talked about uh, Beaker's line just in general. That includes uh, Buzz Clatterball. He's only a sophomore, but, you know, he racked in a pretty solid 39 tackles. Uh, he also had two sacks on the year. And then Tanner Muser, he's one of their uh, defensive tackles in there as well. He had 15 tackles. Uh, Eskelson, actually, sorry, he was the leading tackler for this team, um, which is wild because he plays defensive tackle. But he had 82 tackles on the year. Um, and so, you know, this is definitely a very tough Meeker defense, especially led by those guys on that front seven. They're just doing their thing. And then whenever you have an elite athlete in uh, <clears throat> in Kelton Turner, that just, I mean, that's a perfect recipe there. But you know what? Let's go ahead and hop into predictions here. Cody, do you mind if I go first and uh, talk about Anthony's um, – well, yeah, I'll talk about Anthony's first, and then I'll let you talk about Mason's. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so Anthony, he has Meeker beating Holyoke. Um, yeah, yeah, he has Meeker beating Holyoke. Plain and simple. Do you want me well, to talk about my? Mason I, I'm not sure. I'm not gonna lie, but go on. Mason doesn't have. Meeker beating Holyoke. He's going with the upset here, taking number 11 Holyoke over number 6 Meeker. Where does that leave yep. you, Simon? Or do you want to talk? let me talk about mine first? Mm, okay, I'm not going to lie. I have a, a team written down here, but I'm definitely a little... 
I'm going back and forth. So you go ahead and say yours. All right. Let me give you my case for the Meeker Cowboys to win this football game. All right. And no disrespect to Holyoke. I, I love Miles Sprague and appreciate him coming on the show, by the way. So, like, you know, don't take this the wrong way. Please prove us wrong. That's what we want all these athletes to do. But, man, just looking at Holyoke's losses this year, they have progressively gotten worse and worse against the run in all these games. In their four losses this year, they've allowed 1,016 rushing yards. And, you know, that first loss against Florence, it was only 129 yards. Then you look at this loss to Ray, it was 143 yards with a five-yard per carry average. Against Lyman, they allowed 326 rushing yards with a 10-yard per carry average. And then in this Yuma game, Yuma ran for 418 yards, including Clay Robinson running for 311. And that recipe on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they beat Wiggins, right? And Wiggins is arguably a bit more of a passing team. They rely on Cole Kerr. That's where their secondary comes into play. This Meeker team is not a passing football team. And I think Kelton Turner, you know, 21 scores, averaging 10 yards per carry, just about 1,377 yards. I think that spells trouble for this Holyoke team and this defense that has been, you know, kind of, uh, they've struggled heavily with the run game and you know then then they have to pass the ball more and i think that plays into meeker's hands where it's like okay we're gonna drive down the field right and we're gonna boom gash you for eight boom gash for six we're gonna eat up five minutes on the clock six minutes on the clock per drive and you have to respond every drive if you even fall two scores behind that's right where this defense wants you to be for this meeker team Simon, you heard my pitch. You've talked to Miles Sprague, which is honestly the most enticing part of choosing Holyoke. It's just the attitude and, you know, how determined this Holyoke team is. They've been at this grind for a long time. They've experienced a lot of heartbreak and they've been patient. They've grinded this year. Do you think that that pluckiness is enough to overcome this Meeker team? You know what? I'm going to go ahead and actually stick with my pick here with Holyoke. I literally just typed out Meeker too. <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and pick Holyoke. But I'm going to I'm going to justify this just a little bit here. Uh Holyoke wins this game if they limit Kelton Turner to under 120 yards and less than 3 touchdowns. So that means he would have to two rushing touchdowns at most, you know? And then uh, I he'll probably get over a hundred yards, but other than that, you gotta it has to end there, you know. But I'm gonna go ahead and pick Holyoke. Holyoke is just one of those teams that could be, I would say, a little unpredictable, you know. <laughs> really unpredictable, if I'm being completely honest with you. You talked about their schedule and whatnot. <sighs> I mean, and they have some pretty bad losses. I'm not even gonna lie. But, you know, it's playoffs, and I'm going to trust that the Sprague brothers could I, – I mean, I'm going to trust that the Sprague brothers look different than regular season and whatnot, and they could actually turn it up a whole nother notch here uh, and uh, get, get some things done. And so I'm going to trust that for now. 
and I'm going to go ahead and pick Holyoke if they could hold Kelton Turner under um, what I just said there. Because he is the majority of their offense, and so they're going to need to commit to beating this dude and like meeting him at the line and gang tackling this guy because it's not going to be easy. But I think if there was a squad to do it, Holyoke, they could be a team that could potentially pull this upset, but it's not going to be easy. So there you go. Yeah, no, leave it there. I, I agree that they are going to have to get probably five hats on him every single time they want to bring him to the ground. I yeah, think that's a fair statement. Yeah, or, you know, Miles Sprague has like 25 tackles this game and like, five, I don't know, something crazy like that. He just goes one on one with Kelton Turner. That's the other thing I see. Yeah, that's that's what it will probably have to come down to. And, you know, Wyatt playing a clean game as well protecting the football but you know i i don't yeah. put it past holyoke i do believe in their experience more than anything they've been around the block every year miles has been there and you know Wyatt has had a chance to learn from miles experiences and you know it's a small town out there in holyoke everyone knows the story of holyoke including the holyoke players and you know they're they're ready to you know hopefully prove prove the doubters wrong is is their plan but I'm still going to go with Meeker. <laughs> but anyways, we're on our last game of the 1A football first round here. Let's just, I'm just going to jump into it and talk about the 14 seed Gunnison Cowboys. Wow, back-to-back Cowboy teams. And, you know, th- this is the second place team, I believe, from Meeker's league. And what ma- what makes them so special? So first off, Gunnison they're a football town just in general you know they they have the you know western out there who's by the way having a great season shout out to my old qb1 connor dash but anyways this team they they play rough and they play tough and it starts on the ground game with senior running backs you know in sam Buchanan? Buchanan, I want to say is how you say that. I'm going to say Buchanan. Just correct me if I'm wrong. And Caleb Vinson, who have ran for 468 and 395 yards, respectively, with Buchanan leading the backfield in eight touchdowns and Vincent contributing three. Then you also have the sophomore running back, Royce Urig, who has ran for another 149 yards and three scores. At the quarterback position, you have a junior who has kind of struggled this year throwing four interceptions and only a touchdown with sub 50% completion percentage in Rocky Marchatelli. I I think that's how you say it. But also these stats aren't fully updated either. A lot of them have four or five games listed and they've played a little bit more. But anyways, Buchanan and Vincent also lead the defensive side of the ball in tackles as well. And Vincent, in only five games played listed here, collected six sacks and, whoa, whoa. Okay, Michael Reiser here at cornerback. At least that's that's what's listed. I don't know because I've torn into Max Preps before, but it says that he has nine interceptions in five games. And that's exactly what they'll need in order to beat this Buena Vista team. And in notable games this year, Gunnison has lost to Meeker 28-12, which is 
It's not close, but it's not too bad. It's the North Fork game that's really concerning that they just lost right before playoffs, 42-6. to But they do sport a 7-2 record heading into this matchup. Simon, would you please explain why the Buena Vista Demons are favored in this game? Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, so look. Here's the thing about Buena Vista. They've had a little bit of a trial by fire here. Uh, they've beaten some pretty solid teams here, including Meeker, you know, 17 to 14. They beat North Fork 28-21. Um, they beat Florence. That was a pretty key game, 20 to 14. Um, they also beat Payton and Banning Lewis earlier in the season. And so this, you know, this football team is talented. And we, oh my gosh, excuse me. And we knew that. Um, they have a lot of weapons here, and honestly, they really haven't, at least in my opinion, like unleashed one of these uh, quite yet. Or if they did, they, they just didn't have a great season. Um, but or sorry, a great season. They didn't. Ju- they just didn't have a great game. And so I feel like you know, Buena Vista, they're just a extremely stacked squad. I'm just gonna start naming names here. The quarterback Hayden Camp, you know, uh, he is also their leading rusher with like 954 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns on the season. Also has thrown 731 um, passing yards, not not as much as I thought he would, and has thrown seven touchdowns to five interceptions a little high on the interception side but there's definitely there are definitely a lot of times just watching them play where they would you know run the ball instead of passing it in the in the end zone or red zone there so you know there you go uh jacob phelps we talked about him earlier he's only a junior he has 500 uh, just like hayden camp but he has 570 rushing yards on the year 13 rushing touchdowns he is extremely explosive uh i honestly for Jacob Phelps, I don't believe they've given him over 20 rushes in any game, which is wild because I would, you know, I would think you'd do that. Actually, they haven't given him, they haven't given him over 10 rushes in any game this season, which is absolutely wild. The most uh, carries he had in a game was against Florence, only had 10 for 25 yards, which is you know, make what you want with that. But he also is a pat or a receiving threat as well, uh, getting 286 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns on the year to go with his 13 rushing touchdowns and 570 rushing yards. But, you know, Jacob Phelps, he is definitely a dog. He is somebody who could easily be, you know, the next best running back in 1A here uh, after all these seniors retire. But he's definitely up there. He's somebody who could be a workhorse. And, you know, if you give him a crease, he could he could house it potentially, you know, just looking at uh, what he's been doing. And then obviously you got Tucker Storms um, plays receiver defense as a receiver. Uh, oh, my God. Give me one second. Oh, I'm dying. Oh. Okay. Jesus, man. Sorry. As a receiver, though, um, even though he's really not like a receiver, he's more of a safety for sure. But he has 233 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns. That's good enough to be second on the team as a receiver, at least as far as receiving yards go. And then defensively, this is definitely probably more of their strong suit. You know, you got Ethan Flavin. He's up there. Phelps, he plays both sides. Uh, Tam Flowers, he's out there. Tucker Storms, like I said. Um, Hayden Camp, he plays a little bit of defense. Not, not 
nothing too crazy though but he's out there sometimes as well uh seth moss he's their leading tackler 65 total tackles on the year four and a half tackles for losses you know um this is a very solid defensive squad here i wouldn't say like i don't know i wouldn't say like elite but they're very well coached and so you know they make do with all the athletes they have there and they have a lot of good athletes just as many good athletes on offense as they do on defense there is a reason that this Buena Vista team is ranked number three in the state and arguably some may argue that they're better than Centauri and they're number two in the state but regardless they are number three right now um on the backs of a whole bunch of athletes you know and honestly i feel like they haven't really unlocked their potential yet played to their highest potential yet except for a handful of games um earlier on in the season against teams that just aren't as good as um you know these playoff teams here so yeah but um i mean let's keep it simple here i think pretty much all of us picked buena vista anthony picked buena vista I'm picking Buena Vista. Cody, I assume you're picking Buena Vista. Yeah, I'm not sure what Mason's thinking about taking. Mason uh, picked Gunnison. Taking Gunnison. Um, so just take it up with his DMs. Um, Mason said, I do not like the city of Buena Vista. <laughs> Maybe you did that. I don't know. I don't know about his Buena Vista adventures, but I will be taking Buena Vista. I was really high on them yeah. in the preseason. And they have more than lived up to my expectations. I will own up, and I, I did say that they were going to lose to Florence, and they didn't because, you know, they're just different like that. And they, they win these close games all the time, and I think that that has prepared them very well for maybe not this game against Gunnison, or at least this one probably shouldn't be close, but it's prepared them very well for the playoffs, so... Yeah, uh, if anything, I'm just going to throw this out there. They've had played some teams a little bit closer than I'd like them to. Than they should have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is a pretty a pretty young squad. Hayden Camp, uh, Jacob Phelps, He's they're both juniors. I think Tucker Storms and Seth Moss, those are the two, maybe not lone seniors, but those are the two seniors on the squad. And the, the majority are pretty much juniors or underclassmen here. They don't exactly have a lot of seniors, but this is just a very like talented squad that has been coming together throughout the season. Um, so that's the only thing I would say, you know, they've played some closer games than they needed to. But, I mean, the talent's undeniable. So... Yeah, that's uh, pretty much it, actually, for 1A. That, right, Cody? that will wrap up our 1A first round predictions. Once again, please make sure that you read Mile High Prep Reports predictions and reasoning coming out either Thursday or Friday for the 1A level. And coming up next, we will talk 2A. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Simon Villanos. Joined with me is Cody Stauffer here. We're going to continue our playoff preview and talk about two-way football. We still have Mason's um, picks here, as well as our guy Anthony Garcia from Mile High Prep Report. We have his picks for this two-way level as well. So let's go ahead and jump into it. 
Um, we're gonna we're going off of the max preps bracket, by the way, and so we're gonna go. We're, oh my god, blah 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 blah. We are going to start at the top of this bracket, and then we're gonna go down. So if you want to follow us, um, you know, go ahead and pull up that max preps Chassa class two way playoff bracket. But it goes we'll go down. ahead and talk. What? It goes down. Yeah, let me go ahead and talk about uh, Eden here. Look, they have slaughtered every single, almost every single team they've played against, with the exception of two close games versus Resurrection Christian. Remember, that was a 10 to 6 game. And University, that was a 27 to 20 game. Uh, University actually having the only fourth quarter lead over Eden at, um, at all this season. So. There you go. You know, Eden, they've really been dominating on the backs of their tough defense, uh, led by Morgan Trebet, Ryder True, Ryan Dirksen, uh, Flores. He plays both sides of the ball. Ethan Flores, so he's in there as well at corner. Um, just all the guys, you know. And then obviously their monster line. Uh, shout out to Lucas Cass, the Lawrence brothers. You know, they're extremely stacked on defense oh my bad dirk duncan and broken bar my 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 students my former students out there as well so you know they have a lot of guys on this defense that have just been killing it as expected you know we knew this eden defense was going to put a whooping on a lot of these teams there's only one team actually this season that has scored double digit points on them and that is university the rest of them, Sterling, zero points. Elizabeth, seven points. Platte Valley, zero points. Faith Christian, seven points. The Academy, which um, just barely missed the playoffs, uh, six points. Res, six points. University, 20. And then Severance, zero. Oh, and then Berthold, uh, seven. So this defense oh, has been Oh, my God, it's Berthold. Okay, whatever, bro. But this Eden defense is... No doubt the best defense in two-way. Probably one of the best defenses in Colorado, period. Um, and then, knowing that they have a great offense, Ethan Flores, we knew he was a star. I've seen him in person three times now, and he killed it all three times, especially in that first game. He was going crazy. And so, you know, they've definitely managed his carries a little bit more as the season went on, giving carries to Ryan Dirksen, Ryder True, uh, those guys kind of being more of the power backs while uh, Flores is your speed guy there. And then, you know, shout out to Walker Martin, their quarterback as well. He has kind of given Eden a whole new fold as if, you know, Eden needed to be any more stacked, but has given Eden a whole new fold and has shown that he could be a championship winning quarterback, making big plays when he needed to against university, even though there were some uh, plays that weren't necessarily scripted and the play kind of broke apart. He showed that he could improvise and make the plays needed to, to win and get the first down and win against tougher teams and defenses. And that's exactly what he did versus university. Uh, one of the tougher offensive teams out there. And so, you know, you throw him in there, you throw in their tight end Tate Smith, by the way, who's like six, five, six, five, six, six, two twenty. 
he against uh, Severance was like killing them on slants and crossing routes, you know, just being a big body out there. Also on some sideline plays, he was able to snag some very high passes and just getting in bounds and just being kind of a jump ball guy there. Uh, you have Zach Grable at receiver who showed out in that Sterling game and throughout the season being a great receiver, somebody who's dangerous after the catch and has shown that he can moss some guys as well. And so, you know, that's Eden. They are the one seed for the reason, undisputed. They've put a whooping on every single team. There's really no surprises here, Cody. Um, but, you know, that's just Eden. Also, shout out to uh, Walker and Tate for both committing to uh, some D1 baseball teams. Walker, he's going to Arkansas. And Tate, he is, or yeah, Tate, he's going to Oklahoma State. So, uh, big shout out to them. I think they're one of maybe three or four at least football well i don't know i, I don't want to say that but they're one of a few uh you know two-way athletes going to a division one school shout out to kate palmer over at tca he's going d1 as well so yeah cody do you have any comments or uh do you want to talk about kent denver here the there's not a whole lot to say about here there's not a whole lot to say about eaton uh, I will put some I will shout out some guys over here on this, you know, this Kent Denver team. Michael Redmond, he's had a pretty solid season at quarterback. He needs to complete his passes a little bit more. But, you know, he's thrown more TDs, seven to only four interceptions. And he's added another two scores on the ground. But really, I think the guy to talk about here and, you know, probably the number one guy that Eaton is circling is Finn Cooper, the running back here for Ken Denver, who averages 7.6 yards per carry and has gotten over just over a thousand yards this year and tacked on another 13 touchdowns. He's been really solid this year and, you know, he's, he's just a really good athlete. And if Ken Denver wants any chance in this game, it's going to be have to be it's going to have to come from Phil Cooper not really anyone else. On the defensive side of the ball, there's some okay players here. You have Nicholas Drexler-Bruce here, who leads the team in 13 tackles for loss and also leads the team with five sacks, causing losses of over 30 yards combined. Then you also have Jackson Nutter here, who has eight tackles for loss, as, as well as Pratt over here, who is a senior and oh that's owen pratt and i believe it's ryan yates who also has another eight tackles for loss but this is a very senior heavy defense they've been around the block they kind of know the ropes and know and well they know that they have a handful coming at them in this with this eaton team but overall their defense has been pretty stout this year they've forced like 17 turnovers which is pretty dang good all things considered I do have a little bit of concern for this team following their league title losing loss to Elizabeth High School and something that wasn't very close. They lost 40 to six and, you know, in their other games against playoff teams from the Patriot League actually included losing to the Academy 42 to 21 and losing to University 31 to 12. But they did beat Manuel, who is a team that I thought should have made the playoffs 26. But that was a 1A team. So Kent Denver, you know, they benefit a little bit from playing in one of the weaker leagues in Colorado. 
that's top heavy between them and Elizabeth, who also benefited from playing against weaker competition. But, you know, I just think that that's this order will be too tall and I'm going to have to echo Mason's sentiment and pick Eaton with him for all the reasons you listed, Simon. And if you want to explain your pick, which I think I can guess who it is, and Anthony's pick, which I think I could also guess. <laughs> yeah, Eden's very much like Lyman um, until a team. Well, uh, OK, maybe they've shown they could be a little bit more, you know, they could be exposed a little bit more they've had some closer games in Lyman for sure but Eden yeah they're they're my pick they're Anthony's pick uh we've talked Anthony and, uh, and uh, I can't talk Anthony and I have talked about Eden uh throughout this season I know you and I have obviously I know a lot of those boys have connections there it's not just favoritism trust me they they make a point of beating up like physically beating you up every single football game and they enjoy it. They, they, they definitely enjoy it. And they enjoy making statements as they did against Sterling. And then as they did again, when I came back and they played severance on senior night. And so I look, no disrespect to Ken Denver. I'd be surprised if Eden doesn't win by at least 30. So yeah. Yeah. As someone who, who saw Eaton against Sterling. Simon is not playing favorites. This team is just straight up insane. So, and yeah. they were our preseason pick to win 2A, and they still have a very strong case to do so right now. But, yeah, proud of Eaton, but uh, they're not going to face any problems, at least this round or next round probably, or the round after that. But, uh, you know, speaking of the next round, Cody, do you want to talk uh, Bayfield Elizabeth? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll, I'll start by uh, talking Bayfield. You know, I did the South uh, Southwestern conference preview and Bayfield came out victorious. And I'm going to talk about, you know, I talked about some other guys on the last segment, but I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on what makes Bayfield such a solid program here at the eighth seed. And, you know, they have senior quarterback, Isaac Ross. He's had a pretty solid year, I'd say completing 63% of his passes, which is really damn good for high school football, especially on the 2A level that's not very pass heavy, I'd say. You know, they found a lot of success through the air. He's thrown 19 scores to only six interceptions, and he's tacked on another two rushing touchdowns and 170 yards on the ground. Then you also have in that backfield, Kale Schaefer, who's ran the ball 102 times for 152 yards and 12 scores. But I think that one of the Real players to look out here is just athlete Deegan Barnes. You know, his stats don't tell the whole tale of just how important he has been to this Bayfield team. You know, he's caught for two touchdowns, 312 yards on 28 receptions. He's also contributed 27 carries for 140 yards and three scores. So, you know, he basically has the same amount of carries as he does to you know, receptions. And I think that makes him really dangerous out of the backfield and somebody that, you know, you're going to have to find a really athletic linebacker to try and counter whenever he comes out of the backfield or when he lines up in the slot. He's a do it all kind of guy who has been, you know, the answer for this Bayfield team in a lot of very tough situations. And he doesn't even lead the, the team in either of those categories is the crazy thing. He's just really good at both. 
You have William Sullivan, who actually leads this team in receptions with 35 to the tune of 354 yards and two touchdowns. And you also have Nicholas, I want to say Twett, who has almost 400 yards on the season and two scores. But I think the very impressive part about this team is how you know, they're able to spread the ball out so much. And that's a testament to their offensive coordinator and obviously their quarterback as well. I mean, they have, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six different receivers who've all caught over two touchdowns and they all have over 180 yards. So the 1,845 yards that Isaac Ross has is really spread out. And you can't just focus on one guy to you know to try and slow this entire team down so you know they just have a lot of weapons like i said deegan barnes is a do-it-all guy he's also a returner so is kale schaefer and so just their offense is a pick your poison kind of offense that is going to help this team in this opening round as for the defensive side of the ball you have kobe Pryor, who led the team with 68 tackles deegan barnes and kale schaefer were next at three and two with 49 and 44. And then you also have a sophomore in Candelaria who contributed another 41 tackles prior led the team in tackles for loss with six and Schaefer led the team. Well, was second in the team in tackles for loss with two. Then you have number 77, Andrew Peacock, who is leading this team with seven sacks. Kobe Pryor is next up on that list with five. And then as for interceptions, what do you know? Deegan Barnes finds his way on this side of the ball again, or finds his name being mentioned with five interceptions for 85 return yards. He also has a fumble recovery on the season. Then you have Isaac Ross, who has four interceptions himself, you know, trying to use that quarterback on the defensive side of the ball kind of strategy on, you know, he plays quarterback on offense. He's also the quarterback of this defense, which is very common. And, you know, has forced four interceptions himself, including two in the very last game of the year. Talking about their schedule, I mentioned it in the first segment. Their only loss this year was to a team in Utah, San Juan, who, as I mentioned, has gone, you know, has gone 10 and one this regular season. And, you know, that was a, a tough one to start the season. But after that, they have taken care of business against basically every team. The second best team in their league, Alamosa, they beat them 28 to zero. They destroyed Salida, destroyed Pagosa, destroyed Montezuma Cortez, destroyed Lahana. Like none of their games were decided by less than 10 points or, or even within 10 points. Their closest game all year, I'm pretty sure, was their home opener against Inglewood that they won 26 to 13. So... They have they're they're good and they're super athletic. I think that's the thing with this Bayfield team to keep an eye on is that they just have insane athletes anywhere you turn. Simon, you want to tell us a little bit about the Elizabeth Cardinals, the league winning Elizabeth Cardinals, I might add. Yeah, so let me go ahead and jump into this. So this Elizabeth team. Um, they, their offense is definitely more of a running offense. This offense is led by their three headed monster, starting with the quarterback, Jason Weber. Um, not great passing stats at all. Actually pretty inefficient here, but we'll talk about that later. 
But, uh, you know, not too bad. 625 passing yards, six passing touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's only a junior, by the way. And then you have Jace Perez. He is one of their running backs. He has 633 rushing yards and nine touchdowns. And then the other guy is Connolly, uh, 656 rushing yards and 11 rushing touchdowns. That's kind of the bread and butter. They try to run the ball here. Uh, definitely, you know, have tried to pass it, but... Not extremely efficient, as you could see by the stats there. And so they're definitely a much more of a running team. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, they're led by uh, Connolly's older brother, Ryan Connolly. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm pretty sure I am. But he has 76 total tackles, averaging about eight tackles a game. He also has seven tackles for losses on the season. You know, and he's definitely... I mean, it's very obvious that he is their lead tackler. There isn't anybody within almost 30 tackles of him, which is wild. The next guy up is uh, this kid here, Ranslin, Alex Ranslin. Um, he has 36 tackles on the year. 12 tackles for losses does lead the team uh, there. And then the lead interception leader is Jace Perez. Well, he's tied with um, the, oh my gosh, the sophomore, his fellow uh, running, oh my gosh, what's the name, what's the name for it? Backfield, backfield, sorry. He's tied with his fellow backfield teammate, Cooper Connolly, with three interceptions. Each of them got three. And so, you know, not too bad, but they have some athletes here. If I'm going to be completely honest, though, I am definitely concerned about their strength of schedule and some of these wins on the record, if I'm being completely honest here. Um, not really a lot of strong wins over great teams. I mean, you have... They beat Ken Denver 40-6, to but, I mean, you know, they're the 16th seed, so there you go. Um, they had a really bad draw where they had to play Eden and then TCA the in consecutive weeks. Lost to Eden 31-7, lost to TCA 42-13. TCA to And then other than that, they've pretty much coasted, and so... Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Definitely really nervous about this Elizabeth team. I mean, they've been able to put up numbers and win against some of these other squads. Uh, pretty much all of them blowouts, except for Burlington. That was a 14-6 to win. But other than that, the rest of these are blowouts. And so definitely kind of have a lot of doubt here. Uh, Cody, do you mind if I say my prediction here at Anthony's? Nope. Uh, actually, you know, I do mind, actually. I, I want to be the first okay. to say that Bayfield is going to win this game. Well, yeah, Bayfield's going to win this game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, That's all. I, win. Just, I, I had to say it first. That's all. Mason agreed with me. Okay. Uh, now, now you can go ahead. <laughs> so we're all, we all agree that Bayfield's going to beat Elizabeth. I think, uh, I don't know. Bayfield is eight, Elizabeth is nine, but I feel like those rankings aren't exactly... Mm, like accurate because I feel like Bayfield has played some harder competition. So that's just kind of where I'm at. I'm sure that's where the rest of us are at as well. I believe in Bayfield a lot more than Elizabeth. Elizabeth just really hasn't played and beaten like any quality opponents. So yeah, I don't, they haven't the only, okay. The only playoff team that they did beat was Kent Denver. So 
I mean, thoughts... and I'd argue that Alamosa is better than Ken Denver if we're going league for league. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for Cause, sure. Because both of these teams, or at least between Alamosa and Bayfield, they both have pretty decent size on their O line too, as another thing to consider. And I just don't think Elizabeth can really match the. I want to say can't match the size, but not necessarily like the skill of of the line and can't combat the skill that Bayfield has just at a plethora of positions like Bayfield has just a lot of, you know, like seven out of ten ratings at, at a variety of positions. And they just don't have the secondary, I don't think, to stop Bayfield or the passing game to keep up at that rate. So. No, the quarterback threw three or sorry, seven interceptions and six touchdowns on the season. So that's definitely a shaky spot there. I don't think that's exactly a passing game you could rely on. So, yeah, Bayfield, they're our uh, predicted winner to go on and eventually play Eden, right? Yes, sir. Fortunately, yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to this next game, Cody. Do you mind if I start talking about Delta here first? Yeah, you can go ahead and talk about Delta. Leave Alamosa to me. Southwest represent. Yep. So let me go ahead and talk about Delta here. Uh, so Delta, uh, I'm not even going to lie. They did better than I thought they would. Uh, they're the four seed, obviously. Um, which is pretty high. They went eight and one, having a pretty good season. Their only loss was the Palisade, which is a three A team. Um, one of the, I feel like they're one of the top three A teams as well. Wait. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. 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 And so they only lost to them twenty eight to ten. The rest of these, I mean, they have some pretty quality wins as far as the season goes. Uh, well, let me go ahead and talk about it. I mean, you know, they beat. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. They go ahead and beat Salida. They beat Summit. Uh, both of those are basically blowouts, along with Montezuma Cortez, Cole, Cole Ridge, Aspen. So their first couple games are definitely blowouts here. They beat Basalt by a lot, 42-14, to 14, which is wild. I didn't think they would come down to that. That was nuts. Um, yeah, and they beat a really tough Moffitt County, 17-14. to 14. That's a good win. And then they beat Rifle, which isn't a bad team, um, 35-7. to 7. And so, you know, this Delta team, they're kind of rolling here. And, uh, look, I think th- this was a squad that had that one quarterback that started last year. Uh, Skarn, Skarnhorst? Horst, right? Nathan Skarnhorst? Yes. Yeah. And I think we predicted him originally to be kind of like that guy and whatnot be the quarterback for this team moving forward but freshman number seven ty reed has really emerged here and not only has he like you know emerged as a freshman uh playing like not terrible but he's been playing very very good you know let me go ahead and read off his stats here so on the season he has thrown for 839 passing yards 12 passing touchdowns and only three interceptions as far as completion rating go, he has a 54.8 completion rating, so not bad at all. Uh, on the ground, though, he has put in some work as well. On 37 carries, he has 269 rushing yards and 14 rushing touchdowns. He actually leads this team in rushing touchdowns, which is like absolutely wild, um, considering he is still just a freshman quarterback. 
but the running back horn here he has well he broke a thousand rushing yards so he has a thousand thirty four but he has eight rushing touchdowns on the season as well and so they have a nice little thing going rushing wise between those two but also passing wise he's shown that he could be a pretty efficient passer here uh spreading spreading out the ball for the most part his leading receiver is goff uh, <coughs> excuse me is goff uh he has 253 receiving yards and three touchdowns receiving touchdowns on the year but galegos he's also there with three receiving touchdowns 188 receiving yards so nothing too crazy but the delta has definitely shown that they could pass the ball i would probably say their offense is like their strong suit here you know um they definitely thrive off of outscoring their offenses or other offenses and uh they do a good job at that but i'm go ahead and talk about the defensive side of the ball uh goff once again hunter goff sorry uh he is also a very big contributor on the defensive side of the ball he is their lead tackler with 83 total tackles on the year averaging about nine tackles a game he is a linebacker so i assume he's probably one of the leaders of this squad and then uh sandridge hold up sandridge sorry clay sandridge here that's an ironic name clay sandwich here he has 54 total tackles on the year as well and so this team they do a good job of flowing to the ball and whatnot i've seen some of their film and you know they're i i wouldn't say they're like uh like an elite like eden level defense but they're gonna give a lot of teams trouble trouble here and you know do their thing and then uh, I think there's only one other person I really want to shout out here, and it's this junior uh, lineman, Easton Bayer? Bayer? B-A-I-E-R. I apologize if I'm saying that wrong, but he has six sacks on the year in a hurry. And so this Delta team has surprised a lot, uh, at least personally me as well. You know, And so they're looking really strong going into the playoffs here with a really solid, efficient offense, which is really important. There are not a lot of turnovers, you know, not a lot of mistakes that they're making there. But defensively, you know, playing uh, – I'm, well, I mean, look at the games that they played this season, holding some of these teams to some, uh, you know, pretty low scores here. Uh, looking at Palisade, only scoring 28, which is a very good team, by the way. But Saul only scoring 14, Moffitt County only scoring 14. So this defense has been doing its job and doing a good thing while the offense is just uh, thriving throughout this season, even if it is a young offense. So, yeah. But, uh, Cody, do you have any comments slash do you want to – take it away and talk about alamosa here i'm gonna jump in and talk about the alamosa mean moose gosh i love that name for this team but anyways you know the alamosa mean moose here they have you know been another team that's had a huge turnaround this past year going six and three you know as opposed to last year i don't even know if they won three games much less um you know much much less six so alamosa here they have a couple of dudes i'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball and talk about hayden shawcroft you know he has 49 tackles but he leads this team in tackles for loss with nine and he also leads this team in sacks with five then you also have contributing in tackles mr ramirez who is number 15 Donovan here has 73 total tackles this year, which is almost double the next guy in line. So he flies from sideline to sideline here. 
Then you have a Cade Jones, who I'll talk about on the offensive side, who leads the team with three interceptions as well as three pass deflections and a fumble recovery as well. Other contributors in this secondary include, like I said, Cade Jones with three pass deflections, sophomore Brant Jackson, who has three pass deflections. And so, you know, this team is a very interesting balance of sophomore and you know junior senior they 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 get contributors from all class levels which is very interesting because jackson that sophomore also has four sacks and is second on the team in sacks then you jump over to the offensive side of the ball and you have quarterback casey jones who is a junior who has thrown for 1405 yards with 18 touchdowns to just five interceptions and on the receiving end of that, for the most part, is junior Cade Jones, number nine, who has been a menace for opposing defenses with 48 receptions, uh, 896 yards and 10 touchdowns on the year. He has just been, you know, impossible to cover. And it's easy to see why he plays his height is 6'3", and he plays at 6'3", if that makes sense. Then you also have Evan Sewards, who is another six foot wide receiver for this alamosa offense who has caught five touchdowns this year and 412 yards so casey jones has had quite the benefit of throwing to just some big bodies on that offensive side of the ball and then out of the backfield you know he's gotten great contributions from dante gonzalez jr he has nine touchdowns and 532 rushing yards on the year and Dawson Honeycutt has been kind of a, you know, point where I need to go and I'll play kind of guy. He filled in for a little bit at quarterback, throwing for 478 yards, six scores and three picks on 60 percent completion percentage out of the backfield. He has 156 rushing yards and a score. And on the defensive side of the ball, he also has two interceptions. So, you know, I, I talked about this team at the beginning of the year and I. I'm very pleased with their turnaround as well as, you know, some of their victories, you know, in notable games this year, they did struggle against TCA in the season opener 38 to 13. That's obviously going to be a rough opener for basically anyone in the state. They beat, you know, just a one, a team in Monte Vista, pretty dominantly 32, 14. They beat La Junta 42, six Manitou Springs is the one where I started to pay attention to them. Because I was just surprised at the margin of victory that they got over Manitou Springs, who was the defending champs. Simon talked about how Manitou is in a rebuild year earlier this episode. So when you think about it that way, it's it's a little bit more obvious. But 48 to 0 is still a heck of a score, especially against a defending state champ. Pagosa Springs is, you know, their division winner last year. They beat them 28 to 6. And they are they lost to Bayfield 28 to zero, which is obviously cause for concern before beating Montezuma Cortez in league and Salida, who is, you know, it has a pretty good. Salida is a contender for worst team in Colorado, and I wasn't I felt pretty good about Alamosa until their last loss to Lamar which I'm still a little confused about, but they allowed Lamar to score off of two turnovers being a pick six and a fumble return for a touchdown. 
And that brings me into the areas that I think need to be addressed for this Alamosa team if they are going to find success against Delta. And plain and simple, they have got to stop turning the ball over. I mean, shoot, five interceptions. It's not the worst, but it's definitely not the best. And, you know, I don't think that they have all the fumbles from Casey Jones listed on here either. You know, so this is a team that, if they if they're gonna win, they need to clean up the mistakes. Obviously, seeing Casey Jones come back from injury and only complete 45% of his passes makes me wonder if he is healthy and ready to go for this opening playoff team in Delta that is one of the best in the state. And so, I know how that makes me feel. And we're gonna jump into you know that the way Mason looks at it between obviously how dominant Delta is and just the way Alamosa has been playing played their last game really Alamosa is not favored to win for Mason Mason is taking Delta in this matchup and I'm going to echo his sentiment but I'm going to allow Simon to explain Anthony and his logic for this game well we're all picking Delta aren't we <laughs> yeah I believe so 4-0 okay. for, for Delta here yeah look Delta They've always been a pretty well-ran program and whatnot, even if some of us thought this year would be maybe a little bit more of a rebuilding year. Um, you know, they've shown that they're still one of those teams, a team to look out for, you know. And uh, uh, like I said, they just play a very clean game offensively. I feel like they're more balanced than some other teams around the state, you know. And, I, I mean, it's going to take a lot to beat Delta because offensively, you know, if the defense is not playing good, which, like I said, they usually do each game as they've shown this regular season. And offensively, I mean, they're good for 40 points any night, if, I, if I'm being honest with you. This is a very explosive offense here. And so, I mean, I'm sure that's why Anthony picked Delta. I mean, I also like Ty Reed, the quarterback for Delta. And for me, even if he is a freshman, he's a very acceptable exceptional freshman and somebody that you know i feel like could win some playoff games here as as the newcomer here so um yeah i mean i feel like it's pretty obvious there uh he also allows them to be balanced as well by having a quarterback you know that could do what reed does he allows them to be balanced so that's where i'm at with delta i feel like that's where we're all at with delta compared to alamosa yes <laughs> all right i, I think well, that's, that's a good enough transition as any to talk about the bulldogs versus the bulldogs moffitt county university do you want to get this one started talk moffitt county and then i could take university yeah 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 yeah. so talking about moffitt county here like i said we have uh we got some dogs going on it this saturday at one o'clock where, you know, Moffat County is going to try and ride on the heels of Evan Atkin, one of the best athletes in the entire state of Colorado on any level, who has been just absolutely unstoppable out of this backfield. He's ran for 1,256 yards. He's caught for 336 yards for a total of 31 touchdowns, 28 of those being rushing. He's ran for over 100 yards in seven games. And out of that same backfield, you also have an Ethan Hafey, Hafey, I want to say, who's ran for 328 yards and two scores. And then also delivering the ball to 
Evan Atkin and Ethan Hafey for their 336 and 250 yards receiving respectfully. You have Ryan Peck, the quarterback, who's had himself a pretty decent year. You know, he's almost he almost threw for a thousand yards, but what he didn't do in passing, he added on in rushing with another 199 yards rushing and five scores. And then in the passing game, he threw for another 12 scores. The only concerning part is that his TD to INT ratio was only two to one since he threw six interceptions this year. But they, like I said, they have some great athletes between Evan and Ethan there. You also have Carson Miller, who is a wide receiver here, who's caught 186 yards worth of passes and three scores. And then you have Logan Hafey here who I don't know if he is related to Ethan. They'd have to be like twins because it says that they're both seniors. But he is a six foot two tight end who is a nice little security blanket for Ryan. So they have a couple of different weapons to catch the ball for sure. And, you know, their backfield with Evan Atkin is just very special. The story on defense is much of the same names. You know, I mean, you do have Evan Atkin who had two interceptions this year but Ethan Hafey is really the difference maker on the defensive side of the ball he has 54 tackles 10 for loss he leads this unit in sacks with seven and a half his there's another Hafey here Ian Hafey who is a I believe he's a D lineman for this Moffat County team and he's second in the team in sacks so this Hafey family if they're a family if they're not then this group of people coincidentally all with the last name Hafey has contributed to 14 of this team's 27 total sacks on the season Ryan Peck pecking in another three on that number and nine and a half tackles for loss for Ryan Peck as well Ian Hafey with eight and a half and then on the defense in the secondary, I should say there is a new name here, and that is Court Murphy, who leads the team with five interceptions for uh for 74 return yards. This unit, this defensive and special teams unit, I should might add, is has been destructive this year. They have four blocked punts on, you know, the special teams side of the ball. They've forced like 10 fumbles. They've intercepted over 10 passes. Their defense has just been a turnover machine this year. And, you know, in notable games this year, they blew out Northfield 42 to nothing. They blew out Steamboat Springs 50 to nothing. They blew out Rollins, who's a Wyoming team, 42 to seven. And, you know, Steamboat Springs is a potential playoff team. Northfield is a playoff team. They also beat Kennedy 51 to 15 and holding Isaac Cisneros in that offense to 15 points is an achievement in and of itself. One of the other top teams in 2A, in my opinion, who we talked about in the preview in Basalt, they beat 19 to 6. They beat the defending spring champs in Rifle 46 to 13. They just they put 62 on Aspen, which is wild and another 51 on Coleridge. The only game that they didn't win all season was to Delta 17 to 14. And man, if they get a chance, they would really love to rematch them. But let's hear about the other Bulldogs up there in the Patriot League. Simon, if you would. 
Yeah, let's talk about university here. So, did get the opportunity to go to that university versus Eden game. That was one of the more sensational games of the year, actually. Uh, like I said, or like we said, where uh, university had the first ever lead over Eden and going into the fourth quarter in probably in over a year or so. And so, that was a pretty big deal. This university team may be 5-4, and four, but they are much better than their record. And they, they're a team that teams should be scared of. I'm just going to be c- completely honest there. They're a team that uh, teams should be scared of. Let me go ahead and talk about the losses on the season. I don't think they're that crazy. So they lost to 3A Eagle Valley 38-30 to in double overtime. Um, that was just a tough loss. You know, Eagle Valley uh, themselves, they've had some tough losses on the 3A level, but they're not a bad squad by any means. And so, you know, that's that's a tough one for them to take. Then they have a then they play sorry they play Severance um, following that game and lose 34-13 uh, from the people I've talked to over at university that definitely felt like more of a more of a fluke game you know if they were to play again that would definitely be a closer game they beat the academy 41-28 by the way after that. Then obviously you have that Eden game where they lost 27 to 20, and then that last game last week against Res they lost 41 to 14, but. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It wasn't the offense's fault. Offense played great. Greg Garza had like 265 passing yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Had like a 65% completion rating, which is really good against a really good res uh, defense. And, you know, maybe things wouldn't have changed there if they beat them. Um, maybe. But, you know, that's, that's what happened. And so I feel like this university team is definitely a dark horse going into this playoffs. I think they are much better than their 12 rank that they currently carry here. And, you know, a lot of that is thanks to their quarterback, Greg Garza. Uh, he's a senior. He This year, I'm just going to go ahead and read off his stats because they're pretty good. But he threw for 1,855 passing yards with with a 55% completion rating. Also had 20 touchdowns, passing touchdowns on the year, and only six interceptions. As a runner, um, first off, he's somebody who could definitely like run the ball really well. He's fast, he's quick, he's someone who could you know game the yards that you need. But you know nothing crazy. Only 182 rushing yards on the year, but also had 13 rushing touchdowns on the year. A lot of those on some quarterback sneaks, but also some of them, you know, just being in the red zone, them calling read option, and then he just beats everyone to the outside. So there you go. Um, and then this university team, I mean, they're definitely more of a running team. They have this running back, Gunner Ponzer. I'm going to say that's right. Uh, Gunner Ponzer, he's more of their, like, um, he's going to do the dirty work type of running back. He only has 322 rushing yards on the year and one touchdown. But, you know, at 5'9", 200, he's a stout running back that, you know, could take on some carries there. Take off some carries from Greg Garza is actually what you really want. Now, this receiving core is probably the best one in two-way. TCA's receiving core could be up there. But uh, I would say this receiving core is very good. First off, you got their lead receiver, Tate Chacon. He has 588 receiving yards and five touchdowns on the year. The next guy is, or sorry, yeah, the next guy is uh, Cannon. Is it Cannon or Cannon? I've heard it either way, which I don't know why. (laughs) 
uh, Cody, what'd you call him? Was it Kanan? Cannon. I don't remember. <laughs> I think that's why I started calling him Cannon because you said that. Maybe it's uh, Cannon sounds cool, like a cannon, you know. I'm gonna say Cannon Padilla. <laughs> you can put Kanan it on Padilla, me. <laughs> he had 560 receiving yards and eight receiving touchdowns. So you know he led in receiving touchdowns. And then their third receiver is a really good one in Logan Getting, who has 409 receiving yards and four touchdowns on the year. Now, I think it's important to keep in mind, Tate Chacon, he's like, I mean, he's a pretty tall dude. Tate and Logan are both probably over 6'3". Yeah, Tate's 6'5", 200 and then Logan getting, he is a little bit heavier, but not as tall. Um, he is 6'4", 200. And so you have two big receivers who I've seen could run routes and whatnot. And honestly, when they are in one-on-one coverage, Greg Garza, he's a talented enough passer. He's actually a very talented passer where he could zip it in there, especially on those fade routes in the red zone and just trust his guys to go up there and, you know, win a jump ball. And against Eden, that's what they did. You know, Eden, they love running that cover too. And so there are times where they would get them in single coverage uh, because you do have Kane, Kane and Padilla in the slot. And he's a speedster who just like rips apart defenses from the inside and so you kind of got to double team him and safeties have to pay attention to him which leaves these big receivers 101 and i'm gonna tell you right now there is no corner in this 2a division that is over 6-1 or 6-2 and is good cody you could probably agree with that right uh, maybe could... even in colorado too what know about that but corner that is six two k jones is six three uh, what but i mean what's the other corner i mean i'm just saying like i don't know I, still though there's still i mean he could be six three like tate is six five and logan is six four so you know take what you want there these are big bodied receivers that that are a problem, you know, and Greg Garza, I've seen him throw live um, for kind of a smaller guy. He's only like, well, he's listed at 5'10", but I don't know if he's actually 5'10", uh, 5'10", 170 for a smaller dude. He could like rip the ball into a lot of small spaces, especially downfield as well against Eden. They were like two or three plays where he just let it loose to either Tate or Logan and they went up and got a like a 40 yard jump ball. And then that just flips the field entirely. And so this is a very dangerous offense, you know, with those three receivers, with Greg Garza, that could potentially win state. I think Greg Garza is easily a state championship kind of quarterback. He's a quarterback you could go to state with and win it with, in my opinion. And so, you know, he's tough there. Defensively, they're not bad. I mean, their stars is Kanan Padilla. He plays both ways. He plays safety. He has like 59 tackles on the year. Also leads the team with five interceptions on the year as well, which is up there on the two-way level. Um, the other guy is Jack Virgil. He has 66 total tackles on the year. He's like a 6'1", 220-pound uh, linebacker, inside linebacker that is. And he, um, I mean, Ethan Flores, he still made his plays 
but he made it tough on Ethan Flores. He'd meet him in the hole, and, you know, it was a 50-50 battle a lot of the way there, you know, and he's a, he's a tough linebacker, and so uh, University, they're not going to lay over on defense, even though I would consider them more of an offensive squad here. Um, they have some players there that could make big-time plays. I mean, we've seen Kanan Padilla um, get, like, one or two interceptions in the game. He's one player of the game before. Jack Virgil, he's made some big plays as well. And so this university team is, to say the least, dangerous. But uh, with that being said, do we want to talk about predictions? Cody, I'll let you go first. Well, Mason agrees with you that this university team is dangerous and is choosing university to upset number five Moffitt County in this opening round. Interesting. What what does Anthony have to say about it? From Mile Anthony, High Prep Report. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Garcia actually picks Moffitt County to go ahead and win this one. Well, in that case, I'm... I'm glad one of our, you know, guys on the uh, one of our guest contributions chose Moffat County, so that way I can agree with him on Moffat County winning this game. I just looked into it. Court Murphy is six foot three, Evan Atkin is six foot, and Carson Miller is six foot one. But it's not about the size; it's about their athleticism. I think for this Moffat County team, they've had plenty of tests this year. I think that they're pretty battle ready for this university bulldogs team i just think that they have a plethora of ways to beat you i think that their variety on the offensive side of the ball and just you know their physicality is what's going to get it done i could see you know evan atkin you know you could slow down evan atkin but then that opens up the pass game and he can also tear you up in the pass game i'm going to choose the best athlete out of these two teams to win this game. I think that belongs to Evan Atkin. All right. That's fine. Well, you already know I'm rolling with university. Their quarterback has twice as many passing yards as uh, Moffat County's quarterback, along with touchdowns and whatnot as well. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in Greg Garza. I believe he's somebody who's been slept on all season has been slept on the last couple years and you know i love an underdog and you know i'm not just saying that just to pick an underdog like dude could ball out against an eden defense that was bearing down on him every play he showed that he could roll out make plays and whatnot he's probably more dangerous rolling out and whatnot to be completely honest with you but they also have a pretty diverse playbook as far as passing goes as well and so they'll kill you either way but uh i'm gonna pick university i think you know, when it comes down to it, uh, they it, they're gonna want to get into a shootout because I think that's a thing. That's a I mean, that's honestly a game they could probably win just because they could pass it a lot better. And then running wise, I mean, they'll get it done with Greg Garza or uh, Gunner, whoever. You know, they'll make it happen. And so I am gonna pick University with the upset. I think that's my first upset pick, actually. No, I had I picked Holyoke. Yeah, but uh, well, and you took Wiggins too. Wiggins? Oh yeah, you're right. I yeah. did as well. Yeah. So yeah. well on the two A level for sure. So there you go. Yeah. Well, that we are evenly split here at two and two on the podcast on who's gonna win this game. But I think we're approaching a more agreeable game here as we jump into the other side of the bracket with number two Resurrection Christian 
hosting number 15, La Hanta. Simon, you got a chance to also watch this Resurrection Christian game, right? Or no, Resurrection I did. Christian team? No, you did I just, not. I just picked them as a contender. Um, All right. And right. I was proven right still. Look, hey, I'm going to say, you know, I expected Will uh, Schodenborg to be the quarterback this season. He wasn't. I still stood by my pick. And now they're the number two seed in two-way. So uh, I'm, I'm proud of them boys over there because they proved me right. So, uh, yeah. Do you mind if I talk about Rez here and the boys here one more time? Yeah, send it. All right. So the star of this whole show, one of the stars of this whole show, Eddie Lemos, Edward Lemos, whatever you want to call him. He moved over to quarterback uh, in place of Will even though he was more of a receiver running back, but you know, he doesn't care. He's going to do it for the squad and he did it for the squad here um, at quarterback. He was definitely more of a running quarterback, but he showed he could pass it a little bit very efficiently. Actually uh, only 296 passing yards, but was 21 of 32 six, uh, with a 65% completion rating. Also through four touchdowns, no interceptions, as a runner, though, is where he really got his bread and butter and really killed a lot of teams here where he rushed for 1,149 uh, rushing yards and 19 rushing touchdowns. He had six uh, rushes over 50-plus yards, um, just doing crazy stuff over there, doing his thing. And so he's probably one of the best athletes over there. Defensively, he's a beast as well, but we'll get to that in a minute. The other guy on this offense, Kate Dunlap, I predicted this, you know, another speedster. He had 670 rushing yards along with nine rushing touchdowns on the season. And so between these two guys, they basically carry the offense, you know. You have some other players here. You have some other players here who, you know, contribute here and there, you know. Um, they were able to rest some players in their last game, I want to say. But other than that, it's really the Eddie Lemos and uh, Kate Dunlap show over at Rez. Now, speaking of uh, Eddie Lemos and Kate Dunlap, they do contribute on the defensive side of the ball. Kate Dunlap, he had 48 tackles, total tackles on the year. That's good enough to be third in tackles. And then Eddie Lemos, um, you know, he contributed 28 total tackles. There was a time where he was uh, kind of just taken out because taken out of the uh, defensive side of the ball because he did get hurt there. But he does have two interceptions still on the season. He is the lead guy there along with, uh, I believe it's Grant Appleby, who is a sophomore. They're tied with two interceptions each. But another defensive player to look out for is their uh, defensive end slash linebacker, Justin Hawthorne. I believe he actually won – Player of the week, didn't he, Cody? Did didn't you award it to him at one point? I believe I did. Thought you did, yeah. But regardless, 95 total tackles on the year, averaging about 11 or really 12 tackles a game, 16 uh, tackles for losses on the season. He also has a uh, 10 sacks for the squad as the sack leader. And so those are the main guys on this dominant res team that, you know, went ahead and proved some people wrong after they lost their quarterback to Texas. They are still a tough team. And, you know, if you want to look up their schedule, we've talked about it before against Eden. You know, that was only a 10 to six loss. Their only loss on the season. Other than that, they have put it 
to every team here, including a 3A Holy Family team that they beat 35 to 20. So, um, yeah, make what you want out of that one. But, uh, Cody, do you want to talk about La Junta? Yeah, so La Junta rides the success of some of these underclassmen here with their quarterback, Mr. Luke Garner. I believe that he's actually reached out to us, standing at 6'1", 195 pounds. He's had a decent season at quarterback here. He has struggled with completion percentage, but has at least thrown more touchdowns to interceptions, going 6-4. to four. But it's really his legs that have caused a lot of damage and night terrors for defensive coordinators. Toting the ball 111 times for 755 yards and 11 scores with a long of 77 yards. And he's joined in that backfield by Jeremiah Martinez, who ran for 745 yards on 88 carries with 14 touchdowns and a long of 73. So with either of these guys in the backfield at any moment, they can burn you real bad and, you know, wonder what you were doing on the offensive side of play or on the defensive side of play calling. And their other playmaker on the offensive side of the ball is Alex Montoya. He has 13 receptions for 161 yards and two scores while also contributing on defense, especially in the interceptions department. He is, you know, leading the team but yeah he leads the team in receiving and then on the defensive side of the ball there is a different martinez aj martinez actually who has a pick six on the season so you know they're getting some contributions on that defensive side of the ball also they have torres who leads the team with two interceptions and they also have a fumble returned for a touchdown this season from Reso Jr. That is Andrew Reso Jr. So, you know, they, they're able to force turnovers and capitalize, but mainly Luke and that other running back are the story of this La Junta team. And thus far in this season in notable games, you know, they lost to 3A Pueblo County 24-7, and they lost to fellow 2A Playoff team Alamosa 42 to 6. They lost to TCA 45 to 7. They lost to Bayfield 31 to 13. And if you think that I just made a very uncompelling pitch for them to win this game, you're exactly right. Because, well, I'm pretty sure that we're 4 and 0 on this on this choosing, right? Simon. Well. To, to put it in a very short and sweet way, yes, we are. You know, I think the short and sweet way would have just been saying yes. But Okay, well, you know what? I just want to have some fun here. We're all picking no, We're all picking Reds to win this game. Uh, honestly, Reds, they're one of those teams that probably won't, uh, you know, play a super tough team until not – this round the next round but maybe the round after with a potential showdown with either tca or severance but that's like a couple weeks from now so i'm just gonna say that now this res team is really good uh not a lot of teams have figured out eddie lemos and kate dunlap yet and uh i don't expect la hunter to 
figure them out. By the way, who got blown out by TCA, I'm pretty sure, at some point this season. And I feel like, you know, Rez could probably go maybe not as great, but they could go head-to-head with TCA better than uh, Mohanta. So, yeah. I agree. So, let's jump over to who Resurrection Christian is going to be facing. And that is between the seven-seed brush beat the beat boys the beat diggers um and the basalt longhorns simon you mind if i talk about the basalt longhorns here yeah go for it all right so basalt they were one of you know our picks in the preseason to be a pretty solid team and i'd say that they delivered you know there's definitely some games that they probably wish they could get back but you know They've they've rode some great athletes to a high degree of success this year. And, you know, it starts with their quarterback, you know, Schneider here. He's had a pretty good season throwing, you know, 18 touchdowns to only five interceptions and twelve hundred and twenty two yards. But I don't know if he's as successful at it without number one, Sam Sherry, the senior athlete here over at Basalt. He has 348 yards and seven of Cade's 18 passing touchdowns on the ground. He has another five rushing touchdowns and 233 yards. He's just an absolute dog who, you know, is also number two on this team in total tackles. He has another six tackles for loss. Just whatever you ask Sam Sherry to do, he is more than capable of doing it. He also plays in that secondary and has two interceptions, six passes defended and a fumble recovery as well as a forced fumble. So, you know, he's just, like I said, an amazing athlete who is going to be huge in this matchup against Brush, both through the air and the ground, I think. And, yeah, look for him to make plays. But he's not the only guy making plays for this team. You also have another senior running back in Gavin Webb, who is ran to the tune of 465 yards and four touchdowns. And then you also have junior running back Cooper Crawford, who's ran for 609 yards and a team leading eight touchdowns. And also at receive, you know, uh, Cooper has also contributed out of the backfield, catching for 129 yards and I believe a score. Yeah, he's caught a touchdown. And then at wide receiver, you have a couple of different names and faces here who've contributed in, it's kind of like, you know, Bayfield a little bit where they just have a bunch of guys who can catch the ball and make plays. Dylan Madden has 139 yards receiving and three touchdowns. Ben Lemonjelly has 11 receptions for 157 yards and a score. Wilson Maytham, Maytham, he has 221 yards and three touchdowns. So, you know, you have the Sam Sherry's who have taken over games and whatnot and can do anything you ask but you also just have the specialists on this team who have been tearing it up on the defensive side of the ball i mentioned sam sherry but then you also have ryan jang he has 11 tackles for loss for this team and leads the team in sacks with three sacks and he also has four hurries to his name then you also have junior bat or junior Defensive player Jamie Dolan, who has nine tackles for loss, including one sack and two hurries. And 
also contributing on defense, you have leading tackler, the junior number 40 here, Trevin Beckham with 82 tackles. Only two of those are for loss, but he's a very good sideline-to-sideline kind of guy. And last but not least, you have Madden, as I mentioned, for the offensive side of the ball, has three interceptions. And then you also have the senior Ryan Garcia with three interceptions as well. So they just have a lot of athletes in a lot of different places. And, you know, throughout this year, they have experienced quite a few tests and still came out the other side seven to two. You know, they beat this Battle Mountain team who is a 318-40-34 in double overtime. They beat Faith Christian, that was one win away from playoffs, 37 to nothing. They beat Glenwood Springs. They beat a lot of 3A teams, you know, by very fair, far and above margins. One of their only two losses this year was to Moffat County, who is, you know, the number five seed in this playoffs and is very respectable program, only losing 19 to six, where they just kind of sputtered. And then their other loss, which I think is more of a fluke, was a 42-14 to 14 loss to Delta High School before turning back around and winning against Rifle in overtime and beating Aspen 49-21. to 21. So it sounds like they're back on the right track. Simon, if you want to talk about Brush High School, go for it. Yeah, I'll talk about BHS. So let me start on the offensive side of the ball here, led by their quarterback, Alejandro Malta. Uh, sorry, Alejandro Maltos Garcia. He has 606 passing yards. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, but he has 606 passing yards uh, on the season with a pretty all right 53% completion rate. Also has 10 passing touchdowns, three interceptions, so nothing too crazy there. As a runner, he has 190 rushing yards. Four, seven rushing touchdowns there, showing that he could be a little bit of a dual threat, be somebody that could contribute there. And now this uh, Brush team, they have multiple guys with over seven rushing touchdowns, including uh, their junior running back, I want to say Ty Griffith. He has 491 rushing yards for seven rushing touchdowns. And then uh, Caesar, I want to say Hinojos has 676 rushing yards for eight rushing touchdowns as well to go with Maltos Garcia's seven rushing touchdowns. And so this is a team that, you know, has multiple playmakers here that could get the ball and make a play and score. And you always love to see that happen. Um, You know, having multiple guys that could kind of carry that load. And that's what Brush has. On the other side of the ball, they have Ty Griffith. He's their leading tackler with 60 total tackles. Um, along with that, I think second in total tackles is Caden Moriarty. Uh, he's around 6'3", 185. He is also their lead receiver on this squad, Caden Moriarty. He has 322 receiving yards and seven receiving touchdowns being the main receiver there. So there's another guy that uh, scores for this squad. But as well, you know, he uh, puts in work and is one of the top tacklers. And then uh, finally, uh, he knows he has 47 total tackles as well. And so this is a team that gets after it. They're very productive there. Now, as far as sacks goes, uh, actually, he, he knows he is the sack leader with six 
for this Brush squad. And so Brush, you know, they've had a pretty solid schedule of their own. They've played some tough teams here, which means that they are pretty battle-hardened. So to start the season, they beat Cody's favorite team here, George Washington, 41-13. to Would you get over yourself, bro? <laughs> what? What? They ain't my favorite team, bro. Relax. Well, they beat them 41-13, to you know. Um, yeah, and then they lost to Fort Morgan 35-12. to Fort Morgan is really good, so there's no surprises there. Also, they're another 3A team. Then they play Severance, a tough 2A team. They lose only 20-7, to so that's not a bad one. They beat Estes Park 42-8. to They beat um, an underrated Platte Valley team, in my opinion, 41-0. to uh, Destroy Valley 61-14. Sterling forfeits to them. Um, they beat Fort Lupton 70 to zero, and then they beat Wild Central 56 to 13. So definitely a really kind of tough schedule at the beginning of their season, uh, but they fare it pretty well. It's not it's not horrible, you know. They start two and two, and then they end up undefeated. And so this is a very solid brush squad here. They have a lot of playmakers here that could score for them. A lot of different guys that could be a threat. So with that being said, Cody, who do you think is going to win this game? Well, I know that Mason thinks that Basalt is going to win this game, and I'm going to have to agree with him just because of the playmakers that they have everywhere on this Basalt team. They're littered with them, and I think that, you know, they've kind of they stumbled a little bit, but I think that they regained their swagger back these past two weeks. And they're ready to turn up in these playoffs. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I am also picking Basalt. I, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've thought thought about this one pretty hard. Brush is definitely definitely in there. You know, that's... Like, I don't know. This could be a... If Brush won, I wouldn't be, be surprised. Like, yeah. I think yeah, it's this, a good way to say that. Yeah, and I yeah think, this is a game that could go either way. Yeah, and that's exactly how Anthony of Prep Report also feels, right? Yeah, he picked Brush. And I was close to picking them after saying all that. But, uh, you know, I think I'm a ride with Basalt here, though. But this should be a close one. It should probably be a one-score game type of deal as well, right? Oh, absolutely. It should be a very close and contested game. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, uh, we are approaching these last two games here. Cody, do you mind if I talk about one of the teams in this next playoff game, Severance versus Platte Valley? Yeah, go ahead and send it. Okay, sounds good. So I'm going to talk about Severance. Uh, Last I saw them, they were getting blown out by Eden. Um, (laughs) Eden, you know, they're they're a good team. They they beat them 31 to zero. They played a near perfect game. On the season, you know, Severance only had two losses. That's against Eden and Resurrection Christian. That's it. They beat University 34 to 13, beat Platte Valley. Yeah, they actually already beat Platte Valley before 17 to 14 in a pretty close one at the beginning of the season, you know. And so, uh, oh, and then they beat the Academy, which was just out uh, 49 to 13. That might actually have been the death blow <laughs> that kicked Academy out of the playoffs uh, low-key there. So, um, so yeah, they ended their season. 
But, you know, this is a very good team. Honestly, in my opinion, this is definitely more of a defensive team. I've met some of their players. They're good dudes over there. You know, I met them at that uh, University Eden game, actually. But I would say this is more of a defensive team. Uh, Their quarterback, Nolan Hertzke, he is not a bad quarterback. I mean, um, on the season, he had 971 passing yards, 13 passing touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, I believe he also ran for 226 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns. And so a lot of this offense kind of like, I don't know, it's it's uh, centered around him. And it's a good thing. You know, this is a team that likes to pass. Remember, this severance program is only like, I want to say this is their third year. They're only three years old. And so for them to be finding this much success early on is pretty wild, not even going to lie. But, um, yeah, so there you go. But let me talk about this defense. They, ha- they, they have a whole lot of dudes here that are just ballers, starting with their middle linebacker, Colby Runner. Um, you know, he's a – oh, my gosh. He's an absolute beast. 95 total tackles on the year, 14 tackles for losses. Uh, I believe he is also – Okay, I thought he was a sack leader, but he's actually second in sacks. He has six sacks on the year from his middle linebacker spot. Now, the next guy on the tackle list is Reese Gazdick. Uh, He is a senior. He has 88 total tackles, 10 tackles for losses. He also has five sacks as well. And then... Uh, I mean, <laughs> I oh, my bad. I, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. He also has five interceptions on the on the year as well from his outside linebacker spot. So Reese, he's been putting in a lot of work. Uh, he's doing his thing over there for the severance team. Now, his brother, I uh, want to say it's Peter. No, sorry, Parker. My bad. Of course, I said Peter, but Parker Gazdick, he had six interceptions on the year as a junior. He also plays outside linebacker. And since we're talking about interceptions, I'm going to go ahead and talk about their star safety, Caden Donovan. He's like 6'1", 200, something crazy like that. He has four interceptions. Uh, Wild that he's not the interception leader because he's an absolute beast at safety, someone that'll cover your backside and uh, really be kind of the safety blanket for the squad and so those are just a couple players that i'm gonna mention here i mean um there's <coughs> excuse me there's also uh number 55 dominic butts he is a 6'4 230 pound uh defensive lineman he had 13 sacks on the year um varney he has eight and a half sacks on the year as well and so this is a very productive severance defense in my honest opinion they're probably I would say they're the second best defense on the 2A level right next to Eden. They're right there. Uh, Their biggest concern is probably offensively Nolan. He did not have a good game at all when he played Eden. And it wasn't that Eden was just having like unimaginable crazy pressure on him. Like he was missing some crossing routes and slants and wide open deep passes and it, it, he was a little hit or miss. And so I'm a little concerned about him. When I did our, my spotlight on sevens, I said that Nolan, he needs to show that he's a state championship winning quarterback. I'm not quite sure if he's there yet. But this defense is definitely good enough to carry and even score if they need to. They have like, Jesus, they have like 17 or 18 interceptions on the year. 
against teams that don't run the ball or don't throw the ball a lot, which is wild. So, uh, yeah, but that's Severance. Cody, do you want to talk about Platte Valley? Yeah, I'd like to talk about the Platte Valley Broncos and, you know, the road they've taken to the playoffs. And it definitely hinges quite a bit on this pretty sturdy defense led by Logan Curtis as well as okay that's been led by Logan Curtis and Josh Eagleton as well as Rios here you know Aaron Rios they all have double digit tackles for loss and between the three of them they have 33 tackles for loss of the team's 81 so far this season and you know those same guys have found ways to get into the backfield and disrupt the quarterback Aaron Rios has five and a half sacks Logan Curtis has four and a half sacks and Josh Eagleton has four sacks as well so they have been really rowdy getting to the quarterback and that has led to opportunities for guys in the secondary that include the likes of Jared Vieira Vieira who has three interceptions for this Platte Valley team. And then they also have two more guys who picked up two interceptions in Meyer as well as Devin Lauer. Lauer having 92 interception return yards. So I'm assuming that he housed one of those. And Lauer also having seven pass deflections on this season. And then Logan Curtis who also had an interception and was one of the leading tacklers for this team has recovered two fumbles as well. And that's not the end of his story. He also has gotten it done on the ground for this Platte Valley offense here. Lung Curtis has a team leading 488 rushing yards and five scores. And he's been complimented by fellow back and also defensive turnover machine, Devin Lauer who has 471 yards on the ground and five touchdowns. All of this is followed up with a quarterback who's having an incredibly efficient season for this Platte Valley team in Howdy Johnson. You heard it here first, and he has said Howdy to the 2A level to the tune of 11 touchdowns to only one interception at the quarterback position, as well as passing for 600 yards and rushing for another 302 scores. So he has posted one of the most efficient seasons, not just on the 2A level, but of any level at the quarterback position. And he's done that with huge thanks to Devin Lauer, the senior receiver slash running back, who has 17 receptions for 343 yards and seven of the 11 touchdowns. You also have Aaron Rios, who has caught three touchdowns, and other senior receiver, Hunter Pagel, who has gone for 159 yards and two scores. So through efficient offense, and you know they even went through a quarterback change at one point because Lure was doing some passes here, and he's thrown a couple of interceptions. But through just great athleticism and opportunistic defense, they have posted a pretty good record. And in the games where they were asked to face off against some of the better teams, including Severance, who they faced already, you know, they lost that game 17-14. They lost to Eaton 32-0, which is where you start having some question marks about this team, and losing to Brush 41-0 on the road. And, you know, I think that one thing that really helped them in the first Severance game is that they were at home, and that's one reason why they were able to keep it so close. But while Platte Valley has a lot of, you know, potential in the future with their quarterback, I don't know 
if they have what it takes to beat Severance. And it looks like Mason over on this end of things echoes my sentiment. Simon, how does Anthony from Mile High Prep Report feel about this matchup between the Platte Valley Broncos and the Severance Silver Knights? Say that five times fast. Yeah, he picked Severance and so did I. Uh, <laughs> look, defense wins championships. I feel like this is the case here. Well, at least this playoff game, because this is a very good Severance defense. They're extremely well coached. You know, even against this Eden team when they were playing them, they had them in a couple goal line situations on fourth down and was giving them some trouble there. And so that you can't just ignore that, you know, because maybe if they won on those uh, fourth downs, then the game would be a lot different. I mean, it, it would erase two touchdowns. So you know, there you go. But this Severance team is very talented. They they find ways to strangle their opponents on defense, and it's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> not even going to lie, seeing some of their defensive performances is crazy. But I, I would say, like I said, you know, my only concern is offensively. But, I mean, how bad do you have to be offensively to to really blow this playoff game, right? Pretty bad. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I think Platte I mean, Valley is going to probably still compete in this game. I think that they're going to have a lot of confidence because of how close they were last time that they faced off. But I, I just don't think that talent-wise, they're going to have enough to outlast this Severance team. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, it's a tough squad. You just got to... It's it's just one of those games where it's going to be a battle every down in the trenches, you know, and that's going to be probably the biggest problem there. Um, just having that. And then it doesn't help that you have a guy in Caden Donovan at safety who could erase any mistake that you make. Um, so, yeah, Severance, that's my pick. I mean, I, that's everyone's pick here. So uh want to go on and talk about this last playoff game here. Yeah, sure. Number 14 seed and league winner Northfield will face off against another league winner in the Classical Academy, as it's referred to in short, TCA. Simon, I'm going to go ahead and just jump through Northfield here because they don't have a lot of numbers up. I got to be honest. They have like one to three or four games for most of these players. So, you know, there's that. And out of the backfield, it looks like it's a very senior-dominant backfield. You have the likes of Troy Motley and Uriah Hurd leading the charge here, you know, with a combined, like, five yards per carry between the two of them. And then you also have junior Amarian Richardson, who, you know, up until the point of the season that they have listed, had about 12 yards per carry. And between Motley and Hurd, you had seven rushing touchdowns. This team also appears to have been trying to figure out who their quarterback is, but the person with the most snaps is junior Jarrell Munoz, who has 150 yards on the season, two touchdowns to no interceptions. But the guy that I'm going to talk about and know the most about because he was one of my playmakers of the week for week nine is Cameron Joyce Fairley. He's an offensive threat at the receiver position averaging just under 20 yards per reception but it's his defensive play that has helped out this team thus far this season in a very close game 
against Middle Park. He actually had the game-sealing interception in that game to give them a one-point win over Middle Park in that league, which went miles for you know this team making the playoffs and hopefully building off of that same success. Some other cats who've gotten interceptions this year include, as I mentioned, you know, those running backs in Richardson and in Motley. And as far as sacks go, you have the leader of these socks as, oh man, Enoch Appengino. Enoch Appengino. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. And, you know, they've had an interesting year this year, to say the least. It definitely didn't start off ideally with a 42 to nothing drubbing at the hands of Moffat County. But then they competed with a 3A team in George Washington, only losing by six points to them. They got their gimme win against Lincoln, who is another one of those teams trying to be the worst team in all of Colorado football, 55 to zero. And then some of the competitive teams in their league that include Faith Christian and Arvada, who have some of the best linebackers and running backs on that 3A level, I'd say, despite their records. You know, they took care of business, beating both of those teams by pretty wide margins. They did lose to Centauri, who is a 1A team, 41 to 12, which is just a testament on how strong Centauri is. But they finished the season strong with two wins, including one over De Evelyn in Denver, 35 to 13. And they prepare to face off against the 2A juggernaut that is the Classical Academy. Simon, please take us through your alma mater and why their matchup with Northfield, Northfield looks like. Yeah, real quick, before uh, I go on, shout out to Sam, the quarterback for TCA. Um, gave uh, my little brother Joel a lot of problems in fantasy a couple years ago, and Joel still has nightmares about that. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. You know, they are they are arch enemies as far as fantasy football goes. So, yeah, so yeah, I'm just going to say that. But TCA, undefeated season. I already talked about them earlier on against Manitou Springs. Uh, Kate Palmer went wild with five touchdowns. Uh, by the way, Kate Palmer, really nice dude. He has shown us, like, a ton of love. Not even going to lie. Like, that dude has, like, supported us, like, in a great way. And so he is definitely a friend of the podcast. And hopefully we could get him on for an interview uh, soon here. Also committed to Air Force. But... You know, Kay Palmer, he is the star of this team, arguably the best player in all of two-way football, all of Colorado football. You know, he has, geez, oh my God. In the month of October, he has ran for multiple touchdowns every single game. And he has not rushed for less, for less than, um, let me see here, 130 rushing yards in this month and so you know that includes the five touchdown game against manitou springs four touchdown game against pagosa four against woodland park three against lamar two against la Hunta. so he's been having a pretty nice year and they've been managing his carries he has not had more than i think he's only had more than 15 carries once and that was against lamar and to be completely honest with you they probably didn't need to do that because they still beat lamar 70 to 13 but they gave him 17 carries anyways and uh yeah so that happened and so k palmer he's the heart and soul of this uh tca offense and you know he he killed it last year in the playoffs 
He's looking to do it again. He definitely wants to make a return to the state championship game. And, you know, he is going to be one of those guys. Uh, he absolutely cannot get hurt. I'm going to go ahead and knock on wood here. If he gets hurt, I don't know what TCA chances are, but he cannot get hurt. I'm just going to say that right now. Now, speaking of their quarterback, Sam, um, Joel's uh, arch enemy here. He did not have a bad year. 12 passing touchdowns, only two interceptions, um, only 814 passing yards. Uh, look, I'm going to be honest. I knew TCA had a very easy schedule and that's like the consensus thing around the state. Like maybe outside of Elizabeth and out, Al, Alamosa and La Junta, those are all playoff teams, but they're like lower seed playoff teams. Like those are their only real threats there. And I, I, I don't know about that. I wished TCA trusted uh, their quarterback, Sam Moore and allowed him to pass him more. Even if it came off as a little like, you know, unsportsmanlike he has not, like he has not had 20 passing attempts all season. Um, he's had under uh, 20 passing attempts all season for each game, you know, against Alamosa, only 11 attempts against Harrison, nine attempts, Elizabeth, 15, La Hunta, 11, Lamar, 18. Like I said, you didn't probably didn't need to pass it that much, but I'm not mad at that. Um, Woodland park, 11, uh, Pagosa Springs, 14, and then Manitou Springs, only six. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think he's a very talented quarterback, in my opinion. And I, I get it. I'm biased, you know. But I think he's a very talented quarterback. And I kind of wish TCA gave him a couple more uh, passing attempts here because uh, they've, they've been very limited with that. And so maybe that's the only weakness with this TCA team. Other than that, they have a very explosive offense. You know, Matt Segovia for this team, he had a great year as the lead receiver. I think he had like five or six touchdowns, like 400 receiving yards. He is an absolute problem. Uh, Chase Keller, I want to say he's another guy. Ethan Aragundi, he's another guy. Uh, just athletes all around. You know, this uh, TCA defense, they are very um i would say very underrated you know they're very good they have a lot of athletes on their squad wouldn't say that you know coaches know how to utilize them as well but you know that's just my personal opinion there i think their strength is definitely offensively and they're definitely the number one offense in two-way i don't know who else would be the number one offense in two-way except for maybe university or eden but uh tca is probably my pick there but yeah so um no one picked Northfield, right? No one picked Northfield. That's okay, correct. so TCA is going to win this game. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what else what else you want me to talk about here. Yeah, it's it, I feel like you know, Cade Palmer is a handful on his own, but throwing a pretty good quarterback that's not given the opportunities that I feel like he deserves, and you know, a bunch of athletes like very good, like four 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 or five running athletes i mean that's always a good thing if you're a tca am i right especially on the two-way level so uh, they probably move on to the next round if they don't move on to the next round well we'll just have to see speaking of moving on to the next round we are going to move on to the next class of playoff football and we're going to talk 4a coming up next or like four A.
Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Cody Stoffer, and I am joined here in the same room by Mason Austin and over Skype with Coach V. I'm joined here by the rest of the hosts of the Playmakers Corner, and we are going to take you through the 4A playoff bracket. And so I'm going to jump right into it and talk about Quadrant 1, where Montrose and Fountain Fort Carson have buys. Montrose will be waiting for the winner of the 16 versus 17 game, where Mesa Ridge is 16 and Denver South is 17. Fountain Fort Carson will be waiting for the winner of the Golden versus Cheyenne Mountain game, being ranked 9 and 24, respectively. In Quadrant 2, you have Palmer Ridge at the 4 seed and Erie at the 5 seed on the bye. Palmer Ridge waiting for the winner of 13 Pueblo West versus 20 Vista Peak Prep. Erie awaiting the winner of number 12 Fruita Monument and 21 Brighton. In Quadrant 3, Dakota Ridge is the number 2 seed and has a bye and Chatfield is the number 7 seed and has a bye. Chatfield will be waiting for the winner of Ponderosa versus Aurora Central and Dakota Ridge will be waiting one of the high-flying offenses of Longmont or Broomfield, who are 15 and 18, respectively. Quadrant 4, last but not least, features number 3, Pine Creek, who will wait for the winner of number 14, Bear Creek, versus number 19, Windsor, which is a rematch that we'll talk about. And the last team with a bye is the defending 4A state champs, Loveland, who is waiting for Vista Ridge or Skyline, ranked 11 and 22, respectively. So, jumping into this first game, Simon, I'll let you kind of take the wheels on this Mesa Ridge team, and then Mason and I will contribute what we saw from them, and then we'll talk Denver South. Sound good? Uh, yeah, sure. So... Mesa Ridge, you know, this was a team that I did a spotlight on, and I definitely said that they could be one of the dark horse teams uh, once the playoffs come around. And so they completed step number one, which, by the way, is make the playoffs, and they're not the lowest seed either, so it's not like they pull, a, you know, an insane team here. But, um, you know, this Mesa Ridge team is pretty solid overall, led by the quarterback Noah Ramirez. I don't know what's going on with Mesa Ridge's stats, but Noah Ramirez, he is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the state. You know what? I'm just not going to use stats. I'm just going to talk about the players. So he's one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the state. Uh, you could run it, though, do all of that great stuff. I think he's good enough to potentially, you know, make a solid run here in the playoffs. So there you go. You also got Desmond Burden. He is one of the top receivers for this team. Um, and his stats has have basically disappeared almost as well. Oh, no, they're right here. 784 receiving yards, seven receiving touchdowns. That makes no sense. Um, he's one of the not only is he the leading receiver for this Mesa Ridge team, but he is also one of the leading receivers uh, in the state. Pretty sure he has a little bit more than that. that and there are the Cheeks brothers, Cash and Carver. Uh, both of them are pretty tall. I want to say I want to say the younger one is or no, sorry, the senior. He's like six, five, isn't he? Six, six, excuse me. And then the younger one is like six, three. Both of those guys contribute on both sides of the ball, whether it's as receivers or defensive players. Um, I believe they both play safety. 
as well. Then they have that linebacker, Elijah Davis, one of the best in the entire state. Uh, lost some weight, so he could play on that outside and whatnot. He's one of the best ones there. And then Desmond Burden, he's another guy that plays both ways. And so this Mace Ridge team, they just have a lot of good athletes here. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of good athletes here that could play both ways and be impactful on both sides of the ball. I think the notable games here for Mason Ridge was their first loss of the season, 30 to 27 against Palmer Ridge. That was a game that they potentially could have won. But the week before, they did beat a pretty tough Denver South team, actually. Uh, the team that they're going to play in the playoffs, 31 to 28. So it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out up on top. Um, when Mesa Ridge has his rematch with Denver South. But I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to you, boys. What do y'all think about Mesa Ridge here? Yeah, so obviously when you look at this team, I think the first thing that stands out is their secondary, you know, with Cash Cheeks having five interceptions on the season. Then you also have Desmond Burton, who has four interceptions. You have another sophomore here in number 11, Tevin Real, who has four interceptions. Cash's younger brother at cornerback has two interceptions. So they're very good at playing the passing game. And that is a lot of what Mason and I witnessed in the game against Fountain Fort Carson. Granted, FFC doesn't have a potent passing game. But nonetheless, they stepped up in that game and forced a lot of turnovers. And they give their offense a lot of opportunities. And I think that's the same story with this entire defense. You know, you have junior linebacker here. Antonio Thomas with the 105 tackles. Simon, you even mentioned that this linebacker here at Mesa Ridge, Elijah Davis, is a candidate for our top five senior linebackers list. So, you know, there's plenty of great talent on the defensive side of the ball. And that's definitely the game that Mason and I saw when we went and watched this Fountain Fort Carson game, which, you know, doesn't look that exciting, but it's still not the least exciting game that I've watched all season. And they showed flashes and were kind of close to pulling off a comeback, but just couldn't overcome Fountain Fort Carson's defense that is one of the better ones in the entire state of Colorado. Mason, is there anything that I didn't mention of that game that you want to bring up? Or what did you see watching that game for the offensive and defensive line, maybe? Uh, I would say like their offensive line, it was it was decent against this like Fountain Fort Carson defense, who was kind of like they were blitzing a lot, but they were also you know they the Fountain Fort Carson defense is very very good, um, but then I'd say their defensive line does a great job of you know getting in the quarterback's face and forcing him to throw that ball, which definitely helps with all those interceptions and how they played the pass, which definitely showed against this Fountain Fort Carson team. Um, they didn't come out on top on this game, but they definitely were, you know, they were in it the whole time and it wasn't like they were like getting blown out or anything. Yeah. You know, it, it was a close game against a team that has a bye, and, you know, I'm sure that they'd like a rematch at it. I'm, I'm sure that they could take a crack at Fountain Fort Carson and there's a universe where they win this game. Oh, definitely. So with all that said, Let's go to the other side of the ball. Simon, you haven't had a chance to watch Denver South yet, have you? No, uh, I have not. Uh, but I know y'all have, so feel free to talk about Denver South and whatnot. 
For sure. Well, I'll, I'll let Mason take the lead here on what he saw in the Aurora Central game specifically. Um, I'd say this Denver South offense is very, very potent. They like to throw. <laughs> they can run. They they can basically do it all. Um, I think their quarterback himself, uh, uh, Joseph Capra, uh, we watched him throw, you know, dimes all the way down the field. We watched him take off and run for like a 50-some-odd-yard touchdown. Like the kid got it done for this, uh, you know, Denver South squad. And then they have one of the best uh, wide receivers in the in the game, in Rashad Codwell. And, you know, he's has over 1,000 yards receiving this year. And, you know, they're running back Chevelle early for this Denver South team. You know, he got it done on the ground very effectively. And I think, you know, a mix of that plus their defense played, you know, solid enough to get it done. You know, in that game, you know, they forced a couple turnovers, getting it back to this, you know, potent offense. As long as they can do that, you know, they're a potent, like, team at all. What did you see? I mean, a lot of the same. Aurora Central had a good defense heading into this game. And the Denver South Ravens were just like a hot knife through butter, honestly. Capra is one of the best talents in the state, regardless of class. You know, freshman through senior, he's a junior doing well. Chevelle Early is only a sophomore. And, you know, he almost had a thousand yard season. And that was in the same backfield where Joseph Capra had over 600 yards. They also have a really good athlete in number 13, Dominic McGath, who can kind of catch and run a little bit. And he's... Uh, special teams guy as well you already mentioned Caldwell who's a great threat and then on the defensive side of the ball I think that you know it's hard to ignore junior defensive end slash outside linebacker Jonah Burke he had a monster game against Aurora Central where on one possession he got a sack and then on the next play he had an interception Mm -hmm. he also recovered a fumble and he forced a fumble during that game so they are super talented and stacked, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but they have a defense that forces turnovers pretty well. So that that's kind of where I'm at with this team. And I, I just think that they're really talented. And I don't know how they only got a 17 seed. I think it's kind of kind of whack. But let's hear them. I don't remember their schedule off the top of my head, but this Mesa Ridge loss at the beginning of the season, I don't think is very indicative of how good this Denver South team is. But they still only lost by three points. Yeah. Yeah, they only lost by three points. And then, you know, they lost their last game against Vista Peak Prep. But I wouldn't be too concerned about it, is, is where I'm at with it. And so, in other notable matchups, they beat fellow you know, playoff team Broomfield 48 to 40. They beat Aurora Central 39 to 21. And, you know, just I think they experienced enough success to warrant optimism heading into this rematch against Mesa Ridge. Simon, you mind, Mason, you mind if I make a pick here? No, that's fine. Yeah, sure, go for it. I'm going to go with. The Denver South Ravens to avenge their loss. I guess technically it would be an upset over Mesa Ridge, but I just, after that game and seeing how easily they could score 50 plus yard touchdowns and how well they forced turnovers, 
I I can't choose against him. Mason, you've seen both these teams. Where are you sitting on this game? Um, well, I think I think it could go either way, honestly. But uh, I'm gonna take it. You know, Denver South. I feel like Denver South. You know, they've learned from that beginning of the season loss to Mesa Ridge, and I feel like you know they want the the rematch to kind of prove themselves, even if it is just to themselves. And I think that they should have had a higher seed. So for those reasons, plus the fact, like you said, they, they scored 50 yard touchdowns and their defense was causing turnovers. I feel like they can get it done. I think it might be a close game though. Simon, what do you think? I'm not going to lie. I'm struggling over this one. Shoot. I don't, I don't doubt how explosive this offense is at all. I think I'm just going to go ahead and pick Mesa Ridge though. I think I like their safeties a lot. I like Elijah Davis. If any defense was going to be able to, you know, at least stand toe-to-toe with them and be able to limit them, I think this Mesa Ridge defense is definitely equipped to do that. But offensively as well, they could get into a little bit of a shootout. You know, I wouldn't doubt Noel Ramirez and the squad, uh, Desmond Burden and all them, uh, not being able to put up points because it is their senior year and whatnot. And I think that's kind of a big motivator. So I'm going to go ahead and be the black sheep here and pick Mesa Ridge. But like you said, Mason, this should be a close one. This should be a really entertaining game. Like not even go live. This should be such an entertaining game. But I'm going to pick Mesa Ridge. It's a shame that either of these teams have to get eliminated right now. Um, Because if they're in different spots in this bracket, they could definitely beat some other teams here. But I'm going to rock with Mesa Ridge here. And be biased. Just a little bit. Well, there's lots of good matchups in this opening round on 4A. And as you mentioned, there's some less good matchups. I'm going to pass it back to you, Simon, to kind of talk about this upcoming matchup between number nine, Golden, and number 24, Cheyenne Mountain, who you've talked about plenty up until this point. So you have been deemed the Cheyenne Mountain expert. Yeah, I guess so. So let me talk about Cheyenne Mountain. Did talk about them a little bit in the recap, um, like in in this uh, last week's recap here. And, you know, they are missing a lot more players than I thought they would have. Uh, they are rolling with a sophomore quarterback, uh, Archambault, I want to say. Uh, he didn't have a bad year, you know, 1,156 passing yards, 19 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. That is solid enough, but you do have to consider the uh, level of talent that they played as well. They did play in the I-25 league, which is considered to be a dev- uh, to be a developmental uh, league here on the 4A level. And so no one really expects Cheyenne Mountain to win here, but they do got some players here. So uh, Archambault, that's definitely a quarterback, a name to look out for. He's not bad. You know, I've seen him play against Falcon, against some tougher defenses. You know, he'll do his thing, but he is definitely a young quarterback. And that is important to keep in mind. Another guy to kind of keep in mind here as well is Zach Johnson. He plays more of the... I mean, he, he plays running back, but he definitely can take on that Wildcat quarterback role. Um, and on the season, he's been successful. 691 rushing yards, eight rushing touchdowns. He's done his thing. The main guy to look out for, both on offense and defense, is Nico Gagliardi. Uh, that boy's a beast. 873 rushing yards, 16 rushing touchdowns. That's only on offense. This dude, I mean, he's a, I mean, he's he, he's a beast. You know, he has speed, he has strength. He's someone that you need to look out for because 
he's going to make it happen whenever. So you got to know where he is at all times on the field. Uh, but let me go ahead and talk about him defensively. Um, but defensively, 69 total tackles on the year, 22 tackles for losses, which is pretty insane here. Um, Jesse Bowley, we talked about his brother Jake Bowley last year. Um, they're playing kind of similar positions. He has 19 uh, tackles for losses on the year as well, along with 63 total tackles. And some those two are going to cause a lot of trouble on the uh, defensive line. Uh, Jesse Bowley, he also has eight sacks, while Gagliardi has six sacks. And so they got some bodies on this front line that are maybe, I guess some would deem as undersized. But they do a good job of getting le- they do a good job of getting leverage and whatnot, and you know causing some trouble up front. And so I think that is probably I'd say one of their strong suits as well against Falcon, a dominant running team. Not that they have great you know offensive plays, uh, anyways. But against Falcon, a uh, uh, um, how should I say this? A solid running team. You know, they gave them a lot of trouble and limited them whenever they can. And so uh, they could do that to some teams here that don't that maybe don't have as strong an offensive line and whatnot and have some guys that they could push around. But those are the main guys to know on the Cheyenne Mountain squad. But uh, Mason or Cody, uh, Mason, I know you've went to like a million golden games. Do you want to talk about uh, Jazel Riley, the fourth and his golden squad here? golden squad <laughs> yeah i'll talk about him for sure um we'll start with the you know their quarterback Giselle riley the fourth uh you know it says right here he has 1760 passing yards you know he has seven ints but he has 21 touchdowns and this kid has the best touch i think i've seen in all of colorado football on this ball he's an amazing quarterback and he gets it done on both the passing and the run which, you know, the run really shows when he's also leading in rushing yards with 892 rushing yards. But then he also, he you know, throwing down the field, he also throws the Toby Trujillo. And then, you know, Dalton Summers. He also has his guy, uh, Luke Cavalier, uh, running the ball for him. You know, they use him for, like, a lot of read option type of plays. You know, their offense is potent. I've watched him put up a lot of points. Um, I went to go ahead and I went and saw him, you know, at Chatfield and the Dakota Ridge game, which were both very close. Chatfield won by one point. Uh, it was 45-38. So what's that like a touchdown for uh, the Dakota Ridge game? And Dakota Ridge couldn't stop him. They, they just could not stop him. So they ran the rest of the clock out at the end of the game and Chatfield won because they basically had a good two point conversion to end the game and didn't leave enough time for him to have the ball in his hands. Um you know, Golden on defense is also very potent. You know, on just the tackles alone, they have uh, their guy, Johnny Myers. He he has 67 solo tackles, you know, just like just killing it on tackles. On sacks alone, they have, you know, they have a guy with four, three, two, two, two. You know, they have a good spread of guys that can get a bunch of tackles. Uh, this is a young team as well. You know, Riley himself is... Uh, I think he's a junior. He's not even a senior. You know, he's not going anywhere. He's still got another year. But then on that same guy, you know, Tori and Trujillo both have a, have a number of picks. You know, Tori has three. Trujillo has one. Uh, Dalton Summers has three himself. You know, they turn the they get the turn turnovers and they hand the ball right back to Riley. So I think as long as they get it done, like this team is potent and I think they can definitely handle it 
looking at their schedule and everything, they only have two losses, and sadly, those are both the games I went to. But, you know, they were against very good teams. So I don't think, uh, you know, I don't count them out for either of those. And I think, honestly, they should have won the Chatfield game. I think it was a couple minor mistakes that made them lose the Chatfield game. But this Dakota Ridge game was back and forth the whole time. So I think looking in, uh, are you guys okay if I go ahead and make my prediction? Yes. Yeah, go for it. So I, mean, I, I feel I, like we all have the same prediction here, but yeah, go for it. Yeah, I don't see. I I think the Cheyenne Mountain team is a good team and all, but I don't see him, you know, doing anything against Golden. I think Golden takes this one pretty easily. Cody. Yeah, I'm. I I haven't gotten to witness Golden yet, but or Cheyenne Mountain to be fair. So I, I have the same amount of information provided to you guys, and the Golden case is a lot stronger because man quarterbacks are so dang important and from what i've heard and seen on like twitter about riley it, he's he's a talent so i i think he does enough to beat the cheyenne mountain team and you know honestly any team on this 4a level i don't think they want to see golden honestly he you know i'm kind of crossing my fingers that they might face off against denver south for a real shootout but that's so in the future. I'll worry about it later. Simon, who do you got? Well, it's golden. Let's not let's not prolong this <laughs> any more longer than we need to. Uh, Jay O'Reilly. I mean, if you don't know the name, you need to know the name. Arguably the best quarterback in his class. And yes, I know Braden Dorman's up in there, but uh, they they're both pretty similar passers. I would say very smooth, accurate. Uh, the difference is that Jr. Ford can move a lot better than uh, Braden, and I mean that's fine. Uh, and also he has kind of less talent as well. This is a team that could upset some uh you know some other squads here moving forward but they should be able to beat cheyenne mountain uh looking ahead you know this fountain for carson golden game would be a very interesting matchup you got strength on strength uh passing game against you know one of the best secondaries in the entire state so um just throwing that out there but yeah golden for sure easily easily no no disrespect to cheyenne mountain but also yeah uh, yeah, I definitely agree there. And I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Cody for this Pueblo West game. Awesome. So we have number 13 Pueblo West against number 20 Vista Peak Prep. I actually haven't gotten a chance to see these teams live, but I did do a spotlight on Vista Peak Prep. And, you know, it's definitely worth noting that they did beat Denver South to end the season and secure a playoff spot. So in a high pressure game, they performed and now they're here in the playoffs against a higher seed. And, you know, I wouldn't write them off if I'm Pueblo West. But talking about Pueblo West, you know, they're, this is a very senior heavy team right now. You have the likes of Brinkley at quarterback who has thrown six touchdowns to three interceptions for 754 yards while adding on another 232 on the ground and five rushing scores. But really this backfield is the pride and joy of this team. Well, if you're excluding offensive line where they have a two-star recruit, but in this backfield, you have Hunter Johnson who's ran for a 351 yards and four scores. But the real gem is Jeremiah Sanchez. On 96 carries, he's gone for 723 yards and a team-leading 12 touchdowns. Then you have a, another Martinez at number 12, Gage Martinez, who has 23 receptions for 335 yards and three scores. So 
you know, they haven't, they don't have one guy that's like miles above, but they have four rushers that are over 200 yards. They have a sophomore who's almost at 150 yards for a team total of 28 rushing touchdowns, which is very impressive. And then, you know, offensively, they, they have just over 800 yards total of passing offense because occasionally it looks like Jeremiah Sanchez throws the ball maybe on some like halfback toss pass plays or anything like that. On the defensive side of the ball, another senior leads this team in tackling in LeMaine Arrington. But they have a junior contributor, Jacob Trader, who leads in tackles for loss and is followed by Sontag Porter. I, I might have said that wrong, so I apologize, Porter. But he has nine tackles for loss on this team and eight sacks. So that is definitely one of the best that we've seen and um, one of the better numbers in the state. Then you, you got guys who first turnovers on the defensive side of the ball, including the juniors leading it, Andrew Plutt, with two interceptions. And off the six interceptions that they have, they have 174 return yards. So that's a really high average of return yards. And I bet a lot of points that they get off of these turnovers. So, you know, this this team is is balanced. They're not flashy. You know, and we kind of expected that heading into this season during the preview. But, you know, it, we were just excited about their offensive line more than anything. In some tests that they've had this year, they lost the season opener to Pine Creek 27-0, which is rough. But then they beat a Pueblo County team. Well, that's a 3A team. But, but they still beat a inner city matchup 48-0. Then they lose to Palmer Ridge and Monument, 41-14, which is also not a good look. But then they kind of bounce back against the number 16 seed here in Mesa Ridge, winning 35-14. And then drop a couple to some inner league matchups to Fruita Monument and Fountain Fort Carson. So RPI is definitely helping these guys out. 13 seed at 6-4. Definitely some things to think about but i'm gonna pass it over to simon to talk about vista peak prep and then we'll talk predictions thank you so vista peak got to watch them against ponderosa actually a little bit more of a closer game than some people would think considering where ponderosa is in the rankings but vista peak their strong suit is definitely the offensive side of the ball now they have defensive players but um most of I mean, their best defensive players are their best athletes, period. And so, you know, uh, Bryson Torrey, he, like, leads the league. Not the league. He leads the team in tackles with, like, 70-something. Uh, Mayfield leads the team with, like, three interceptions. So I'm going to mostly talk about the offensive side of the ball here. But to start out, quarterback Jordy Ruiz, he's a senior. You know, he had a all right senior year, I would say. 1,800 passing yards uh, on the dot, actually. 19 passing touchdowns. 
11 interceptions, which is a lot. I'm not even going to lie. That's a lot of interceptions. Uh, on the ground, though, he also had 300 rushing yards and three touchdowns. So not too bad. He does his thing there. Now, the other guy here, um, the lead rusher for this team, actually is Christian Manning, I want to say. He has 933 rushing yards, only five rushing touchdowns here now let me talk about the best athletes on this squad at least in my opinion and that is bryson tory and jordan mayfield both seniors i'm gonna talk about bryson tory first um first off he is mostly a receiver uh as a receiver he had 597 receiving yards eight receiving touchdowns so he is the lead receiver as far as receiving touchdowns go and then you also have him on the ground he, he got some carries i assume these are probably end around um carries because i know vista peak they run some of that but man 23 carries for 163 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns on the season so there you go now the other guy uh jordan mayfield in my opinion um as far as athleticism go he's probably the more explosive one both of these guys are like 1a and 1b though they're very good receivers that make the quarterback look really good but they're very talented and so jordan mayfield here he had 705 receiving yards leading the team in receiving yards and six receiving touchdowns obviously just behind bryson torrey and so this receiving duo they've given a lot of teams some problems this year and you know this offense at times have looked extremely explosive and then at other times not so much honestly and so i'm gonna go ahead and talk about uh you know their schedule here so they did beat range view 32 to 14 um they beat falcon this is an instance of where their offense just didn't play as well as they could uh only beat him 13 to 7 then the next week they dropped 49 points on coronado then after that they lose to heritage 26 to 27 and then they had that ponderosa game where they didn't score at all even though okay in that game they're in the red zone like four or five times and it was just like the quarterback not being able to complete a great pass and so that's how that went down and then versus centaurus uh 144 points were central only scored seven points and lost 27 to 7 then went on and uh blew out grand junction and gateway and then lastly kind of a shocker here uh outscores denver south and beats them 24 to 14 um cody i'm not sure i thought we checked did denver south sit anybody in that game or was that like a legit a legit dub i mean joseph capra is in the stat box chevelle early is in the stat box rashad caldwell is in the stat box okay. so you tell so me. yeah there you go i mean you the listeners could uh, figure it out for yourself as well uh because you have comprehension skills but as you can see this offense Basically, every other week traded off scoring seven points and scoring 40 points. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But they have talent. Let's not get that twisted. Wait. And also, you know, as far as good receivers go, they can't throw the ball to themselves. So I'm just going to leave that there. E. <laughs> well, I'm just saying they can't, well, you know, well, just like Tom Brady. We'll see which Vista Peak prep team shows up yeah well like they're all seniors, kind of thing so, yeah uh do you mind if i go ahead and make my prediction here sunday okay 
Pueblo West is going to win, and I think they are just the safer team here. Obviously, they have a lot of talent, but their lowest lows is not enough, in my opinion, to lose to Vista Peak's lowest low. Because Vista Peak, they, I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I kind of alluded to it. But they, their performances is not consistent enough. And so I'm going to go ahead and pick Pueblo West. But just throw this out there. If Vista Peak, you know, if uh, their skill players, Bryson and uh, Jordan Mayfield, go crazy. And they have each at least mm, 120 plus receiving yards each and a touchdown. That might be a different game, though. So we'll see. But uh, I'm going to pick Pueblo West, though, even though I really like Vista Peaks receivers, uh, athletes. But Cody or Mason, uh, what about y'all? Cody will go next. And I am going to err on the side of Vista Peak Preps athletes, honestly. I just... I See, you said that the lowest lows aren't as low as Vista Peak Preps, which is true. I agree with that 100%. I just think that Vista Peak Prep's highest highs are highest than Pueblo West. You know, I think their most notable game is their drubbing of Mesa Ridge during Mesa Ridge's kind of skid in that part of the season. And part of that was because one player for Pueblo West had four sacks in that game, which is absurd. And they're riding a high against Rampart, but against some of these other competitive teams, they just haven't shown me a whole lot. I mean... They sleptwalked through the Pine Creek game, the Palmer Ridge game. Their closest one against another playoff team was Fruit of Monument, basically. And then, you know, they got pillaged by Fountain Fort Carson here. So, you know, they're going to try, like you said, they're the safe team. They're going to play, they're going to call offensively very conservatively. I think that Vista Peak Prep is going to do everything they can to win this game. And I think it will be enough. I think they're going to find creative ways to get their athletes the ball in space. I see a lot of double reverses, maybe even double reverse passes in this game where the receivers will throw it to themselves as in one receiver to another. And, you know, I think that Vista Peak Prep, they only need two big plays in this game to maybe extinguish any Pueblo West momentum. And then they just got to play hard and fast defense. If, if Pueblo West falls behind, I don't see them as a comeback team. And then the game could get out of hand fast. But that's where I'm at. With the vote split 1-1, where does Mason Austin fall? Well, see, I see both of you guys' points on this one. Uh, but one of my biggest things is, like, I really, I really don't think this Heritage squad was very any good. Like, any good this year, you know? And this uh, the peak lost to them. Like they lost by one. You know, it's not a bad loss. It could be as easy as missing a field goal. You know, we see it happen all the time. But like that alone just shows me like how are you gonna compete against a team that can, you know, they are in it against different other teams. Yeah, like you know, against like Fruit of Monument and all them, they didn't win. But like they didn't lose the Heritage, man. <laughs> and like uh, so for that reason, I'm gonna pick Pueblo West. <laughs> I like how like how we asked Mason who's going to win Vista Peak or Pueblo West and he goes out of his way and bashes Heritage real quick and then says Pueblo West <laughs> alright I mean well, is he wrong well 
y'all are former Arapaho warriors. So we're going to leave it at that. And we're going to move on. You think that we always be bringing our past biases? No, no. Well, you know, people bring up my past biases. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that sounds right. But, uh, you know, whenever I talk two-way football at all. But uh, y'all mind if I talk uh, Fruita Monument here? Because that is the other matchup here. Fruita Monument versus Bryden. And then the winner plays Erie. Yeah, send it. All right say less i will so fruit and monument here having a little bit of a surprise season i would say but they definitely have some ballers here i'm gonna talk about the run game because that is definitely their strength uh the quarterback rowell yeah i'm gonna go with that rowell um not a bad year basically completed 50 percent of his passes for 900 yards nine touchdowns seven interceptions Whenever you see that interception total close to that touchdown total, that's never a good thing. So I'm going to go ahead and assume this is probably a running team. But uh, let me go ahead and talk about Rowell. As a runner, he does have 201 rushing yards, seven rushing touchdowns. The other lead rusher, well, sorry, the lead rusher on this squad is their sophomore uh, running back here, Wyatt Sharp. He has 747 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns on the season. In a crowded backfield, that's pretty impressive, especially being the only underclassman here. That's pretty good. But they also have Cason uh, <laughs> Stegelmeyer. Yeah, Stegelmeyer, who has 672 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns as a junior. And then they have another guy, uh, Armani yeah, Armani Trujillo, who has 603 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. Total on the year, there are th- they, they've scored 33 rushing touchdowns. And uh, collectively as a group, because there are a bunch of names here, uh, they've ran for 2,742 rushing yards. Pretty efficient if you ask me, um, at least rushing-wise. They got some dudes over there that could definitely run the ball. Now... On the defensive side of the ball, kind of a lot like uh, Vista Peak here. Their offensive players, they play both ways, and so uh, they're pretty good here. Armani Trujillo, he is the lead tackler with 68 tackles, uh, 6.5 tackles for losses. And then Stegelmeyer is actually third on this list with 49 and 5 tackles for losses. So just throwing those names out there. And then, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. For the most part, they have, they definitely have some talent. Um, definitely a little bit of a younger team. Just looking at this backfield here, you know, uh, Rowell, he is a junior. Um, Rowell, he's a junior. Stegelmeyer, he's a junior. Uh, their lead back, or at least statistically, the lead back, Sharp, he's a sophomore, you know, and then Trujillo, he is the only senior in that backfield. So a little bit of a younger team here, but this Fruita Monument team has shocked some squads here going seven and three. And so I'm going to talk about their losses here against Montrose. Only lost 26 to 22. And Montrose is the one seed. And so, you know, maybe you could argue that was at the beginning of the season and whatnot. Like, oh, uh, they caught them off guard. But, you know, that problem, in my opinion, that shows the potential of this Fruit and Monument team as well. Maybe being able to make a, you know, a solid run in the playoffs. Uh, their other loss, though, was against Chatfield, where they lost 28 to 7. 
so that's tough and then they lost to Fountain Fort Carson 42 to 28 that's not a bad one only lost by 14 points but the teams they did beat including last week on Saturday they did beat Mesa Ridge 36 to 35 they beat Pueblo West 26 to 21 um by the way these are or uh these are teams that are playoff teams by the way uh they beat Grand Junction Central which held Fairview to not a bunch of points by the way as well so there you go so this isn't a bad food of monument team definitely a little bit of a surprise though not going to lie but uh do one of y'all want to talk about Bryden real quick here um before we make our predictions yeah i'll go ahead and talk about brighton real quick so on the offensive side of the ball they do have nathaniel griffith he's their quarterback he has 1589 passing yards he has 10 touchdowns you know but he does have six interceptions so you know that's kind of a struggle there but they do have two or three looks like they have three different guys that are you know getting it done on the ground for them it looks like they have max kisuneros I'm sorry if I butchered that. Uh, Jordan Leet. And then, you know, they got one other guy here. It looks like he's a senior. Uh, Noah Cannell. So, you know, you know, all three of them. Two of them have 500 yards. One of them's almost at 600, and the other one has 400 yards even. So that's pretty, you know, that's pretty good for them. And then receiving-wise, you know, this uh, Noah Cannell is also getting it done on the receiving end. He has 680 yards receiving. So it's definitely showing that, like, they can get the ball down there. But, you know, turnover-wise on the passing game is kind of a concern for me. Um, defensively, it looks like their leading tackler is uh, there is, uh, Austin Casper. You know, he has, you know, 51 tackles total, 35 solo tackles. Um, Sack-wise, they have... Hayden Cuvis, uh, I probably butchered that as well, but he has four sacks. Uh, and then interception-wise, they have Kevin Day. He has three interceptions, um, and he does have a couple batted passes himself. He has nine by himself. And then they also have 18 hurries for you know on quarterbacks, which is pretty decent. So looking at all of that, you know, it's not terrible, but. The things that I'm concerned about, you know, they did face a pretty decent schedule. You know, they faced Chatford where they lost 43 to 20. Uh, they lost to Falcon uh, 28 to 19. They did win against Greeley Central, you know, 41-16. But this one is kind of huge for me. They faced Dakota Ridge and they lost 54 to 13. They did beat Greeley West, which they, they beat them 58 to 7. So, you know, there's that. And then Erie, they lost 47-27. Broomfield, they lost 37-27. Windsor, they did beat Windsor 28-18. And then they won against Silver Creek to end the season 23-20. So, you know, looking at all of that, strength of schedule and everything, um, I would say, you know, it's not it's not like a great, but it's not bad. So I think they're kind of in the middle, which kind of shows with their 5-5 five and five that they have. Um is it cool if I go ahead and make my prediction? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Fruit of Monument here. I think Brighton, while they you know they have their ups and their downs, I think the turnovers are gonna get to them. You know, the if their quarterback can't swing the ball, you can't really get it. 
done. Uh, what do you think, Simon? Yeah, um, a little bit surprised. I'm not going to go lie, a little bit surprised Bryden made it this far uh, into the I'm, you know, into the playoffs and whatnot. I kind of label them as more of a rebuilding like team. So I'm a roll with Fruit of Monument. Fruit of Monument, they they have a solid squad, a young one, but they're good enough to be this one at least. So, yeah, Cody. I'm gonna have to echo the Fruit of Monument sentiment here and make it a 3-0 vote in favor of Fruta. I just think that they've done better against you know, heavyweight teams than Brighton has. Because anytime Brighton has faced a heavyweight, they've kind of folded over, you know. Versus A, Fruit of Monument is riding a three-game win streak into the postseason, including wins over Pueblo West, including wins over Mesa Ridge by one point. You know, they they lost to Fountain Fort Carson by two touchdowns. It like it were it looks worse on here than it actually was. They lost to Montrose by only four points. And I just think that you're going to get a lot more contributors that are, you know, just overall better athletes for this Fruit of Monument squad. I mean, yeah. So um, there you go, Fruit of Monument. That's our uh, that's our pick to move on here. Now, speaking of moving on, let's go ahead and go to Quadrant 3. Cody or Mason, do y'all want to talk about this excellent Longmont versus Broomfield game? I'll talk about it because go for it. Go I'm for going it. to go to it. <laughs> I I'm getting I'm getting too antsy. I was gonna let you guys talk about it, but I want to talk about it because I haven't had a chance to watch Longmont like Mason has. But I have followed both these teams pretty closely. Keegan Patterson is if you don't know who he is, you haven't been paying attention to Colorado football. He's been our playmaker of the week the most with three wins. I want to say. I think he's won it like I three times the on the play level. Yeah, 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 yeah. His play definitely echoes that. Yeah, so, you know, he's a monster. Just to read out the numbers, he's thrown for 27 touchdowns and ran for another 15. I'm pretty sure that 42 touchdowns is leading the state in total touchdowns. And almost 3,000 passing yards, which he'll get over that probably in the first quarter. Um, he can maybe even do it on one pass. He just needs 60. He just needs 69 more yards to get to 3,000 passing yards on the season. So, you know, you have that. Um, and he's added on another 554 on the ground. And he has some great targets out there in Longmont. You have senior receiver Caleb Johnson, who's caught for 1,022 yards and six scores. But then you also have Jack Mole over there, who. You know, Wild doesn't—he doesn't have as many receptions as Caleb, who had 92 this season. He's—he's he's gotten more yards on 58 receptions for 1,060 yards and 13 touchdowns. So, like, basically a fifth, every fifth catch is like a score, more or less. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously great. Then there's another senior receiver in number 26, Lily, who has 637 yards. And yeah, just this offense is really explosive. And I'm going to spill over and talk about Broomfield as well, where offense is also their strength. Um, where you have junior quarterback Cola Crew. I did a film breakdown on him last year, as well as an interview with him that you just look up, you know, break, uh, 
Cola Core, that Cola Crew interview. And you can find that where, you know, he has a lot of insight on what kind of makes him tick. And, you know, I left that interview feeling pretty impressed by who is going to be leading this Broomfield squad. And, you know, his resilience, I think, helped this team down the stretch. But talking about just the numbers, you know, 20 touchdowns to only five picks. He added on another seven rushing touchdowns. So 27 total touchdowns, pretty dang good. Another, like almost 500 yards on the ground on top of his 2,179 yard passing yards in the backfield. He is also joined by fellow junior Caden Quintana who ran for 717 yards and five scores this year, but in the receiving core, you know, they have one of the best in the entire state in Josh Dunn. He's on our list for top five senior wide receivers and on our you know, just on a radar with 13 scores on 53 receptions. That's just a little bit better than Jack Mole. And he's had to do a little bit more heavy lifting because there's not another thousand yard receiver here. But there are two other senior receivers in number 14. Devin uh, Dittweiler, who has 497 yards and two receiving touchdowns. And then you have Blake Naranjo, who, you know, was kind of on our radar this last year, 42 receptions, 441 yards. So this team has, this team has been good, but why are they the 15 and 18 seed? Well, I tell you what, turnovers play a role in this. The Longmont side of the ball, they have, 15 turnovers this season and then for the Broomfield side of the ball they have 15 turnovers as well nine of those being fumbles so Cola Crew has got to do a better job protecting the football whenever he's experiencing pressure this offensive line for Broomfield has been a bit of a weak point this entire season and, you know, it's definitely something to keep note of. And both these teams faced very difficult schedules. I mean, most of these teams are playoff teams that they have faced, like Broomfield. They're opening, they opened up 0-3 with their first loss being to Golden, 29-22. Second loss to Longmont, 38-29. And I'll recap that game. Or actually, I'll probably pass it to Simon to recap what happened in that game because I think you might have talked about it in the uh, recap. On this Broomfield side, they, they lost to Denver South. They finally got in the win column against Monarch, 28-7, but almost anyone can beat Monarch. Then they stumbled once again to Loveland, who was the defending state champs, 35-12. That was a rough game. But then here down the stretch, they win four of their last five to break even at 500 and make the playoffs including an eight-point win over Windsor, a 16-point over Silver Creek, a 10-point win over Brighton. They then struggle a little bit against the powerhouse that is Erie, the number five seed, and undefeated still, might I add. But they lost to them 49-21 before ending the season on a high note, 44-21. to They were able to rest a lot of their starters in the second half of this game. You know how that game went based off of that sentence. And then over here on the Longmont side, you have their opening game. They lost by six to Chatfield, who has a bye. So, you know, they'd like another crack at them, if at all possible. 
Then they beat Broomfield, as I mentioned. They then lost to Windsor 56 to 22 and Erie 50 to 6. And this is where, you know, some of the sirens, some of the panic alarms start going off. One and three, including, you know, 30 point plus margins to Windsor and Erie. Is Longmont legit? These teams almost had the exact same schedule, you know, but then they strap in and they beat Silver Creek 45 to 33. They beat Grand Junction Central 49 to 28. Greeley Central 51 to 14. They also faced Loveland as a part of their league schedule and lost to them by 21 points, which is almost the same score that Broomfield lost by. Then they beat Monarch 43 to 24 in league and Last but not least, Mason saw their win against Skyline. But I'll pass it to Simon to talk about Broomfield the first time what happened and then ask Mason what he saw since he's the only one who's seen Longmont play in the Skyline game. Yeah. All right. So this game, I'm not going to lie. It was really early on in the season. So it could very well have been a fluke game for Broomfield. Broomfield was struggling like Godly, like super early on to just get going on offense. They were not scoring the amount of points that they needed to. But, you know, this is one of those games where they kind of woke woke up here. Now, this is only really a... Here, let me do some quick math. This was only a nine-point game. So, you know, a score and a half, a two-score game basically here. And so Longmont did win 38-29. Cola Crew, he did throw an interception this game. So not as clean as game as a passer. Also struggled a bit as well. Was only 13 of 29. So below 50% completion rate uh, there against Longmont. And so uh, moving forward, I mean, look, Cole LaCrue, he he needed to play better. He did as the season went on. In this matchup, I see this as an absolute duel between these two quarterbacks, you know. And the first one to screw up probably loses the game at least that's how i see it i think this will be a very high scoring game and you know you just can't afford to have bad turnovers and if you're cola crew you can't afford to only complete 13 passes out of 29 that is completely unacceptable on the other side keegan patterson he had a great game completed 72 percent of his passes very efficient very good uh 26 of 36 of there only seven more pass attempts than cola crew so I mean, that's just kind of how I see it. You know, um, this may have been a little bit of a fluke game, but don't get it twisted. Broomfield, well, not just Broomfield. Cola Crew needs to play better and needs to have a great playoff game here for, um, you know, for Broomfield to have a chance at moving on. So, so yeah. But uh, Mason, I'm going to go ahead and pass it on to you. You were able to see Longmont play in person against Silver Creek and win so i'm gonna let you talk about that and then we could go ahead and make our predictions here this is not an easy one by the way yeah um i agree this is not going to be easy to pick but in this skyline game uh longmont did show me a couple things you know at the beginning of the game their defense was struggling a little bit Uh, i was back and forth you know score here score there score here score there um keegan patterson is playing both sides of the ball he plays kind of a safety that kind of comes down into the you know, the middle, it's like they call it play a cover three, but their middle guy plays kind of a more middle zone in a way. But, uh, you know, they started, you know, they started really shutting down the skyline team towards the end there. And, you know, Keegan got it done on not only 
on the defensive side and the offensive side, but like I watched them get it done on the special team side. Then they got it done on the defensive side when Keegan Patterson picked up a, you know, a fumble and took it back to the house. Then he also got it done in the air where he was just slinging the rock. Um, this kid gets it done on all stages. I think honestly, this is, this game was definitely an eye opener for me showing why he has the statistics he has, you know, throwing for almost 3000 yards, you know, doing everything he's been doing. And it's kind of an insane number if you think about it. And then you think of, when you think of Longmont football, I don't think people really realize that they have the athlete they have in him. Uh, but this fan section definitely did. They knew who he was and they were, they were lighting up for him because they know who they got. Um, uh, I'm good right now. I'm just going ahead and make my prediction. Are you guys okay if I do that? I mean, yeah, go yes. for it. <laughs> go for it. All right. Um, I'm going to take this one in a really close game, but I am going to take Longmont in this one. Um, I think Keegan Patterson gets it done again. Uh, he's pretty consistent. He, he makes the good throw. He has good vision downfield. He's not afraid to take off and run when he needs to. Um, he was running read options that he just took up the middle and go for 20 yards. So I'm going to say, I'm going to give it to him. Uh, Cody, what do you think? Well, all I know is that I'm going to be treated to probably the game of the week. And in any level of the playoffs. And, oh man, it's, this is really hard to say, but with how much Broomfield's offensive line has been kind of a liability more than an asset, I think I'm going to have to go with with Longmont winning the second matchup of these two. But it's going to be a really close game, and I'm excited to see all of our playmakers out there who we've built good connections with, and I wish them the, both the best in this game. Simon, where do you fall? Well, okay. Well, I'm picking Broomfield. Uh, look, I love Keegan Patterson. I've watched so much of his film and whatnot. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there are times where he's doing a little bit too much, especially if they get down. He's going to have to play hero ball. That's just what it is. I mean, it's not like they have a running game uh, outside of him. So he's going to have to play hero ball there. I think Cola Crew, I'm going to go ahead and believe in him. I think after the way they started, a lot of teams, including us, um, you know, they, they rode off Broomfield here. I am not quite ready to do that yet. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and believe in Cola Crew. I think, you know, when it comes down to it, he's going to play a clean enough game. And, you know, if it comes down to him having to make a game-winning drive, I trust him to do what needs to be done to go ahead and score and win. You know, um, because I, I don't know. I'm just a little concerned about Keegan Patterson maybe doing a little bit too much here. Don't know if he has playoff experience before. And if he does, it's from almost two years ago, over two years ago. So, uh yeah, I think I'm a roll with Broomfield here. Like y'all said, it's gonna be a close one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy in on Cola Crew and the squad feeling a little vindictive here, feeling like everyone's been counting them out. Some saying maybe they don't deserve to be in the playoffs here and there. You know, that's just what I've heard around Colorado. I'm just gonna say that, throw that out there. And so I'm gonna say that Broomfield, you know, they feel motivated and they find a way to get it done in Longmont because. Um, yeah, because this is going to be a tough one. Regardless, it's it's going to be a tough one. So, yeah. I'm rolling with Broomfield. And I, 
and I respect it. And, you know, I <laughs> I just hope both teams have fun. Just kidding. But, like, um, I'm, I'm just very excited for a very good game. And either team can take it. And Cola Crew is definitely, well, more than likely going to be on our top five senior list of quarterbacks next year. So, you know, you have two of the best, probably two of the top 10 quarterbacks in this entire state overall facing off in this game. And so that'll be exciting. I'm going to go ahead and jump to this next game that features number 10 Ponderosa hosting number 23 Aurora Central. And, you know, I don't, I am one of the few members of Playmakers Corner who hasn't seen a Ponderosa game. So I'll let Simon and Mason fight it out over who talks about Ponderosa first. I think Simon and I really saw two different Ponderosa teams. Yeah. uh, Stepping outside. I think we can kind of say both of the sides. Um, Yeah. Personally, I saw a very potent Ponderosa offense where their quarterback, who is a freshman, um, you know, he definitely, definitely, uh, he was throwing the ball very effectively. And I can't believe uh, when Simon told me that he heard about this, you know, offensive weapon that they have in Andrew Heald, um, you know, when they when they had him throw it, I can't believe that he was saying that he wasn't throwing well. So, like, that was, like, my biggest thing. So, I'll let him talk about what he saw to start, and then I'll say the upside so i think we kind of saw like the high and the low here yeah so i watched ponderosa uh it was their homecoming game against uh vista peak and yeah i i don't know first off it was obvious that ponderosa was a little bit more of the stable program against vista vista peak and so that was kind of a game they should have won which they did you know they won 21 to 0 uh but watching their freshman quarterback was definitely a little frustrating at times i think first off vista peak was blitzing super hard to start off bringing bryson torrey and j uh jordan mayfield off the edge there and so they were like they're getting to him and he was just not making a lot of great decisions i mean there was one the one touchdown he did he definitely kind of forced it to like his six seven receiver alex tongren uh let me make sure i'm saying that name right yeah tongren uh so you know that's not a bad thing to throw it to your six seven wide receiver but it definitely looked like he was kind of throwing it up there and so there are a lot of struggles questionable decisions eventually what happened is that it would lead to him getting benched for the senior uh i want to say it was number either number seven or yeah, yeah, number seven or number 10, one of those two, um, which didn't play much better. They both went on to throw another interception in that game. Um, but Ponderosa, I mean, they're okay. I think for them to be better, it definitely depends on their freshman quarterback. He needs to play, I mean, he needs to play good playoff football, in my opinion, especially against this Aurora Central team that has a lot of skilled players of their own, very much like this Vista Peak squad. You know, he needs to play better because that game against Vista Peak was a game they definitely could have lost at any point throughout the game. Um, But I am going to go ahead and give credit to um, someone who really stood out to me offensively and defensively, uh, Zachary or 
yeah, Zach Pekarik. Um, he is the running back, had 735 rushing yards, nine rushing touchdowns. Also defensively, he's a dog on that side of the ball. He's just a really good athlete. And so that's part of the reason why they're in the playoffs here. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's just what I got to say about that. Uh, I mean, you know, the freshman quarterback, he looked like a freshman in that game. Like, he looked like he just got brought up by JV, and I just wasn't impressed at all. But uh, Mason, you watched him against palmer ridge and granted you know palmer ridge did come back and win that game right but uh go ahead you could you could talk about the version that you saw over there yeah so this you know this freshman he uh andrew healed i saw him throwing the rock very effectively from the beginning he was making throws that were you know they weren't questionable at all they were the right throw but the way he had to make them because he had people in his face he made he made some like very extraordinary throws but then I saw the same thing with the, the running back um, that you saw, you know, Zachary Perkirik. Um, I saw him, you know, he, he was running the rock very, very well. You know, it says he has 114 carries for 735 yards. They definitely trust him with the ball in his hands. You know, their, their main, you know, target on offense for, like, throwing the ball is uh, Alex Tongren. You know, you said it. You said it. He's like the six foot four or six foot seven receiver. You know, he's he's a tall guy, and they, it definitely showed that they're that the rookie actually trusted him. Uh, but I think their biggest point in this was the first half. Their defense was potent against this. You know, uh, what is it? The Monument Moving Company. Yeah, that offensive line. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I just want to say, like, they shut down the run game in the first half. Yeah, they kind of broke down in the second half because. You know, they did, you know, Palmer Ridge did come out throwing the ball, so they had to adjust to that. But in the first part of that game, like, they were just they, – they dedicated themselves to the run. They made the right plays, and I they barely let Palmer Ridge put up, like, seven points in the first half. And then they were up 35-7. to seven. Then, you know, Palmer Ridge did come back and win the game with, like, a last-second, you know, play where they did throw a double pass for a pick. But, you know – I say, honestly, for, you know, this defense, you know, they have a good spread of sacks and hurries. They have 42 hurries this season. So, like, you know, it definitely shows that their defense is getting in the face. Their front seven was very sound. And they run, like, kind of like a – it's a shell defense with a very solid linebacking crew. Um, and their outside guys, you know, they get picks. Their top guy has four. Their second guy has three. Uh, their top guy being um, – Brady Porter and their second guy, uh, Brendan Herrick. Both of them, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw Brendan Herrick get a pick himself. Yeah, number one, he got the first pick, and that was the start of the game. You know, they got a pick against Palmer Ridge, and then Palmer Ridge just went back to running the ball, and they shut it down. So, you know, I saw a very potent defense, but then, you know, they were getting it done on offense too. So, you know, I definitely think we saw two separate games there. But, you know, I guess that kind of shows, you know, six and four, you know, it kind of shows why they're six and four. They're close to 500 because, you know, they go up and they go down. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Cody so he can talk about this Aurora Central game. Yeah. So first off, I want to point out that it's really funny that Simon was discouraged from Ponderosa after a win and Mason was encouraged about Ponderosa after a loss. So that's just that's just interesting. But anyways, 
talking about Aurora Central, some of the guys who've gotten it done this year, you know, I've kind of had my eyes on them for a little bit and I did a program spotlight and I was able to meet some of these players after their really tough loss to Denver South that, you know, we'll talk about in a second. But as far as athletes that they have on this offense, you know, Kyrie's Kirby, he is a bona fide playmaker and a big play threat every time he gets the ball if not highlighted by the fact that his longest run of the season is a 98 yard touchdown run. So, and that was only one of his 17 touchdown runs. He averages 16 yards a carry. So, and they do a great job of getting him the ball in space, but also providing lanes. I think that this Aurora central offensive line is pretty solid. And that's why you have, you know, three junior running backs that all have, plenty of yards you know Simeon Beasley almost finished with 500 yards on the season he had five scores then you have Travion Simmons Adams who ran for 477 this year and five scores and in the Denver South game did a great job of running up the middle and lowering his shoulder and picking up some extra yards the only concern I do have for this Aurora Central team offensively is the passing game the quarterback Nick Portillo struggled pretty mightily in the Denver South game. I don't know if it was jitters because this is his first year as a full-time starter or what it was, but you know, this year he's completed 71% of his passes, six touchdowns, four interceptions, but that's on a very simplistic boot offense. You know, they run a slightly trickier version of like Columbine's playbook, I would say where you know they have a lot more reverses they have way more motion in their offense and they actually have splits between the linemen which is a crazy concept but anyways you know this quarterback if it comes down to him winning this game they might not be in an ideal spot honestly they need to keep it within one or two scores so that they can continue handing the ball off or he needs to be dialed in and learn from that Denver South game. But, and then on the defensive side of the ball, which is also a very impressive unit and spearheaded by a lot of the same guys, you have Simeon Beasley who leads this team in total tackles with 75. And then you also have a junior in Jakai James who has, you know, eight tackles for loss and is, you know, up there with 41 tackles. Grace Kirby, he's a cornerback who comes in and makes plays in the box with 43 tackles, including two for loss. You have senior linebacker and also wide receiver Brian Weatherford, who has 54 tackles. He was making a lot of tackles in that Denver South game, and I was pretty impressed by his play. He fills holes pretty well. The only thing that I was a little concerned about is Chappelle early fell forward quite a bit in that game. And I don't know if that's a testament to the Aurora Central defense or just how strong Chevelle is. It could be Chevelle. But anyways, you know, and Brian Weatherford in that game, not in that game, but over the season also has two interceptions at that corner spot. And then Kyrie's Kirby also has an interception with a return of 42 yards and a fumble recovery for 18. So if he ever touches the ball, he could score. He's one of the few players in the state where any time he touches the ball, he can score. That showed. That definitely showed on that game that we watched. That showed 100% of the time. Yeah, he, he ripped off a couple of long runs. I think even though they lost, he still had over 10 yards per carry. So, 
that was pretty absurd. Mason, we, you know, that game was kind of rough. Aurora Central got pretty banged up in that game. But what were some impressive things that you saw from this team, including from their star pass rusher that you were gawking over? <laughs> okay, so their star pass rusher, you know, his name is Marcus Howard. Um, he is, he is, the, he's legit. He gets, he's, what is he, 6'6"? Six, six? I think he's 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, but he gets at a pad level that is at the same size as someone that's like 5'8". Um, I don't know how he gets that low. I could never get that low, you know, and I'm only 6'3". So he definitely, he gets really low and, you know, he, he shows, he, I saw, saw him shoving double teams around. He was throwing guys into the way of, you know, uh, is it Chevelle early is the yeah. name of the running back, you know, and as much as he didn't make the plays that he absolutely needed to this game, it's because they were running away from him. Um, if they were going towards him, they had one guy hit him, the tight end chip him, and the pole blocker hit him as well because he was going through everybody. Um, he could be an X factor on any level at any time. Um, it's kind of scary. Um, but in this game, you know, we did see, you know, a couple turnovers, uh, one that was crucial on the goal line. And I think that's what ended their series and their game it was really early in the game. So the sea. it was at the half. Yeah, it was right before they, that. They were on the one-yard line with, like, I want to say a minute left, and they fumbled. Yeah, and that would have so. brought them to the half at, like, it was, like, 21-7 at half, but it would have brought them 21-14. It was a whole different ballgame coming out. Um, Kyrie's Kirby, I want to say this guy is a playmaker. Like you said, anytime it touches the, he touches the ball, it's gonna he's going to score. That's what he's looking for. And it showed every time they handed him the ball, the other team was on watch. They had to they had to get to him fast and shut him down because if he's in open field, you're not tackling him. And if he's one on one, unless you have a perfect tackle, you're probably not tackling him either. So, you know, if you're going to have to gang tackle somebody, it's going to be him. So I think that's a huge, huge deal for this uh this game coming up. Um, I am going to let you guys go ahead and pick your guys's picks and we'll see what goes so Cody you want to go first well I got a question to ask you before mm -hmm. before I make this pick does Ponderosa have a guy like Rashad Caldwell no that is kind of I think going to be my verdict I'll, I'll go through the schedules real quick just to do a quick recap to let the listeners make a decision and Simon and Mason, but I've already made my decision. You know, Aurora Central, you could argue that their schedule was a little too easy. They did beat the same Vista Peak prep team that Ponderosa did, 27 to seven. Ponderosa beat them 21 to zero. They did lose to Denver South. Mason and I were at that game. It was a rough one, but they're an eight and two football team. And I think that they have the elements of a Colorado playoff team with tough running and they're a hard hitting team on defense they were popping over there and you know joseph capra had to get rid of the ball pretty quick joseph capra is a junior this quarterback's a freshman and i don't know if he's well i mean let's look at this you got legend fort collins which is a good win by the way over fort collins you beat chaparral you, they get like a really good win streak but they've been struggling down the stretch here palmer ridge they lost by a touchdown which they allowed a huge comeback. Yeah, it was 20, 21 points or so. I think it was actually 28 points because I think at the half it was 28-7. So, 
You you had a big gap there. They beat Heritage. Good for you. Everyone can beat Heritage. 57-0. They lose, they lose to Vista Ridge, who doesn't really have a defense or a running game. And then, you know, they lose this close one to Montrose, which is tough. But Montrose probably had their foot on the brakes because they were kind of set up to be the one seed almost anyway. But here's the thing. Did Montrose sit some of their starters? Because they should have. They really should have in this game. Like, that's my thing, is if, if Montrose sat their starters, which they should have because they were already set up to be a one well, seed. We, we won't know because Montrose never posts their freaking stats. Well, I guess that's fair enough. Creek didn't for the first, what, four or five weeks? Yeah, I guess so. But <laughs> honestly, I just like Aurora Central's defense heading into this game, and I like their big play capability. I'm going to take Aurora Central in the upset over Ponderosa. Fair enough, Simon. What do you what do you think? Yeah, you could have asked me this a bit ago. Uh, when I saw this matchup, I picked Aurora Central, so I'm picking Aurora Central over Ponderosa. Look, I don't think Ponderosa is that good. I've always had that belief. Now, maybe one bad game is, uh, you know, not fair. But you know what? I don't care. I I just didn't. I, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know if y'all knew this, but I actually saw Aurora Central play in their first game of the season against Falcon. And even then, I had more hope for Aurora Central than I did Ponderosa. Like, I watched that team and I was like, oh my gosh, they have so much talent, like, just between their skill players. They have a good one in Marcus Howard. I knew about that, you know. Uh, Portillo, you know, hey, whatever. I mean, if he can't outperform a freshman quarterback, that's more on him than anything else. But uh, I think I have Aurora Central taking this one pretty easily. I don't think it'll be a close one either. So, yeah. Oh, not a, yeah, I want to say. Um, I, I do have a – I'm on the opposite end for – that, but I'm I'm am gonna take Aurora Central here. I think Marcus Howard takes this game into his own hands. Um, I don't think there's a lineman on the Ponderosa side that could stop him. Um, there wasn't a lineman on the South side that could stop him. It took three. So unless you're willing to commit three people to him each time, but they do have other people that can get the job done on that defensive line. So, you know, this Palmer Ridge team once they started rushing, that was when they started coming back and stopping this offense. Well, you have Marcus Howard. Is He's leading in sacks. He has 20 sacks this season. So, you know, I, I see him getting two or three this game. Not only that, but in the game that we saw, so, I mean, you might have even seen the other edge rusher that they had, but Aurora Central was down an edge rusher because of a concussion. And concussion is, you know, usually a two-week kind of thing, so he should be coming back for this game, assumedly, assumedly. Yeah, so adding in another pass rusher, Adding in another solid pass rusher, you know, I don't think Ponderosa can stop it. And, like, as much respect to the Ponderosa side, I've seen them. I've seen them play really at high-level football. You know, I don't think their highest high is as good as Central. But best of luck to both teams. No no hard feelings. Well, at least from Mason and I towards Ponderosa. I can't speak on Simon's behalf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, here's the thing. Here's where I'm coming from. Ponderosa is ranked number 10, you know, and Aurora Central is ranked 23. But I think Aurora Central is that much better than Ponderosa. So I, I look, I'm if I'm Aurora Central, I'm pissed off. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, how is this team ranked 13 squads higher than me? 13 spots higher than me. There ain't no way. And Aurora Central barely getting into the playoffs. Somehow. Yeah, I hate that's. Too. 
that's disrespect, and you could probably throw in something about, you know, uh, inner city teams maybe not getting the love they deserve. Look at Denver South at 17. Yes. But uh, I'm just going to say right here, you know, if I'm Aurora Central, I'm putting on for Aurora, and I'm like, yo, we're finna go into Ponderosa, we're finna go into Parker, and we're finna put a whooping on you because you're soft. And we deserve this more than y'all do. And I, if I, that's just the mentality I would have. And, you know, this is going to be a fun one. And you know, I don't mean a whole ton of disrespect to Ponderosa, but I believe that Aurora Central has been disrespected. And uh, I, I couldn't believe looking at RPI rankings weeks ago that they were this low. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this is what they deserve and hopefully they win. No, nothing yeah. against Ponderosa, but hopefully Aurora Central wins. That's who I'm rooting for openly. So, yeah. Being here and dealing with RPI, I could kind of see where it comes from because RPI is RPI. And it does what it does. And you put an 8-2 and two team below someone that has a worse record. So, you know, Aurora Central is not someone to be slept on. Definitely RPI not. do be awarding teams for losing more than winning. As previously discussed in this episode. Awarding suburban teams more than inner city teams. But, uh, you know, let's let's keep this thing going and uh, talk Bear Creek Windsor. Oh, episode 50, a culture problem. Before you, before this gets more controversial, uh, shout out to my Aurora Central homies. But uh, <laughs> Bear Creek Windsor. Um, Cody, I feel like you've talked about Bear Creek a lot in the recap. Do you want to get it started with them? I could talk a little bit about Windsor afterwards as well. Yeah. So, (laughs) this Bear Creek team, I did do a program spotlight on them. And, you know, this is the first time that they've gone to the playoffs since they actually moved down to the 4A level, believe it or not. And, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that, but they put together a pretty solid season this year. And, yeah, you know, so I'm going to talk about some of their ballers on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Jaden Minter, I do have some reserved opinions on him at least his decision making but he did throw 20 touchdowns this year and over 2,000 yards and added on another 349 on the ground with four scores but they have they have some athletes at you know some skill position spots like Blake McComber he's a very solid receiver he has almost a thousand yards and 12 of the 20 passing touchdowns from Jaden Minter so he's definitely his go-to target since I lasted a breakdown on him, Aaron Nash has stepped up as a receiver for almost 300 yards and a score. Then you have Caleb Saucida, who I think is a better corner than receiver, but he's that athletic kind of build. So, you know, he, he's fast, he's quick, he has pretty good routes, I'd say, for, for a wide receiver, especially one that focuses more on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, talking about their defensive, you know, efforts and what that has yielded, Caleb Saucida this year does have an interception for 21 yards and two pass deflections. Teams don't really try him because, you know, he is so good at just keeping his hand on that hip and then doing really subtle physical things to kind of divert the receiver from their route. And then Blake, he also plays on the defensive side of the ball. He has an interception for a 62-yard return because that's the wide receiver instinct and three pass deflections. But the actual leader in pass deflections or interceptions is Jerry Torres with three interceptions for 45 yards. This team forces a lot of interceptions, but I think that the more impressive part of their defense is 
you know, their pass rush and just their physicality. You have a guy like, well, you actually have two guys who have six sacks on this team, including Emiliano Ramirez and Blake Parrish. We've looked at these guys. Emiliano actually has 14 hurries on this season, as well as six sacks. So, you know, they're constantly harassing quarterbacks and they're constantly in the backfield just as a team in general. And, you know, I think a huge part of that is the best player on this team, Ryan Segovia. Simon Ben knew about him and I barely got to see him live because he like hurt his ankle in the first quarter or like the very beginning of the second quarter of the game that I went and saw. But anyways, he's even being shorted basically a whole game. He led this team in tackles for loss with 18. He tacked on another two sacks, but 13 hurries because he's blitzing from that middle linebacker spot. And he does a great job of playing back in that zone and then stepping up and forcing the quarterback to make a decision and sometimes even make a mistake. So, and on top of that, he has 41 regular tackles. Caleb Sassida is also second on the team in 57 tackles. So he's a cornerback who can step up and play the run, but the leading tackler is Emilio Mendoza with 79 tackles. And then on the offensive side of the ball, as far as Ryan Segovia's efforts, you have him rushing for just over a thousand yards this year, one, 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 six and 13 scores. I'm familiar with Bear Creek and their history, at least dating back to the 2000s, because that's where my uncle played. I went and saw them when I was a kid and they were 5A and their defense was the cream of the crop. This is a very different kind of Bear Creek, but with some of the same values of being a very physical football team, a very in-your-face kind of in-between-the-tackles running it. They just pass it a whole lot more than they used to. And I think that it's an interesting dynamic that has opened up a lot of opportunities for great playmakers on the outside, you know, like a Blake McComber, like a Nash, like a Sauceda. And, you know, this team, it rises and it sinks with the likes of, you know, their quarterback, Jaden Minter. That's kind of my two cents on Bear Creek. And I should know, you know, some of their notable games this year. They did beat, I think, a pretty underrated Lakewood squad, 32 to 27. I was there for the 40 to 13 win over Greeley West. They lost to Erie 39 to 21, which is not that bad of a loss, in my opinion. They bounced back with wins against Pueblo Centennial and Windsor already, which, Simon, I'm sure you'll talk about that when you're talking about the Windsor season. Then they did kind of get clubbed by Dakota Ridge 52 to 13. And I guess you could say they took it personal because they bounced right back and they play a really tough four point win against Chatfield. So that's just an, an impressive win, you know, against a team that has a bye. They did win two more league games before eventually losing to Golden 41 to 27. I am not sure on the total number of snaps of a lot of their players just because they didn't have a chance to win, like, any benefits from it. I mean, it looks like they, they were playing their normal brand of Bear Creek football, uh, just a slightly exposed secondary in this game. 
But, you know, I think that they have some solid wins and they're facing a team that they've already beat before. So that's, you know, room for confidence for this Bear Creek team. Simon, walk us through this Windsor team who had one of the hardest schedules in all of football, honestly, and how they did with it and why they should be confident in a rematch with Bear Creek. Yeah, so um, first off, the record was 4-6, and six, but don't get it twisted. Definitely deserve to be here. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about the players first, and then uh, I'll talk about the matchups because a lot of these are really close. And so uh, undoubtedly, you know, Windsor, they're just one of those squads that, you know, even if they don't have the most talented team, they're very well coached and they're going to give you some problems. I know they run the triple option up there. And so that's that's definitely tough. A little bit old school, but, you know, they, they do a good job of controlling the pace of the game and really forcing other teams to come down to their level, which is a difficult, which could be a little difficult and frustrating. And, you know, uh, force some uh, turnovers and some mistakes there. But one of the biggest stars on this team has to be Dax Polka. You know, uh, this season he ran for 901 rushing yards, also had 16 total touchdowns. He is a tough little running back over there for Windsor. He is the main guy on that offense, I would say. Obviously, there are like a million other dudes who carry the ball. Um, and they, I would say Windsor doesn't really have a passing game. They really just run it, which is fine, you know, because they do a good job at that and controlling the pace and playing good defense. Um, but, you know, that's uh, that's who they are. And Dax, he is a big part of that identity that Windsor has had for, for years now, if I'm being completely honest with you. On the defensive side of the ball, though, you know, um, or sorry, before I, before I move on and talk about, like, other, you know, uh, defensive players on this team, there is one other rusher, and it is Jaden Thomas. He is the other back for the squad. Uh, wing back for the squad he ran for 894 rushing yards and seven touchdowns so a pretty good season you know and some receiving yards here and there but um pretty much a very good season almost identical to dax polka he is a junior and they're both built kind of the same like dax is 5'9 180 Jaden thomas is like 5'8 170 so you know, there you go. But they go ahead and they get it done for this Windsor squad, scoring a bunch of touchdowns, getting a bunch of yards, controlling a ton of games. Now, let me go ahead and talk about the defensive side of the ball. You know, they don't exactly have like a bunch of like like huge dudes who stand out, but the, their lead tacklers, you know, they do their job really well. That includes Trevor Vile. I'm going to say Vile Pondo. If I get that wrong, I apologize on that, but he is second currently on this team in tackles with 89 total tackles uh, on the season. He is a tackle machine, averages about 10 tackles a game for this Windsor squad. And then the other one, he is a one-year starter, actually, for this uh, Windsor team, or at least on here, on this Max Preps thing, it says that he's a one-year starter, but that is Carson... Oh my gosh. Kai. Shoot. I don't know if I can get this one right. This one is pretty tough. Um, I'm going to give it a try though. Kaiserin. Kaiserinowski. I want to say. I'm going to call him Carson though. But only six foot. Only 163 pounds. Only a first year starter for this Windsor team. As a senior by the way. 
but he did have 104 total tackles on the year. He is the lead tackler for this Windsor squad. Also six tackles for losses and one sack against Vista Ridge, uh, Braden Dorman. Um, oh, and my bad. I almost forgot. He had two interceptions as well, tying with the two other guys. He had an interception against uh, Keegan Patterson, and then he picked off Blake Barnett and Erie uh, against Erie. And so, you know, this Windsor team, Cody, you and I have talked about them all year. This is a squad that is very well coached, even if they don't have the talent. And that makes them dangerous because teams are going to naturally look over them. <coughs> I'm going to go ahead and talk about their let me just talk about their season real quick here because there are a lot of ups and downs a lot of close games so to start off the season they play vista ridge in colorado springs um as y'all know you know they're up i want to say by 10 points 10 or 15 points at one point and then Braden Dorman score um scores yeah he scores and storms back and they end up losing 26 to 20 in a close one against vista ridge you know so there's no shame in that one that's i mean that's it's Braden Dorman. He's a four-star quarterback, uh, but uh, you know whatever. Then they go ahead. They play Fossil Ridge, a 5A team, and beat them 33 to 30. They have one of the leading passers in the state, and Nathan Hallmark, one of the best like just defensive players in the state. Period as well. Pretty sure he leads the state in sacks. So there you go. They beat them 33 to 30. They beat Keegan Patterson and Longmont. 56 to 22 this was a little bit of a shocking game when they did that then they played loveland only lost seven by seven points they lost 14 to seven um that is a game they should definitely be proud of that could have won either way just like the vista ridge game they played bear creek that game they lost by 10 24 to 14 uh i mean i can't make any excuses for them they just straight up lost that one then they played broomfield cola crew and company only lost 18 to 10 so that's another one score game right there then you know take care of business against greeley west blow them out 49 to 7 they beat silver creek 19 to 14 in a close one lose another close one to bryden 28 to 18 and then they lose against erie 41 to zero and so a lot of one score games here one score games against vista ridge loveland broomfield um two score games just barely against bryden and bear creek and so those are games that definitely could have went either way and so i'm pretty sure they are getting underrated here just a little bit um even if i mean doesn't matter about the ranking just in general people look at their four and six record and they're like I don't know about Windsor, but this is still a tough team. They wrap up well. They tackle well. They run the ball really well against whoever. You saw it, you know. And so uh, it will be interesting to see how this rematch against Bear Creek goes because uh, I think this Windsor team is still hungry uh, moving forward. I don't think they're ready for their season to be quite over just yet. So, um, yeah. Okay. Do we want to make predictions or what do you want to do here? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Actually, I'm going to go ahead. Wow. Wow. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. But anyways, I'm going to say that history repeats itself a second time here. And Bear Creek pulls out a win against Windsor. Now, the first time this game happened it was actually in windsor and i think that bear creek will have a little bit more luck at home against windsor 
Now, I do think that Windsor is going to be able to force some turnovers in this game. But I, I just think that Bear Creek has more weapons and they have a bigger spread of talent across the defensive side of the ball. I think that, you know, their front seven proved to be a little too much for Windsor the first time. And I don't think that it's gotten worse since the last time they faced. So I think that the Bear Creek front seven significantly helps out and, you know, holds this Windsor team to a pretty decent amount of yards. And last time these teams faced, Segovia went for over 200 yards. So I think that, you know, either Windsor has to overcompensate and focus on him. And from there, you know, Jaden Minter just has to find one of two guys to kind of make it to the edge on like screen plays, I think is how you could get past this Windsor front seven trying to stop Ryan Segovia. And I think that the Bear Creek coaching staff is capable of calling such a game to counter the Windsor adjustments to Ryan Segovia, or you just hand it off to Segovia and let him run rampant again. So I just think that there's a little bit of a talent gap. And, you know, I, I think that Bear Creek comes out on top. Mason, do you have any thoughts? I'm going to let Simon go ahead and take this one since you uh, interrupted him. Good. You're a polite you. man. Mason, I'm going to go ahead and pick Windsor um, for the upset now. I don't think they're going to win. <laughs> I don't think they're going to win in the next round against Pine Creek. But I think well, if there's any team that they could beat, Bear Creek is probably one of those squads. Uh, look, I mean, it, it could happen to anybody. But if Windsor is up by 14 or two scores at any point of the game, uh, that's Windsor is not the team to mess around with the lead with. Like they're not the team to spot 14 points for, you know. And as you saw, you know, Vista Ridge, they uh, are definitely more of a passing team. Obviously, they got down to Windsor, and it took their four-star quarterback playing out of his mind for them to, you know, come back and win it. And so I'm looking at Jaden Minter. If he throws a pick six or fumbles it or, you know, anything like that, and they Windsor has a short field, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't help them out. Because playing a team like Windsor, you have to play near perfect because they're going to prey on your mistakes to win the game. You know, they don't even have to force it. It could just be you making the mistake. So you better not have any bad snaps or anything like that. You better play a pretty solid game here. And, you know, I would say Bear Creek is definitely favored, but I'm going to I'm just going to go ahead and pick the upset with Windsor here. I think, you know, the seniors here, they're motivated. You know, the regular season maybe didn't go the way they wanted to. This is a little bit of a measure of revenge here. You know, they feel like they feel a little vindictive here. They're like, yo. If we could just win one playoff game, the senior year, this regular season would be worth it. And so I think uh, Windsor, with that in mind, they go to Bear Creek and they beat them. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. But I think they're going to find a way to get it done. Real quick, Mason, before you uh, before you chip in, I just want to point out that in the revenge games so far in this bracket, I took South and Simon took Rich to win the second the second time in the Longmont Broomfield game I chose Longmont Simon chose Broomfield to change to turn the tables and in this revenge game we're on opposite sides once again Mason where are you falling on this game 
All right, I think I think Windsor comes out on top. Um, I, I mainly think about it as like, yeah, Bear Creek, but I feel like Bear Creek's gonna come in cocky just because like they do have the better season, like win ratio wise. They're at home. I, I see Windsor being able to pull this one off. They're gonna have to play a perfect game, which I think they're capable of doing. Um, they're gonna have to shut down Ryan's. What is this? Segovia. Yeah, they're gonna have to shut him down, um, which isn't gonna be easy by any means. Or they're gonna have to keep up, but. I can see Windsor taking this one. So I'm going to give it to Windsor. Then they're going to go to Pine Creek and lose, but well, Windsor's going to take it. Either of these teams are not going to. You could form a team of the best players from both of these teams, and I still don't know if you beat Pine Creek here. But No. Windsor's only either, here because they're here very well there. coached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope that's obvious. Like, they're here because they're very well coached. Like, how do you coach a six foot, 150 pound linebacker? to be the leading tackler on your team. And one of the leading tacklers in the state. Oh, yeah, and in the state as well. Like, on the 4A level, where they have, like, linemen that are 250-pound plus. Like, I I, I don't know. I I just believe in this coaching staff. I like them, so I'm going to go ahead and pick Windsor here. So, yeah. No, that's fair. And and I, and I respect both these teams, and I can see both, you know, the angle that you have, Simon, of the coaching. And I can see Bear Creek overlooking Windsor because, oh, we already beat them. We're at home. And and maybe not... I think this is a huge statement game for where the culture of Bear Creek is because this is only the second year of the new coaching staff. And I think it'll be very reflective of how that locker room treats, you know, playoff games and just overall big games in general heading into this game on Saturday? Saturday. Yeah, it's 11-6. At 1 o'clock. Such a weird time for a playoff game. Interesting. We're finally starting to get times for these games, so that's cool. 4 p.m. Yeah, for the Fruit of Monument game. But speaking of this weekend, the last one that we're going to talk about on the 4A level in this Quadrant 4 is going to be between 11-seeded Vista Ridge and number 22-seeded Skyline. And whoever wins this game will go on to face the defending state champs in Loveland. Mason and Simon have both had chances to watch Skyline, right? Yeah, Skyline and Vista Ridge. I've seen both play. Do you want to go ahead and talk uh, Vista Ridge then, Simon? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk Vista Ridge. So Vista Ridge had... The privilege of playing Pine Creek <laughs> earlier earlier in the season, and that was not an easy game. Um, and it's important to bring this up because I know pe- someone's gonna clip uh, us talking about Vista Ridge being our pick to win state. But when we picked them, Dom Nichols was supposed to play for them. I mean, guess where Dom is right now? So, with that being well, said, well, I don't have to guess. Well, yeah, he led Pomona to the playoffs. So if he could do that for Pomona, imagine what he would have done with Vista Ridge. But anyways, there you go. And so <laughs> Vista Ridge, they did play uh, Pine Creek, definitely a contender in this foray. And they definitely look one-sided, and it's because they don't have a running game. Despite having a bunch of, you know, big linemen, they just don't have that skill player to take over in the backfield. Now, they have Braden Dorman, obviously the number one quarterback in the state of Colorado, four-star, number nine in the nation, blah, 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 whatever you want, right? But not only do they have him, 
but they also have some great skill players here, um, including, let me just make sure I say this kid's name right, Keyshawn Dooley. Um, we watched his little brother Kobe Dooley play on Saturday, by the way, in a playoff game that they didn't win. But, uh, you know, very talented family. I know the coach the or the pops, uh, that's what I meant. He's a coach for Vista Ridge, but the pops coach Dooley as well. He's a good dude. Um, but Keyshawn Dooley, 482 receiving yards, four, touch, four touchdowns. Uh, you got Bridges, Kaishan Bridges, I think is how you say it. He has 604 receiving yards, six touchdowns. He's uh, probably considered more of the, I guess, the stronger option out of the three receivers here that have been turning up. You know, he's definitely a little bit more of a possession guy. He blocks pretty well and whatnot. And then they, you have the star receiver, arguably the best receiver, the number one receiver, regardless of class in Colorado brandon bb hills aka 4-3 in the flesh he had 942 receiving yards and 11 receiving touchdowns um those are only his offensive stats on uh special teams he also has a whole ton of <laughs> and i mean a whole ton of um punt return and kick return yards along with touchdowns to go with that you know if you want to win put bb in is what those team full gorilla guys say about bb hills over there and so you know that's what this vista rich team has obviously uh you got Braden dorman on the season 200 200 2,236 passing yards, uh, 23 passing touchdowns, seven interceptions. Um, so he's had his, uh, you know, a nice little season of his own there. On the defensive side, you know, you're struggling a little bit here. I'm not going to lie. When I watched them, I wasn't overly impressed with a ton of people. I mean, <clears throat> their lead tackler, uh, he has 71 total tackles. That is Isaiah Garcia. Uh, he plays linebacker 6'2", 180. He's not bad. Um, their best defensive like player and defensive lineman is Justice Laulu, uh, number 65. You know, on the season, only 32 tackles, um, you know, five tackles, four losses. He had also only two sacks on the season, five hurries. But don't get it twisted. This kid is one of the best, if not the best interior defensive lineman in the entire state you got to find a way to block this guy because he's gonna thrash around some people and make it happen uh because he's just that dude also by the way uh his i think he narrowed down his top three schools to air force idaho and eastern washington surprise surprise unc is not in the conversation because they didn't even offer him but uh you know there you go so um, we love our Bears, don't we? But uh, that's Vista Ridge, you know, a team that could pass the ball a lot. Uh, doesn't really have a running game. They have a couple of guys that run the ball, but it is what it is, you know. Uh, they're a team that's going to try to uh, outpace you. They're going to pass the ball. And then defensively, I mean, it's not a horrible squad. They still have a good O-line and D-line. Um, but, you know, defensively, they're led by Justice Laulu. So, uh, yeah, so that's Vista Ridge. Uh, Mason, do you want to talk about Skyline here? I saw Skyline play Silver Creek earlier in the season, but that's back when Logan Miller was playing quarterback and Caden Box wasn't there. But now Caden Box is quarterback and Logan Miller is that receiver. Yeah, so for that one, um, I got to see them last week against Longmont. Um, like you said, you know, Caden Box is throwing the ball for them. He's doing it, you know, semi-effectively. He has his ups and downs, as I saw in the game. 
But, you know, he has uh, 126 attempts, 61 completions, uh, 855 yards. And it looks like he has about eight touchdowns and three interceptions. So, you know, he's not he's not like doing like a grade or anything. You know, he has a 48 percent completion percentage, which is, you know, like I said, he's inconsistent. It's a 50 50 ball for him. But running the you know, running the rock, they have Wynn Drews running the rock very effectively for him. He's number one. But then they have a wide receiver. They run a lot of, you know, sweet plays with him. Uh, Logan Miller, he's also leading him in uh, their, you know, the receiving. Uh, but he gets it done on the ground. But then going on, you know, with their team, I've seen like, I, I don't know. I wasn't very impressed with their offense. They run a lot of the same plays over and over again. So I feel like that's something that, you know, uh, Vista Ridge can kind of key on. Uh, but all in all, uh Andrew Muncie gets it done in the air for him. He definitely, you know, receives a lot for them. But, you know, their leading tackler right now is uh, Maddox Leggett. Uh, he has 49 solo tackles, um, you know, 92 total tackles and nine tackles for loss. So he's definitely getting it, you know, getting there and doing what he can. Uh, Sacks-wise, you know, they have uh, Tony Munz or Muniz. Uh, you know, he has three hurries before Sacks. You know, they they definitely have a lot of to like desire on this defensive line because, you know, they have 35 hurries. So it's not like they're not getting it done. They have 18 total sacks over the season spread out between quite a few different guys. Um, but, you know, in the interception game, they do have two different guys. They have Logan Trosper and, oh, man, Giancarlo Barron. They both have three picks apiece. Um one of them has 44 yards, you know, averaging 44 yards on the return. So that's pretty good. But, you know, he has 132 on three picks for his yardage. Uh, a couple different fumble recoveries. Uh, the Giancarlo Barron, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher that. Uh, he also has a fumble recovery that went for 20 yards. So, you know, he's definitely getting it done for them. Skyline themselves, you know, I don't think their schedule was insanely hard. Um, you know, they started out against Rampart, then Grand Junction. Both of those are wins. Uh, they lost to Golden 33-21. Then the Silver Creek game that you saw, uh, 17-7. Then they lost to Erie, where they lost by a lot. It was 49-0. Uh, they won against Greeley Central, 34-23. Loveland, they got thrashed, 48-0. Uh, Monarch, they had 38-34 in an OT win against Monarch. So that's a that's a good, you know, overtime win, forcing overtime to take it. Uh, Grand Junction Central, 38-24. That's a win. And then they lost against Longmont last week. Um, I think their defense kind of struggled against Longmont personally. Uh, I don't think they had an answer for, you know, being able to stop the run and the pass. They could stop one at a time, but they couldn't take both. Um, any marks on that one, Simon? Because I know you saw him for Silver Creek. Yeah, uh, I think <clears throat> I think the Skyline team is pretty talented. I think they're pretty well coached. They'll show you a couple different looks, but you're right. They concept-wise, they basically run a lot of the same things. I think a lot of it is because of the lack of time they've had with Caden Box. Uh, obviously, he was hurt at one point and whatnot, and you got to keep that in mind. Last year, when they had Chase Silva, who was in this system for two years, this was a much like more wide-open playbook. 
I feel like they they would take a lot more shots and uh, you know run some more different stuff and run a lot more read option. I think this year, you know, between Logan Miller, Caden Box, they're kind of just found in a weird spot. Now they they both get it done, like they'll both produce, but I mean it's playoffs now. You're you're I assume they're gonna roll with Caden Box and whatnot to go ahead and win this one uh, or you know try to win this playoff game. But we'll see how. I guess uh, how how those lost weeks uh, turn up in this playoff game because uh, that that probably could have been key for Skyline there. I think this will be a close one though. Skyline they run the ball really well. Windrews he's an exceptional running back, um, and so yeah, a little bit of the opposite. You know, Vista Ridge they pass the ball well. Skyline they run the ball well, and so we'll see what goes down. I think defensively they're probably about the same. Uh, I mean, you know. Skyline doesn't have a Justice Laulu, so that's for sure. Uh, but I would probably say Vista Ridge does have a bigger offensive line than Skyline's defensive line. So yeah, I'm just going to throw that out there. They definitely have a little bit of a size advantage. Not a little bit, kind of by a lot. So that's all I'm going to say. Um, you, do you all, all want to get into predictions for this last 4A matchup here? This one's kind of a hard yeah. one. Uh, also, by the way, I will be at this game. Um, I, I'm assuming it's in Colorado Springs, but I will be at this game at 7 p.m. So yeah. All right, let's let's pick it. Let's Hello? pick it. All right, Cody. Let's see who you. Well, got. I'm going to err on the side of athletes. That has kind of been my go-to throughout this tournament so far. And I'm going to do it once again and choose the Vista Ridge Wolves to win this game. You know, they've had a pretty tough schedule and a lot of tests this year, and they've kind of stumbled here and there. But I just think that the receiving core is very solid. I think that they outclass Skyline on special teams as well. I think that Brayden Dorman is, you know, I, I think that he just gives this Vista Ridge offense a lot more upside than the Skyline offense has. So I'm going to err on the side of Vista Ridge. Now, the fact that Skyline even made the playoffs after how much talent they lost last year is impressive in and of itself. And so I think there's nothing to, you know, be bummed about if you do lose this opening playoff game. So. I definitely see where you're coming from. Simon, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to pick... I, I'm going to pick Vista Ridge. I'd be surprised. I don't know if I'd be surprised, um, but I'm going to pick Vista Ridge. I think they're definitely favored. They're playing at home. Skyline, they have to drive all the way from Longmont, I'm going to assume, to Colorado Springs and whatnot and play them. Um, yeah, and I mean, if, if if Vista Ridge goes down at any point, I trust, I trust Braden Dorman to get them out of it. I just do. So that's uh that's where I'm at with that, um, which is a shame. This is a this is a pretty solid skyline team, but I think I'm gonna roll with Vista Ridge here. This should be a close one. Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree. I'm gonna go with Vista Ridge. Um, I think they have more athletes. I think that you know what I saw from Skyline them running the rock a lot. I think that Vista Ridge is gonna pass, and I don't think they can keep up running it. I think that's my main thing is. Can they keep up? You know, they could, you know, they could turn around and prove us all wrong. You know, you never know how the game's going to go. It's a 50-50 game every time it is not written out. 
So I definitely like to like to see them win, but I think Vista Ridge takes this one. All right. Yeah. Bet. That's well, three for three on Vista Ridge. So Skyline, uh, go ahead and just kick some dirt into our eyes if you uh, pull off this upset. Yeah, for real. But, Don't, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Simon will be there, so kick it in the No, no. Don't <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, don't what do happens. that. That's don't, yeah, yeah, don't do that. But anyways, that'll wrap up our 4A predictions. We're going to go ahead and hop into 5A uh, soon here. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Mason Austin, and we're going to be talking about the 5A playoff bracket um, to start. Uh, in quadrant one, Valor does have the one seed, and they do get the bye. Uh, with the 16 seed, Fort Collins is facing Chaparro, who's the 17th seed. Uh, number nine is facing number 24, Columbine and Far Northeast Warriors. Uh, Arvada West did get the eight seed, and they do have also have a bye. Uh, and then in quadrant two, we have Grandview, who's the four seed. They have a bye. Uh, Mullen is facing Douglas County, Mullen being 13, Douglas County being 20th. Uh, Cherokee Trail at 12, facing Fossil Ridge at 21. Ralston Valley with the fifth seed by. Then on the other side of this bracket, Cherry Creek number two, facing, and then Legacy is facing Mountain Vista. Uh, Legacy 15, Mountain Vista is 18. Um, then we go down to number 10, Pomona, facing number 23, Castleview, with Regis having a bye at the 7 seed. Then in quadrant four, we have Legacy, who's third, uh, or sorry, Legend, who's third. And then 14, Smoky Hill, facing 19, Rock Canyon. Uh, 11, Thunder Ridge, facing 22, Fairview. And on that same side, number six, Arapaho, with a bye. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to... Uh, Simon to talk about this Fort Collins versus Chaparral matchup. Yeah, so uh, let me talk about Fort Collins here. I know Cody, he saw Chaparral in person, and so I'm going to allow him to do that. But Fort Collins, 8-2 and two on the season, not too bad of a season. A lot of close uh, losses here, but before I talk about that, let me talk about some players here that really stand out, starting with their star running back Max Jones on the season, he had 1,122 rushing yards and 11 rushing touchdowns. He was a big part of this Fort Collins offense doing it all. Now, passing-wise, this Fort Collins team, um, when, when they, I, I don't know what their deal is, but they kind of split at quarterback. They had a lot of different people throwing passes here. Uh, the two main ones, as in the two ones that have the most stats here is I'm, I assume it's pronounced easy Campos. At least that's what I'm going to pronounce it. Cause that sounds pretty cool to me. He had 538 passing yards for seven passing touchdowns, one interception only played in four games though. So that kind of leads me to believe he is out now. And then the other guy is Andrew ceased. Uh, he is a senior he passed for 483 passing yards, nine touchdowns, three interceptions. And then I guess the other guy that's in here as well is, I, I want to say his name is Dorian McGarity. I feel like he might be a little bit more of a uh, wildcat type of quarterback, but he passed for 221 passing yards and one touchdown uh, on the ground. He did run for 459 rushing yards, 
<coughs> he did run for 459 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns. And so between Max Jones and the number of quarterbacks they had there, uh, and McGarity, who is obviously their Wildcat quarterback, they kind of had a lot going on um, for this Fort Collins team. They have a lot of uh, different kind of weapons and players to use on offense also by the way mcgarity is also their leading uh receiver with 447 receiving yards and seven receiving touchdowns and so that is kind of their squad there now their leading tackler is joseph van meter at least i believe that's how you say that he leads the team with 87 total tackles eight tackles for losses on the season um doesn't have any sacks but does have seven hurries on the season one interception against fossil ridge two and so those are kind of the main guys to look out for for this fort collins team they have an interesting offense i'm not sure what they're gonna roll out um but it's definitely probably for sure known that max jones is gonna have a huge part in uh, what happens along with dorian mcgarity uh the two seniors for that squad now before uh, we move on and Cody talks about this other team here, I'm going to quickly talk about their schedule. So only lost two games. One of them was to Ponderosa, a 4-8 team. They lost 35-33. to Don't know how that happened. And then they lost to Rocky Mountain, 25-24. to uh, Other than that, you know, they, they beat some solid teams. They beat Legacy, 30-29, uh, to only by one point, but still beat them. Um, they beat Fossil Ridge, <laughs> another the only other playoff team on their list, 34-23. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. They had a pretty easy schedule, not even going to lie. You have Westminster, Westminster on here, Boulder, a forfeit to North Glen, North Glen forfeiting to them, I mean, uh, Adam City, Mountain Range. And so yeah, Fort Collins, they're in the playoffs at 8-2. Versus five and five Chaparral. Uh, Cody, do you want to go ahead and talk about that squad over there? Absolutely. And as Simon mentioned, I did get to see these guys in person against Fairview, which was a win. And the story of that game was really similar to most of Chaparral's season, and that Kylan Wilson took the game over. And Kylan Wilson is a multiple. Playmaker of the Week winner on the 5A level, which is a big deal. I mean, <laughs> there's plenty of talent on the 5A level. But, you know, Kylan Wilson, he's pretty good through both the air and the ground. Just to read some of his stats from this year, he did throw for 1,420 yards and 15 touchdowns to only six interceptions. But it was really on the ground where he had 149 carries at the quarterback position for 947 yards and 14 scores. The worst place that you want to be against Chaparral is with your back to the end zone and them in the red zone because Kylan Wilson will find the end zone almost every single time. And you know, considering that he had 149 carries, I don't think it's too bad on top of, you know, 156 dropbacks for passes that, you know, he lost five fumbles. That's obviously not a great thing, but for like 300 touches, that's pretty good. Wow. That's pretty good. Um, but then talking about some other guys on this offense, you have the 
running back. Camden Vaught, he's also a huge playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. He's a very tough runner. You know, he only got 88 carries, but those four yards every time between the tackles is pretty consistent, and he's a very physical player. Like, he'll put his shoulder down, and he'll run through somebody. Fairview was having trouble locking down Kylan Wilson and Camden Vaught. And, you know, we, we've seen them before, and they have some decent D linemen. But, you know, they were struggling with these guys. And as far as the passing game goes, you have Braden Monroe for this Chaparral team. He's actually a playmaker of the week as well. So this Chaparral team is just littered with great athletes. And in this season, he caught 13 of Kylan's 15 touchdown passes. So it's it obviously helps when you have a great receiving target like Braden, who's very good at yards after the catch. You know, his long of the year was 77, which was the week that he won the Playmaker of the Week. So he has that going for him. And then you also have another senior in number 11, Lewis here, Francisco Lewis, who has caught 184 yards and also has a long of 71. So just getting the guys the ball in space has been the offensive success formula for Chaparral here. On the defensive side of the ball, Camden Vaught, their most physical player, leads the team in tackles with 82. And then you also have a lot of the same names as in Kylan Wilson, who plays safety for them, who has 74 and comes up and plays the run very well. As far as tackles for loss go, the leader is Jeff Freeman with six tackles for loss so far this season. And he also leads in sacks with six as well and two hurries. But don't let that fool you. This is a very solid overall, you know, defense that held the likes of the Fairview offense to only 13 points. So is that before or after Grand Page? Uh, that was the game that Grand Page got injured. Actually, okay. like in, I want to say it was like the right before half. Okay. But anyways, you know, they also the same guys, Braden Monroe, Kylan Wilson, and then Lewis here, four interceptions, four interceptions, three interceptions respectively. So they just have a concentration of athletes that make plays literally everywhere. And the same can be said for, you know, Kickoff returns. Braden Monroe averages 34 yards a return. And then for, for kickoff returns, I know that they have plenty of blocked field goals and they have plenty of blocked punts where they just flip the field for free and always give their offense a short field, which is obviously ideal for a team that can attack the red zone just so well. So... Yeah, and I mean, on this season, they have two fumble recoveries returned for touchdown. They have two interceptions returned for touchdowns. They have a kickoff return for a touchdown. So they can score in all facets of the game. And that's one thing that has made them so special is just their ability to win in three. They always win in one phase of the game, whether it's special teams or offense or defense. And then they only have to win one more. It's a great philosophy to have, and they've lived and died by it. So, so far this season, they opened up with a big win against Eagle Crest that kind of set the tone for both Eagle Crest and Chaparral this year. So they won 35-21. Then they beat Rock Canyon in an overtime game where they allowed Rock Canyon to climb back in. 
and then they finish the job after falling asleep for about a whole quarter. Then they share something similar with Fort Collins, losing to Ponderosa 37-21. And then they lost to Lakewood 27-23. So at this point, it's a mixed bag of what Chaparral is. Then they bounce back. They get a good win against Fairview in Fairview. That was the game that I went and saw where their defense just stepped up really well. They were pressuring Beckham into making a lot of off-balance throws. They made Beckham take some really bad sacks in that game. And it was definitely a growing experience for Beckham in that game. Then they lose to Regis Jesuit pretty bad. They actually kind of struggled in league in general, only going two and three, losing to Regis 56 to 14. They beat Doherty, but you're supposed to beat Doherty. Then they lost to Pine Creek 48-21. Beat Douglas County 35-32 in a very close game decided by a field goal. And then got trounced by Legend 45-14 on Legend Senior Night. So there's a lot to analyze here. There's a lot to dissect. But after what Simon has said and what I have said, Mason Austin, where do you see this game ending at? Um, to be honest with you, I see Shap taking it. Uh, they have a lot of playmakers. They have a lot of, you know, athletes and they get it done on the defensive side. I said, I said they take it this week. I'm going to say, I'm going to bet on the defensive players, you know, making the plays. Obviously their quarterback gets it done on both sides of the ball, but, but well, all phases of the ball, he gets it done running, passing, and he gets it done on defense playing safety with four interceptions, you know, multiple tackles for losses, you know. He's an athlete. I'm going to bet on the athletes. I think Shab takes it. I think it would be a close game, but I think Shab takes it. Uh, Simon, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I'm going to roll with Chaparral. I do not trust the Fort Collins passing game. Uh, I don't know what their situation is, but I I don't know. I just don't trust it. Um, yeah, and I think I like Kylan Wilson a lot. I think he's an exceptional player. If they do get the lead, uh, they'll be able to hold on to it uh, with that offense that they've built around him. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick Chaparral as well. But uh, Cody, are you picking Chaparral or are you picking Fort Collins? Well, first off, what's a lambkin? I'm not a biology (laughs) major, so I don't know. Because that's what the Fort Collins team is. Uh, let's okay. I'm actually going to to Google this. Lambkins, a smaller young lamb. Well, lambs are prey. Wolverines, they're hunters. They're predators. They're scrappy. The animal is, and so is this football team. And I think that's going to be enough to beat Fort Collins coming up this weekend. I just think, like like we've all said, and like I've said throughout this episode, I'm going to err on the side of the athletes. I've seen them IRL. Plus, this Fort Collins defense does not inspire a lot of defense to me. They only have 44 tackles for loss this year. They have nine sacks on the season. On the season, they have nine sacks. Are you really going to give Kylan Wilson the time of day to either you know, stick his foot in the ground and turn up field against these cornerbacks and DNs that aren't athletes, apparently? Or, you know, do you try and rush him and you overcommit and then you just let Brady Monroe beat you over the top? The choice is theirs, but either way, I just think that this order is too tall for Fort Collins to overcome. Obviously, you know, 
whoever wins is going to have a very tough matchup in the second round. So it might be inconsequential, but that's where I'm sitting. I'm taking Chaparral to win this, and that puts us at three and three. Three and three, you mean three and four? Well, three, four, three. Well, well, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. As in all three of us are voting for one team is what you mean. Yes. Okay. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just uh, jump into the heat of the battle here and talk about the league winning far Northeast Warriors and the last seed in these playoffs preparing to face off against Columbine. Oh, go ahead. I'll I'll let you. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So for those who don't know, in the 5A spring tournament, the far Northeast Warriors were actually the runners up for state title. And they got to be pretty pleased by the fact that they won their league and made the playoffs this year. I mean, the the but the bets definitely weren't on them. You know, I can vouch that Simon and I weren't sure about this team being a playoff team, much less, you know, a league winning team. But, you know, they they found a way to get it done this year. And it's mostly due to this one athlete that they have who I'm going to talk about. And that's Draymond Jackson, who is their both leading receiver and leading rusher. But their leading receiver and rusher with 85 carries on the season. He ran for 561 yards and two scores. And then on the receiving end, he had 26 catches for 475 yards and five touchdowns. And he looks like somebody who just rips off big plays with a long of 71 receiving and a long of 47 on the ground, both being the longest plays out of anybody on this team. He is helped out a little bit by a junior running back in Antavius Hughes, who tacked on another 512 yards. They kind of have a backfield committee going on, and he also ran for three touchdowns this year. Finding him on the receiving end has been quarterback Andy Martinez with 760 yards on the year and six scores to two interceptions. He's had a pretty solid season. It looks like he has also seeded some throws to a fellow senior number 10, James Ariety. Ariety? Yeety at the end there. But, you know, and they, like I said, they found Draymond Jackson as well as Aaron Banks here at wide receiver. He's a junior as well. 27 catches for 337 yards and three scores. So, you know, they've had a couple of athletes on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, they've kind of struggled on the defensive side of the ball. They only have 16 tackles for loss to boot this far in the season. They have 11 hurries and five total sacks. Luckily, Draymond Jackson also gets it done on the defensive side of the ball, getting two interceptions. And he also has a fumble recovery and four caused fumbles. So he's a very physical football player. As far as other defensive studs, you have Ben McCall, who has two interceptions. But um, there, I feel like you can look into these numbers. You can look into their schedule and kind of see how this team falls to a 24 seed, even for a league winner. Against some of the best competition that they've gone against this year, they got drubbed by Thunder Ridge 47-0. 
They did beat Monarch 30 to six, but that is a 4A team. They lost to Cherokee Trail 28 to 14. They lost to Westminster 20 to 16, which Westminster should be in the playoffs over some other team since they did have a winning record. But anyways, um, then they lost to Legacy 40 to seven, all tough losses. Things started to turn around once they got into league play. This league has had a tough time lately fielding a competitor from for a, a plentitude of reasons but you know they were able to come out of league play four and one only losing to rangeview 28 to 10 but they beat the other competitors in overland 25 to 22 took care of purview 21 to 13 and they won their last game of the year to seal it 21 to 19 against Denver East that was throwing everything they had at this Northeast Warriors team and overrode them. So that's how the five and five Warriors have found their way into the playoffs against number nine, Columbine. Simon, if you want to talk about the Rebels here. Yeah, I was going to ask you if uh, if I could. So uh, let me go ahead and talk about it. Look, um, I don't want to spoil my pick for this playoff game, but I think it's pretty obvious in this moment, this moment here. But uh, Columbine, as y'all know, very physical team. They run the ball. They play good defense. Uh, they and that led them to a solid seven and three record, including a dub over Pomona as well. And so uh, let me go ahead and talk about the two guys they really run this offense to, and that is number thirty-two. Or sorry, number 34. I don't know where I got 32 from. But number 34, Seth Cromwell, King Cromwell. They rested him last game. Um, I'm pretty sure they did, unless he's actually hurt. But I'm pretty sure they rested him. He will be good to go. He ran for 1,057 rushing yards and 17 rushing touchdowns. Minus one regular season game. Keep that in mind. And then the other guy, uh, Trustee Hayes. Or... That's his name, right? I'm not, or sorry, Tyree Trustee Hayes. Tyree, uh, he is the other guy for this team. Uh, a junior, he has 791 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. He's the other guy that they run this offense through. Now, defensively, there's a ton of guys on this list because they really do be uh, rotating a bunch of people in. Seth Cromwell, he is in there as well. He plays the linebacker. Had 62 tackles on the year, but the lead tackler is Peyton Wainwright. He has 68 tackles on the year. And then somebody to look out for is definitely Rocky Shields, their junior defensive end slash uh, defensive lineman. He's like 6'3", 240 pounds. He is a big dude. At least that's what's listed on Max Preps. I think he might be a little bit taller than that. Uh, he had four sacks on the year. This is a tough Columbine team that, you know, puts together some good wins against uh, Cherokee Trail. They beat them 52-21. to 21. They beat a uh, out-of-state team in Faith Lutheran 21-11. to 11. They only lost by 14 to Valor Christian 35-21. Mason, I think you might have been at – were you at that game? Yeah, I was at that game. Okay, bet. Well, I'll ask you your opinion about them in a second here. Uh, lost to Arvada West 24-21, but went ahead, beat Lakewood, blew them out, beat Mullen 28-14, lost to Ralston Valley 35-14, then beat Pomona 20-6. Now, Mason, I want to ask you about your opinion on Columbine, uh, and, you know, if you want to make your predictions, go for it. 
right. So to start, um, I guess my thing on Columbine was they play some really tough defense. Um, they play a really, really simplified offense, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, defensively, they play stout. You know, at, you know, they did let, you know, what is this, Valor scored 35 on them. So, you know, they did let him score a decent amount of points, but it doesn't show everything, you know. Valor made a couple big plays in the beginning that kind of put him up. But other than that, they were shutting him down, making him punt. So, you know, defensively, I think they're really stout. But offensively, I think their playbook is really simplified. And it could probably be... It could probably be drawn on, like, one piece of paper. They probably have, like, seven or eight plays they call. And one one pass play. That's all they call it was one pass play. And they only passed it twice in the game for one completion. Um... For this game, though, my prediction, I am going to have Columbine beating far the far Northeast Warriors. Um, I think their defense is just too much for them to handle. Um, yeah, uh, Cody, what you think? Yeah, I'm going to have to echo that sentiment. The only concern for Columbine is their playbook further in the tournament against some of the higher-seeded teams. It'll work great against the far Northeast Warriors. Seth Cromwell will be very well-rested. They didn't even have Seth, and they beat Pomona. So, and, you know, one of the guys that impressed me a whole lot was Wes Jones on that Columbine defense, as well as getting some carries. He was making plays all over the place, and also had some pretty decent returns as a return guy. He's a pretty solid athlete. And then they also have that Grayson Hedrick kid who can force turnovers, both forcing fumbles as a cornerback and getting interceptions. So this Northeast Warriors team is going to be, they're going to have their hands full for sure. And I think it's going to be a little too much. I'm taking the Columbine Rebels in this game. Coach B? I mean, it should be obvious. Even with a basic playbook, they're still a way better team than a Far East, or wait, yeah, Far Northeast Warriors. So, uh, yeah, I think Columbine, they go ahead, get an easy dub here, and then move on to Arvada West. Yep. Right. Which jumps us down to quadrant two. <laughs> now, wait, Simon, how many of these Douglas County games have you seen? Two. No, three. Three. You've seen two? You've seen three. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think it's only fair to let you talk about Douglas County. And, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll chip in real quick. Their win against Castleview showed Oh, wait, I've seen two as well, so you've only seen one. Yeah. But anyways, um, this their win against Castleview is what said the most to me about A.J. Jackson's talent. However, I'll let Simon talk about some of the concerns for this team whenever he gets to their schedule. Okay, I bet. Well, I went to most of their games. I mean, y'all who have been listening to this podcast know about their big three. So I'm just going to talk about that big three and then talk about their schedule. And so obviously you have A.J. Jackson, the three-star quarterback. He is uh, legit deal with it with beautiful mechanics. Uh, I mean, he had a very good year, obviously leading Douglas County to their best record in probably close to a decade, to be honest with you. And so um, big congrats to them. Then you have his speedster, uh, Chase Nelson. He's a threat on special teams as well. But as a receiver, you know, he's someone that could take the top off, be a problem for them. And then you have Tyler Stonebreaker, their tough little running back. He is going to break a lot of tackles, run in between the tackles, and add another rushing threat for Douglas County. 
Now, the biggest issue for Douglas County, uh, because they did like drop basically almost all their league games, uh, four of them, their last four games, including uh, 35-7 loss to Pine Creek, 49-7 loss to Legend. Uh, they lost a close one against Chaparral, 35-32, and then they lost a semi-close one to Regis Jesuit, 34-24. And so... Here's the deal with them. Uh, They have a great big three. Like, they're all going to get theirs and do their thing. But I would say probably their line is the biggest issue there. And then when playing more more talented teams like a legend who have like a million weapons, that is a problem as well. Because you got to think about it. AJ Jackson, Chase Nelson, uh, they're playing both sides of the ball. So, you know, that's a lot of wear and tear for them on defense to stay out there. And then to go back on offense, you know, that's never good. energy wise and so against teams like that who they gotta run against who basically they gotta you know get in a shootout to have a chance of winning that's never a good thing but they can they can win you know again against teams that um you know are a little bit closer to their skill level overall as a team such as a mullen it may even be argued that they are better than a mullen as well and so i'm just gonna throw that out there but douglas county i think um i mean this is their best season in a while and you know this might be their best season in the next couple years as well when we look back at it but this is definitely a special group for douglas county unfortunately it's not a group that could make a super deep run in the playoffs but uh you know i'm just gonna go ahead and throw out my prediction there i think they could maybe win this well yeah i'm just gonna say it i think douglas county could beat mullen um and i don't think that's a wild prediction either but cody do you want to talk about douglas county or mullen or uh go ahead and throw in your prediction here i mean we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on this one i feel yeah i don't think so they the mullen mustangs that is they're not the Mullen Mustangs that I knew or that I played against. You know, they have this little sophomore quarterback who's had a pretty solid year, 10 touchdowns to five interceptions and just over a thousand yards. You know, and they got that glove work coach, Gabe Cardenas over there, you know, trying to implement his culture into that wide receiving crew, which is always really cool to see. And uh, actually I think his younger brother is a wide receiver there. Um, who who's had a you know like averages like 10 yards per per catch but and and they also have i want to shout out krebs here their running back who has 998 yards and six touchdowns but this mullen team is just lacking i don't even know how to describe what they're lacking but they just lack the tools to beat douglas county who i think has more talent at almost every single position. And I don't think that Mullen should be in the playoffs. They went three and seven. Yeah, they had a win against Legend that was weird as the second game of the season. But then they got blown out by Rages, blown out by Valor, blown out by blown out by Arvada West, blown out by Columbine, blown out by Beaumont. Like, I just don't think that they're that good of a team. And I think that they lose this game to Douglas County. Mason, do you disagree with Simon Ori's take on this last game, or on I mean on this game? No, not at all. I think Mullen is. I think Mullen, you know, if they got a couple more players in there, they might be able to do something. But right now, Mullen is not 
the Mo- like you said, not the Mullen we played against. Um, I don't think Mullen wins this game. And if Mullen does win this game, good on them, but they're going to lose in the next round. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Cool. 3-0 Douglas County. So, in this next game, we have number 12 Cherokee Trail against 21 Fossil Ridge. Simon, do you want me to talk about Cherokee Trail and you talk about Fossil Ridge? Yes, let's do that. Okay, so, you know, over there at Cherokee Trail, they are led by Logan Brook, that quarterback who has thrown 27 touchdowns to only four picks, along with 2,500-plus pass yards, and also, you know, finding the end zone one additional time. You know, he's not really a running quarterback, but he can pick up some yards if he needs to. It's kind of what that status is. And Cherokee Trail, they're a pretty routine playoff team i'd say and they're one that kind of airs it out pretty well and some of the benefactors of logan brooks great season this year includes the likes of jack pierce and uh kaylin bing as well as uh another this is actually the only junior over 400 yards of receiving in noah greer and then other senior receiver gage gordon you know, they have 946, 634, 448, and 434 yards, respectively, with the touchdown spread out fairly evenly, you know, kind of concentrated at the top with Jack Pearson being at nine touchdowns and seven. But then, you know, Gage Gordon has five touchdowns and Junior Greer has two. And then, you know, some other guys find their way into the end zone, but this is definitely a passing football team. It's kind of been their forte for as long as I can remember. They did lose some talent to graduating last year. You know, they lost Elijah Graham. They lost that, um, was it Mason Maddox? Mm-hmm. That was the lineman there at Cherokee Trail and went to CU. Yep. So it's kind of apparent that they did lose some talent there because there's only six tallied sacks for this team. Mason Maddox had like 12 last season. Yeah, so... They, they lost a lot of that pressure on the defensive side of the ball. Luckily, you know, Elijah gave us a heads up on the secondary that there are going to be some playmakers here. Specifically, Michael Hemingway has three interceptions on the season. And then you have fellow senior Gridley, number 91, who also registered two interceptions himself. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of surprises coming from Cherokee Trail this year, but... That's not necessarily a bad thing for a team that routinely ends with a winning record as they did this year. Simon, you want to talk about, you know, the air attack that they'll be facing off against over at Fossil Ridge. Yeah, so uh, Fossil Ridge, a team that I was rooting to get into the playoffs, and I'll say that openly, you know, this is a team that has a lot of talent on their squad, and that starts with their junior quarterback, Tyler Kubat. Um, Like I said, I hope I'm saying his last name right, but he hasn't said anything back, so I'm going to assume it's right. And so he is one of the lead passers in the entire state of Colorado. He threw for 2,750 passing yards, 
24 passing touchdowns and only nine interceptions. So nothing crazy there. Uh, on the ground, he also had 189 rushing yards on the season and four rushing touchdowns. That's only two less than their lead rusher. Uh, oh, my gosh. Iolani Mock who had 523 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. But other than that, this team is definitely a passing team. They are a fun team to watch. They got three receivers who are all over 500 receiving yards in um, their starting, or sorry, in their their lead receiver, Mac Busteed. He had 998 receiving yards, um, sadly only two yards off from 1,000 receiving yards. But 998 receiving yards, nine receiving touchdowns as a junior. Um, actually, all three of these uh, top three receivers are juniors along with a quarterback. So we might see them again. We probably will see them again next year. Then their other uh, receiver, their second one, is Trek Keyworth. He uh, had 787 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns. And then their last guy here, Dominic Leone. He had 681 receiving yards and eight receiving touchdowns on the year. And then I might as well shout out this fourth receiver. He's a junior, uh, <coughs> Bryce Olson. He had, sorry about that. He had 228 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns. And so that is basically their entire offense. They love to pass the ball. They're a dangerous team. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, I'm only going to talk about one guy because he is the biggest problem for Cherokee Trail and for a lot of teams that do play him. And that is Nathan Hallmark, the 6'3", 210-pound defensive end for Fossil Ridge. There's not a game this season where he has not recorded at least one sack. And so I'm just going to go ahead and go down the line against Ralston Valley. He had two sacks against Windsor. He had two sacks, which is crazy because both of those teams don't pass the ball a lot uh, versus Fort Collins. He had a sack versus Eagle Chris. He had four sacks. Pretty sure they have uh, either a three-star tackle over there in Braden Miller. I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure they have a tackle over there uh, against Arvada West. He had a sack. Uh, Pooter, he had two sacks. Against Horizon, he had four sacks. Against Fairview, he had one. Rocky Mountain, one. Legacy, one. For a grand total of 19 sacks on the season and nine hurries as well. Also, he has caused five fumbles and he has blocked one field goal. And then somehow he had one pass deflection against Horizon. So... So there you go. This dude, Nathan Hallmark, easily one of the top edge rushers in the state. He will probably for sure make our top five list. He is a problem. There has not been a team that has been able to stop him and not allow a sack this season. And that should be saying a lot. Um, Yeah, I mean, that should just be saying a lot, you know. But I'm going to talk about this schedule real quick. Foster Ridge went five and five, lost 33 to 30 to Windsor a pretty close one um they lost to ralston valley that was the first game of the season only 21 to 3 lost to fort collins 34 to 23 lost to arvada west 42 to 21 and then only lost to fairview 25 to 23 um so yeah those are the only losses they have this season i think their biggest win of the season was against the legacy where they won 33 to 27 in overtime biggest or more important you know game pick one but this foster rich team has a lot of talent you know they got quarter they have a quarterback 
they have three receivers, four if you really want to count them. They're all juniors, and then they have an elite pass rusher here. And so this will be a very interesting matchup. Um, do y'all mind if I go ahead and predict this one? No, go right ahead, man. Okay, so I really thought about this. Also, shout out to my boy, Seth Bogluski. He's over at uh, Cherokee Trail. I think he's the PE teacher there. But I'm going to go ahead and pick Fossil Ridge to win this one. Uh, Look, they have a good quarterback. You know, they have multiple receivers. I think Cherokee Trail is going to have their hands full. You know, now I know they have, you know, guys in the secondary to combat that, but you know, seeing is believing. I need to see that first. I'm very high on this quarterback, Tyler Kubat. And then in addition, I mean, Nathan Hallmark, he's probably guaranteed to get at least one sack, if not a couple of hurries. Uh, that's almost a guarantee at this point, unless, you know, Cherokee trails, uh, Travis Gray, he plays for them, right? Yes, yes, yes he does. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting matchup to see, unless Travis Gray could go ahead and break his streak of sacks. So uh, we'll see, but I think I'm going to have Fossil Ridge winning a very, very, very close game. They're going to have to play almost a perfect game, but I think they could do it against Cherokee Trail and uh, shock the world here. But uh, what about y'all? What do y'all think about this game here? So for me personally, I don't think it's going to be close at all, and I think Cherokee Trail is going to take it. Um, I think on the offensive side, they're going to, you know, they have Nathan Hallmark, you know, uh, Nathan T. Hallmark or whatever. It's, uh, you know, he's trying to kind of get it out for him and he's going to do his best. But I feel like, you know, after watching, you know, Travis Grace, all of his, you know, like his footage and everything, they're going to put him one on one with him. I don't think he shuts him down by any means, uh, but I do think he slows him down enough that, you know, this Cherokee Trail offense can get it done so i think that you know that between their quarterback and their wide receivers and all their offensive weapons they get it done and i don't think this offense moves the ball as effectively against this cherokee trail defense cody uh i'm going to double down on mason's take and go with cherokee trail here i i think that out of a lot of the teams that have faced you know Fossil Ridge here that Cherokee Trail is, you know, one of the best that can throw somebody at Hallmark. Like Mason said, I don't think that they completely stop him or anything like that. But I do have a lot of faith in this quarterback, Logan Brook, who, you know, has pitched one of the better seasons, rarely turning the ball over. I think that they just have a plethora of weapons as well to come at this Fossil Ridge team with. So, you know, I think that this will be a high scoring game. I think it'll be a close game that's going to come down to the wire and probably end on a last second touchdown or field goal. But I do go with the home team and Cherokee Trail to win this one. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll see. Um, Yeah, I guess we'll see. So there you go. Now, do y'all want to talk about Legacy or Mountain Vista? That is the other playoff game in Quadrant 3. The winner of that game will play Cherry Creek. Yeah, so Mason and I actually got to witness Mountain Vista. Anyways, I'm going to seed the kind of program overview of Mountain Vista over to Mason, and then I'll chip in whatever I think he misses. 
and then we'll let you take legacy after this. And I. All right. So basically, for uh, you know, for this Mountain Vista squad, they do have their you know their quarterback, and you know I think he's a pretty good little guy that he got over there, Austin Moretzky. Um, you know he he's effective. He he was throwing kind of a little bit rough against. You know, this Arapaho defense that we watched, but, you know, he did torture him on a couple different plays. Uh, he's 81 completions for 114 attempts, uh, 1,028 yards, nine touchdowns to six interceptions. Um, I thought that was kind of rough. Um, personally, he's a freshman. Uh, they do have a backup, or I don't know if he's a backup even. He might just split the snaps with them. Uh, Dane Doherty. He is a senior. He's 64 for 147 uh, attempts. He's 788 yards. He has 10 touchdowns, but six interceptions. So it looks like they kind of split the snaps over there. Uh, Rushing-wise, they did have uh, Kyle Russell. He's kind of their their go-to back. You know, he had 10. He's he's got played 10 games. He has uh, 129 carries for 630 yards with five touchdowns um their go-to receiver mainly was nick stone uh he was the go-to receiver when we watched him against you know arapaho uh 51 receptions 730 yards nine touchdowns uh this guy mossed um two different times was it two times against this arapaho uh defense uh but i think the main part about mountain vista was their defense gave Arapaho's offense a fit. Like, all game was in his face. Um, and Arapaho really didn't recover from it. So, I, I see on that side of the ball, I see that Arapaho's defense is really... Or, uh, sorry, Mountain Vista's defense was really giving him a fit. Uh, Max Preps doesn't have any other stats updated, which sucks. But, from what I saw, they were a pretty solid little squad. They had some guys making plays, you know, pass deflections... Uh, some sacks they were forcing you know uh, Hanson to make some plays that he probably wouldn't have made if he didn't get forced to uh Cody did I miss anything I just really wanted to highlight Nick Stone in particular he's really crisp and is definitely on my list for one of the top five receivers I think that he had a really difficult year having to catch passes from two different quarterbacks but he still produced at a pretty high level and had a couple of games where he had multiple touchdowns. So, yeah, Nick Stone is definitely one of the best receivers in the state, despite the situation that he was given. And I think he's one of the best in the state, especially because of the situation that he was kind of thrown into. But I'm able to pass this over to Simon. Yeah, so uh, I have never seen Legacy play in person and whatnot but i have talked about one of their games before here at least i I think i have but this team went six and four on the season um their four losses i'm just going to talk about them right now 30 to 29 against fort collins uh they lost 23 to 10 against arvada west lost against pomona without dom by the way 26 to 20 and then they lost to fossil ridge 33 to 27 now with that being said they do have some pretty talented skill players uh but before i talk about them i'm going to talk about their quarterback jadon carter he is a junior uh you know through through for 1471 yards uh eight touchdowns to nine interceptions though that's not exactly great 
But if you really want to look at his passing uh, totals and, you know, what he did throughout this season, I think it's important to keep in mind against Foster Ridge, he actually won 28 of 36, which is a 77% completion rate for 304 passing yards, uh, no touchdowns, only one interception there. And so he's someone that has shown that he could, uh, you know, potentially have a little bit more in him than um, what has shown so far. He is a junior, and I do think this might be his first year as the starter. It is his first year as the starter, so there you go but let me go ahead and talk about legacy star running back braylon tate he's somebody who probably should be on our top five senior list as far as running backs go uh on the year he had 1386 rushing yards and 16 rushing touchdowns that also includes a 301 yard and four rushing touchdown game against fairview a record-breaking game by the way uh, where he just went crazy now I got to mention this. He only had two carries last week against Fossil Ridge for negative two yards. So I am not sure if he is going to come back. Uh, just going to throw that out there. He also had three receptions and 31 receiving yards against Fossil Ridge. And so that is very uncharacteristic. He is uh, very much one of those guys that you give 20 plus carries to. Uh, 20 plus touches to actually, which is what Legacy does because they also throw him the ball. He has 178 uh, receiving yards and a touchdown on the year, you know, with contributions in almost every game. And so he's a problem. If he plays, he's going to be a handful for any team. But, uh, you know, we're just going to have to see about that. Now, their lead receiver is senior receiver. He's 6'1", 165, Camden Johnson. He, he ended the year with 550 receiving yards on the year, plus five touchdowns. Uh, he is somebody that you probably got to keep an eye on as their lead receiver. Their lead tacklers is uh, Michael McCarty and uh Braden Keith here who or wait a second sorry Michael McCarty he is their leading tackler with 79 total tackles on the season also had three or yeah two fumble recoveries and then one blocked field goal on the season he's somebody who is kind of the leader of this team at that middle linebacker spot and then sorry Braden Keith he leads the team with four interceptions on the year he is a senior as well and so they got some pieces for this legacy team but in my opinion doesn't matter if you don't have braylon jones braylon jones is their offense he is a special kind of player you saw what he did against fairview going for 300 yards and four touchdowns and it's not like fairview has a horrible like terrible defense you know they got zach lewis they got a couple other guys over there uh so for him to do that i mean it's it's not against a bad team so you just got to keep that in mind and so uh with that being said i'm just gonna go ahead and save this my prediction for this playoff game i have mountain vista winning i have a hard time seeing legacy win if braylon's back and i don't know if he will be back so uh yeah but what about y'all uh what are y'all's predictions for this playoff game yeah i think that without you know braylon tate there even if he's a question mark, if if he missed that much of the last game, I feel like he wouldn't be 100% heading into this game. And, you know, Mountain Vista is a team that played, or at least when we saw them, played pretty stout against the run game, honestly. And they're a team that runs between the tackles quite a bit with some big body backs as well. 
And so even if he is there trying to play or contribute on defense, they're going to be very physical, uh, at least against a weathered team such as Legacy. So I'm also going to... I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to go with Mountain Vista to win in the first round of the playoffs. All right. So for me personally, uh, I got Legacy winning this one. Um, even without the running back, I don't see Mountain Vista pulling this off. Um, I do believe that, you know, they that Mountain Vista is a good team. They're solid defensively, but I don't like the two quarterback situation. So I see with both of their quarterbacks having six interceptions each. You know, like, if they're turning the ball over that much, like, why would I trust that offense in a way? Um, but I do think Legacy holds on to this win. It's going to be a real tight game, and I think they both have to play a perfect game to win either way. Uh, but I, I have Legacy winning this one. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, I guess <coughs> I guess we'll see what happens, right? Um, but yes. uh, regardless, whoever wins that one plays Cherry Creek, so good luck with no that. Reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's Wait, not is uh, do you guys know if Russell's back or is it still Hammond? I'm not sure. We'll see after this week. I don't think it matters for the next round anyways, but... No, if they wanted to, they could rest him one more time, but they need hit, they need to get him in there uh, eventually. Yeah, so he can so, get snaps. Yeah, because that's, that's the bigger issue with all this. Preferably before Regis. Yes. Yeah, 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 for sure. But, but we're uh, getting a little ahead of ourselves. Regis has to face one of these two teams. Yeah, like I was saying, speaking of Regis, they will have to face one of these two teams, Pomona or Castleview. Uh, Cody, do you mind if I go ahead and talk about Pomona here? And then you could talk about Castleview. I had a feeling you were going to talk. You are going to want to talk about Pomona. Uh, just shout out to my old coach who, who coached at Arapahoe back in the day, Nate Johnson. Uh, just kudos to him for, in his first year, coaching a number 10 seeded football team. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Castleview here in a second. <laughs> okay. If I mean, if you want to add on to Pomona, I feel free to, but you know, this Pomona team, they get a big boost in getting Dom Nichols back. Now for Pomona, only played him three games, but had 131 yards, two touchdowns, you know, contributing, contributing, doing his thing there. Um, he also had, I think only one reception for like four yards. And I believe he returned a kick for a touchdown. And so having him, you know, being fresh, uh, he's going to be able to contribute a lot to this team that does have some playmakers, uh, at least, you know, at the running back spot because Pomona does run the ball and they barely throw it. And so they got Chase Muller. Wait, right? Chase Muller. I'm not tripping. Sorry, Colton Muller. Why did I think it was Chase Muller? That's, oh, I'm tripping. Okay, edit that part out. Okay, so Pomona, they have Colton Muller. Uh, he ran for 900 yards this season and five rushing touchdowns. Remember, it's a you know com- running back by committee type of deal. The other guy that's a really interesting uh, player to watch and, you know, somebody who may have he probably could have gotten a couple more carries, but it's Dion Mays. He had 541 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns. And then I'm going to throw this kid in there. The sophomore Marcus Talbert 
Uh, he had 363 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns on only 60 carries. And so he's somebody to look out for uh, because Muller and Mays are both seniors. Uh, also, Dom Nichols, he's a, he's a senior as well. And so those are the guys you got to look out for on offense. I mean, they're a very, very tough squad there. Um, on defense, I would say Dom Nichols, you for sure need to look out for him. He plays safety. I believe for the squad and he's a very quality player back there. He's going to be able to erase a lot of mistakes and rack up some tackles. Like I said, he's pretty much fresh. And so he will be ready to go. And then I think there's only one other player I want to talk about here. And that is Mike Sierra. He had three interceptions for Pomona. Uh, he is a senior as well. Now, um, Cody, I think, wasn't there a linebacker here that really stood out? I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm blank. I'm blanking on it. Didn't you take the notes? <laughs> mm, yeah, but um, I didn't. Oh, write, it was Gonzalez. It was the senior. Yeah, that's right. So the lead tackler actually um, with 71 tackles. It he is. Just, he was wearing Junior Gonzalez. Instead. Yeah, that's why it was throwing me off because I was like, wait a second. I feel like it was a lower number. So there you go, Junior Gonzalez. Yeah. Um, he's going to be a big impact on that Pomona defense as well. Did, did he come back to the game after leaving the game? When did he leave the game? He got hurt at some point and went to the sideline. I assume he like came out. I thought thing. he did. I thought he played most of his game against Colorado. Yeah, it was late in the game. Okay. Well... I don't know. I, I assume he will be good to go here because I, I feel like I remember him playing um, most of that game in the fourth quarter. But uh, well, we'll just see. Anyways, you know, Pomona, they only lost four games this season. Uh, lost 30 to 29 against Grandview. That's tough. That was a close one. Obviously, lost to Creek, lost to Cherry Creek 31 to zero. Lost by one point to Smoky Hill 28 to 27. And then against Columbine, that's probably a closer game than it actually uh, seemed to be. It was 20 to 6, but I mean, it was like, a, wasn't it like 6 to 13? And then uh, Muller, he fumbled at the goal line, basically, and that's how that ended. And then Columbine scored another touchdown. And so uh, going forward, you know, Pomona, they now have Dom Nichols, and I think that's important to keep in mind because he only played the last three games, including against Arvada West. And so. Or starting at Arvada West. Uh, or wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not tripping. And so it's going to be a little bit of a different team. I hope they lean on him more. I think that would help out this team a lot. Uh, you know, having a three-headed monster between uh, Nichols, Mays, and Muller. Uh, but Cody, do you want to add anything on to that about Pomona and then talk about Castleview here? No, I'll just jump right into Castleview and then take the wheel right into predictions. So, you know, Castleview, they're, they they have some interesting players this year. You know, I think that one of the ones to bring up the most is definitely Brody Ashworth. He's got to be one of the best defensive talents in the state. He racked up 121 tackles this year and also three interceptions and a pass deflection. So, you know, he's a sideline to sideline kind of guy and he roams the field very well and plays very, he makes everyone else's job easier is what I will say. And, you know, that's good news for a defense that includes the likes of 
Herschel Craig III, who's a senior, with four and a half sacks and 17 hurries. That includes the talents of Blake Haggerty, a three-star athlete who has two interceptions, three pass deflections, and a fumble recovery, you know? So they they have a pretty solid defense. I also want to point out number, I believe it's 14, yeah, Wes Becker. Yeah, Mark Wes Becker. He had a really good game against Fairview earlier in the season. Now, he, I don't think his tackle total is completely accurate because even in the Douglas County game, he was flying around quite a bit. And part of it may be that they want to limit his usage because he is also their leading running back. He's ran for 762 yards on 143 carries this year and eight scores and was complimented by Joe Ursetta, who is a junior and added on another 697 yards and five touchdowns. But I think the biggest story here is the first year starter in Nathan Schmidt, the junior quarterback who has thrown for 809 yards, 10 touchdowns and six interceptions while adding on another 377 yards on the ground and seven rushing touchdowns. And, you know, Simon and I, when we watched Nathan for the first time, he was kind of having a hard time piloting this offense against the Douglas County defense, who was winning up front against this Castleview team, which is very unusual, by the way, and not something that was very often repeated. But, you know, he definitely has shown some growing pains as a first year starter. And I think that he's going to be significantly improved next year, perhaps. But, you know, um, they, there's still plenty to like because of the amount of touchdowns that he has contributed this year. And it makes it a lot easier when you have Blake Haggerty out there catching passes and being such a great athlete who can take screens to the house and also burn some of the best cornerbacks in the state. And then followed up by being one of the best cornerbacks in the state. You know, he had probably the best game of his life against Grant Page earlier this year and that was a huge reason why Castleview was able to beat a team like Fairview so they're definitely not a team that's to write off I think that these teams are actually pretty evenly matched if I have to be completely honest but I think that Pomona just has more talent and athletes and you know the rule error on the side of athletes for the most part and you know despite Castleview going six and four getting a win against Fairview they did lose to Douglas County, which is concerning. They weren't close to Valor Christian. They weren't close to Thunder Ridge. They beat Mount Vista, but that's not a big deal. And neither is beating or well, losing to Rock Canyon is pretty concerning because I don't think that they're all that good either. So I think that Castleview is just too inconsistent out of the backfield and at the quarterback position to win against this pretty steady Pomona team of the same record. So I'm going Pomona Panthers to win this game. Mason, do you want to chip in on who you think is going to win this game? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a close game, to be honest with you. I think Pomona's going to take this one by a margin. Um, I respect that Castleview has, like, some, you know, they have some players over there. They got some dogs on that defense. But, you know, on the back of Dom Nichols, you know, I don't think they really, like, I don't think they really have someone to cover him and take care of him and take him out of the play. So, personally, I think, you know, Pomona takes this one. Uh, so, I mean, what do you think? I mean, yeah, 
Even if they did have a guy to cover Dom Nichols, even if they did have a guy to cover Dom Nichols, they still have Deion Mays. <laughs> they still have Mueller. I I mean, look, I think personally, Dom, he needs more games underneath his belt senior year wise just because he didn't get to play as much during the regular season i think he might actually have a you know a pretty pretty insane game so i think we just gotta look out for that um yeah i think we just gotta look out for that i picked pomona to win yeah no i definitely agree with you there um i think i think cody and i are gonna go ahead and talk about this rock canyon versus smoky hill game um i'll let cody take the floor first Cool beans. So, Smoky Hill, they got off to a really hot start this year. And, you know, they kind of struggled during league, but who can blame them when you play in the Centennial League, the SEC of Colorado football? And, uh, you know, three of the top six teams in the state played in this conference, and four of the top 12 teams played in the state at the 5A level. So, I think that that's a pretty reasonable struggle as, you know, they end up going four and six this year, but they also had some pretty solid wins. I'd say they win in Florida against Windermere, you know, 47 to seven. I think that any out of state win is pretty impressive. Then, you know, they lose to legend and lose to Regis. They fall back to two and two. They beat Pomona by a single point which is wild. And I think that this game is a little bit different if Dom Nichols is there, but that's if this is what happened. They beat Pomona high school who still had Chase Muller. So, and they lose to Grandview by 17 points. They crush, they double Eagle Crest score Cherokee trail. This is a game that I think that Smokey Hill wishes that they had back. Cause I think that this is a winnable football game for Smokey Hill and maybe puts them at an 11 or 12 seed here in the playoffs. And then, you know, getting crunched by Arapaho and Cherry Creek those last two weeks. Like I said, it's a rough conference and it's still impressive for Smokey Hill to find this level of success because they've kind of been the punching bag for a really long time in in this league. And, you know, they it's a real shame that Leslie Richardson isn't playing in a year with expanded playoffs. Otherwise, we'd get to see him in the postseason. But, you know, the fill-in for him, Tyleek Bowers has not been that bad. You know, he's had a, a steady season as at least a running quarterback. His decision-making is definitely killing this team in some games because he's thrown 13 picks to five touchdowns. But, you know, it's his running ability that is the reason why he's still back there at quarterback. He's ran for eight touchdowns this year. So if you look at it that way, his ratio is almost even. And so, you know, they, they need to just find some consistency at the quarterback position. But they also have a couple other playmakers, you know, in this backfield. They have Jones the third. He's ran for 654 yards and nine touchdowns. And, you know, they have a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball who've made a lot of plays this year. You know, as far as tackles for Losco, they've collected 100 as a team, which is really damn impressive. And part of that is on the back of Max Zuger, who as a senior has 19 
tackles for loss, and leads the team in total tackles with 75. They also have Tristan Littlejohn, who is a junior there, with 71 tackles and 16 for loss, as well as number 50, Copeland, who is a junior and also has 16 tackles for loss. And, you know, they they get a lot of those, you know, tackles for loss in the backfield as well. It translates Max with five sacks, Copeland with another five sacks. They also have this sophomore with six sacks, number 45, Brophy. So, you know, they've maintained a pretty solid front seven, which has lead, led to... A, a decent amount of turnovers, mainly forced fumbles, where, you know, Brophy on that pass rush has forced four by himself. And overall, they have six, eight, nine, nine, 13 forced fumbles this year, and they've recovered a decent amount of them. Actually, they've recovered over half of them, with 10 of these 13 forced fumbles being recovered by the defense. So, you know, I think that the defense is definitely the crown jewel of this team. And the offense has to do just enough to win football games. And, you know, that third facet, they have pretty decent return guys. You know, Dixon Jr., he has 658 yards on the year. And including a 96-yard long, which is, is always, you know, pretty cash. And on those fumble recoveries, they've managed to score touchdowns on two of them. And, you know, as you can assume for that 96 yard, they have scored a kickoff return touchdown as well. So those are some of the things to like about this Smoky Hill team and some of those players' names to pay attention to. Really, it's that front seven that just gets great penetration in both the pass game and in the run game. But Mason, if you want to focus in on Rock Canyon High School. They've had a really wild season to say the least, you know, with a lot of up and down games and a lot of really close games. Yeah, so to start I'm gonna go through the, the kind of like their schedule. Um they beat Horizon 35-21, then they lost to Chaparral 33-30 in overtime, which like you said when we were talking about Chaparral, Chaparral kind of let them get back in this game and they didn't disappoint. They brought it to overtime. Uh, Northwind, they beat 48-6. Then they lost to Denver East, 42-27. Lost to Arapahoe, 35-41. Lost to Thunder Ridge, 28-18. Then on the back end, they, you know, out of four games, they they won three of them. They, they beat Highlands Ranch, 49-28. They beat Mountain Vista, 21-14. They did lose to Valor, 43-10. And then 21-14 against Castleview. Um, going into like some of their statistics, they do rely on two quarterbacks, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, Cole uh, Drefuse is their first guy. He's a senior. He has 425 passing yards, five touchdowns to four picks. Then Luke Winnegal, uh, two touchdowns, one pick, uh, which 50-50, that's not great. But then 359 passing yards, but they rush like they have two rushers that are pretty good. Uh, Adian Duba, uh, he has 165 attempts, 969 yards, uh, nine touchdowns. And then they have Crorix Bernie, who has 104 attempts, 844 yards with seven touchdowns. Uh, then their third guy still has 51 attempts. So they rush this ball 
a lot. Like, a lot. Receiving-wise, it's kind of not that impressive. Um, their top receiver is Chase Jarowski, the 182 yards uh, and one touchdown reception. So, you know, it just kind of shows how little they actually pass. Um, going to the defensive side of this ball, um, they really, like, their top tackler is Grant Robinson. Uh, he has uh, 83 total tackles, 53 solo tackles, you know. But tackle for loss-wise, they only have two on the season, which is kind of concerning. Um, Sacks-wise, their, their best sacker is Bobby McCabe. Uh, he has seven sacks on the season, but right under him with another seven sacks on the season is Brady Campbell. Um, but they don't have any hurries. So if they do get back there, they sack him. That's basically what I've seen. Uh, and then they don't really have many interceptions. They have three turnovers. That's it. And then forced fumble-wise, uh, they have three fumble recoveries. So three total of eight fumble recoveries on the year. So they don't force the ball to be turned over all that much. Um, that's really all I can really see on their statistics and everything. Special teams-wise, they don't really have a lot of returners. I guess uh, Corks Bernie is their main returner. He has 438 returning yards, which really isn't anything special. They don't have any, you know, they don't have any kick returns for touchdowns or anything like that. Uh, I guess Corks McDermott didn't get a touchdown, but he did have a 99-yard return. So I guess he was close. But other than that, um, I think I'm ready to go ahead and make my prediction. Are you guys cool if I go ahead and start with that? Send it. All right. Um, for this game, I am going to give it to Smokey Hill. I think Smokey Hill has a more balanced offense, and I think that they're going to be able to outplay Rock Canyon. I don't like how much Rock Canyon's quarterbacks turn over the ball. One of them has two touchdowns for one interception. And one of them is like five touchdowns and three interceptions. So, you know, they turn it over a lot. I don't like that. And I also don't like that they rely on the run game so heavily. Two running backs with almost a total of almost 300 rushing attempts. That's a lot. Cody? I'm going to go with Smokey Hill. I think that they've kept pretty good pace this year with some competition um and I, i'm just i'm gonna have faith that the centennial league better prepared them for the playoffs than the douglas county league prepared rock canyon yeah i mean <laughs> i'm rocking with smoky hill too i feel like they've I don't know. I feel like they haven't had as much of an up and down season as Rock Canyon, and they've played better competition. So I think this one's an obvious one. Smoky Hill wins and uh, plays Legend next week. Which, which, dang, that sucks. That's a really big uh, difference in talent from week to week. But uh, you know, it's the playoffs. So, so yeah. But uh, you know, let's talk about our last playoff game here. The winner. And arguably, first off, this side of the bracket is probably the most entertaining side uh, overall. Uh, at least that's what Cody told me, being a former A-Rap warrior. But the winner does play Arapaho, and we're talking about Thunder Ridge versus Fairview. Um, this is for sure going to be a passing battle, right, guys? 
Yeah, it's definitely going to be a passing battle. And I do want to say, why do you always throw that we're a rap of a Warriors in here? <laughs> because y'all y'all represent... Cody always says I'm the TCA uh, alum whenever we talk about 2A ball. I, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. You like the former TCA Titan. But uh, you know what? Y'all might <laughs> if I talk... Well, actually, Cody, you should talk about Fairview because you went to most of their games. Well, I went to two. But, I mean, yes, we, is, we know the story here. We're all familiar. Freshman Beckham Kritza has caught, you know, the state on fire with over 3,000 yards in his very first year. I'm pretty sure it's leading the state on 65% completion, 22 touchdowns to eight interceptions. He can push the ball down the field. He's pretty good about going through multiple reads even. And, you know, he, he's just been electric this year. And... It kind of helps when you have a receiving core as talented. You know, Jordan Rochelle has actually led this receiving unit in yards with 845 and 10 scores. But then you also have sophomore Ben Hawley, who's contributed 577 yards. You have senior Ben Anderson, who's contributed 534 yards and is great at moving the chains. Those two combining for nine touchdowns. The biggest blow to this team was definitely losing Grant Page at the midway point of the season against Chaparral. You can't replace that explosiveness and route running, but you know they have tried by spreading it out pretty good. Nate or Naz Valdez Benavente, Benavente. There we go. You know he he's kind of tried to pick up some slack by getting 36 receptions himself. And Zach Lewis, the backfield, you know has picked up 264 yards through the air, but also contributed 370 yards on the ground and six scores. And, you know, he does a pretty good job on the defensive side of the ball, getting 104 tackles and seven for loss. And, you know, their entire front seven has been pretty solid this year, you know. And I, I think that they're a solid team that has you know, competed very well for how young their team is, really. They they don't have a whole lot of seniors on this team, especially after Grant Page went down. And they're all looking to Beckham to lead the way. And I, I'd say he's done a pretty decent job, you know, leading this team to a 6-4 and four record. They faced a lot of adversity this year. I think that their loss to Castleview was definitely a blunder, and, you know, it was their first away game of the year. So there's been a lot of growing pains this year. This Chaparral game, it was mainly the injury of Grant Page that kind of stuck him. And I think that that kind of, I don't want to say trauma, but that energy carried over into that legacy game where they kind of got thumped. But they got into a rhythm again and beat some of these solid teams before barely losing to Horizon this last week. I think that they are about to put up, you know, another... 30 points and 300 plus offensive yards this last week. All right. Well, you heard it here first. They're going to put up a bunch of points as well. Thunder Ridge. And so let me go ahead and talk about Thunder Ridge. They are one of the most explosive offenses in the state led by star quarterback, Seth Frazier this year. 
He threw for 1,000, well, okay, it's basically 1,600 passing yards, but it's 1,599 if you want to get specific there. But through 27 touchdowns to only eight interceptions, he is also the leading rusher, which I, this I didn't know, but he ran uh, for 829 rushing yards and eight touchdowns on the year, both leading this team in rushing yards, carries, and rushing touchdowns. Now the second guy, his actual running back, J.D. Rickford. Right, wait a second. Yeah, J.D. Rickford. He ran for 687 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. And then the other big athlete on this Thunder Ridge team, Chase Tompkins. He is a receiver, actually. But he ran for 187 yards for rushing touchdowns. As a receiver, though, uh, he was big time. He was he was uh, Frazier's number one target, or at least one of his number one targets, catching for 459 passing yards, or sorry, receiving yards, and 11 receiving touchdowns, leading the team in uh, receiving touchdowns. And then it's Jack Horsford who led the team in receiving yards with 536 and nine receiving touchdowns right behind Tompkins. And so uh, that squad, this Thunder Ridge squad, you know, in the past, I feel like they've been more known for defense and, you know, playing good defense. But this year, I would say it's all about offense. They've won a lot of games uh, because of their offensive play. And, you know, I'm going to only shout out two defensive players here, and that is Derek Pacheco. Uh, I want to say he's a DB for the squad who has uh, – snagged four interceptions throughout this year and then sophomore will fisher the lead tackler for the squad with uh 67 total tackles now if you want to go into their schedule i mean they've only lost two games one of them was against Arapaho, 38 to 14 and then the other one was against valor christian where they lost 52 to 21 but some other playoff teams they did beat cast view 38 to 3 Mountain Vista 35-16, Rock Canyon 28-18, um, and then I guess if you want to throw in Far East North or Far Northeast Warriors, whatever, uh, they beat them 47-0 at the start of the season to get things started. So, with that being said, um, who? Wait, wait a second. Who are we sending to this game? I know we're sending somebody to this game. That's not like a question at all. Um, is it Mason? Yeah, I'm going to this game. Hey, lit. So, actually, Mason, I'm going to ask you, who do you think is going to win this playoff game? What is your prediction? This is a tough one. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, you could probably flip a coin and, you know, that answer might be right, too. So, you know. Yeah, personally, I think that Fairview has this. Um, okay. I'm going to lean on that freshman quarterback. Uh, I think he. I think he can pull this one off. Um, it's gonna be a very tough game for him. It's gonna be a tough game for both sides of the ball. Both side, like both squads are gonna be putting up points, but I think that Fairview pulls this one off. Uh, what do you think, Simon? Uh, okay. This one's tough. I think. I think I'm gonna have to rock with Thunder Ridge, though. Uh, this is no offense to Beckham, but it is his first playoff game, and not. It's, look, it's, they're not going to ask him to game manage because against a team like Thunder Ridge, you just can't do that. 
Um, Thunder Ridge, they're going to, especially with this many seniors on the squad, they're going to try to put up as many points as possible and light up the scoreboard. Most likely what's going to happen is that uh, Beckham Kritza, he's going to have to play an excellent first playoff game ever, by the way, because um, he is a freshman <laughs> tough senior quarterback who you know is arguably top three top five in the state at his position and is somebody who could put up touchdowns at any given moment having that ability to throw from multiple different angles and having all his weapons as well and so i'm just gonna go with the safe choice here and pick thunder ridge like i said i could see uh fairview winning and you know beckham and all them getting their first uh playoff dub you know but um it's not this is not an easy thing to ask out of him i think beckham he he for sure has to throw over 300 yards and then ideally at least three touchdowns at least and then no interceptions uh, for them to beat this thunder ridge team uh i think that is just a bare minimum for them to at least be competing with them ideally he has more than three touchdowns and over 300 yards so yeah uh i'm rocking with thunder ridge and seth frazier at least for this one. I'm going with my gut here. What about you, Cody? What is uh you're you're the tiebreaker, so well what do you who do you decide's gonna win this game? Who do you think? To conclude the five A first round of the playoff predictions. I'm going to say Age Before Beauty and the experienced Thunder Ridge Grizzlies take a win from the Fairview Knights in this opening playoff game. I think that, you know, the experience that Seth Frazier has gotten this year, as well as just being in this Thunder Ridge program, who definitely had, it was an odd year last year for them to not be good. They're usually the most dominant team in the Highlands Ranch area. And other than Valor Christian, but I, I just think that, you know, they've returned back to normal and that, is fully marked by a playoff win and that they start, you know, getting excited to try and get revenge against Arapaho, who seems vulnerable right now. But fair enough. I could definitely see it. Yeah. I mean, it could go either way. Beckham could go crazy. And, you know, and this is, this is his like true coming out party, you know, defeating a uh, seasoned vet and whatnot. So I don't know, but sorry, go ahead, Cody. So, yeah, that, that'll do it for our 5A playoff preview, as well as our 4A, 2A, and 1A. You're going to have to stay tuned until next week when 3A finally starts their playoffs to hear our previews for there. And thank you so much for sitting through this episode. It was a long one. If you think it was long listening to it, you have no idea what was going on on the other end of this uh, uh, on the mic. So thank you so much for the support. Uh, make sure to stay tuned for our content regarding the AYL championship games, as well as the opening round of playoffs. We're going to be making it to as many games as we possibly can. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Spotify, Instagram, TikTok. Also check out our website, playmakerscorner.com. And where we have all of our old episodes, well, almost all of our old episodes posted. Huge shout out to Coach V for grinding on that website. And shout out to Colorado High School football. We're so excited for playoffs. This is what we've been waiting for this entire year. This is what the previews were all about. And now we're we're gonna hit it hard like weights. Who's a real one and who's a fake? Let's get it.